everyone, no one to Between the Sheets, episode number 387. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Happy New Year! Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have ended the year of our Lord 2023. Well, your Lord, not mine. <laughs> but, uh, yes, another year is, is here, and... Um, we want to thank everybody for supporting us in 2022. Hope you keep on the support in 2023. As uh, we have uh, quite the show this week, I think. Uh, some interesting clips, a lot of interesting stuff going on, so it should be a fun show. Yes. Yes, it looks fun. We've got some William Shatner. We've got one of the most infamous ECW arena shows in, his- in its history. We've got a lot of interesting stuff here. And... Uh, We've got an interesting returning guest, some might say. Yeah, uh, been, a, been a while since he's been on. Oh, uh, shit. Well, over uh, almost two years. Yes, so, yes. Uh, and his definitely uh, breathing made a return before he did. <laughs> yes, and uh, we're glad to have him back on uh, as uh, at least he's not in jail or anywhere uh on the lamb or anything like that oh that was excuse me that's that's uh, leonard f chakaris sorry but we are joined by our dear friend making his grand return joe sposta welcome back joe thank you gentlemen for having me i know we're talking 1995 today i wish if we were doing uh 1997 i could have done a very bad interpretation of the rick rude it's a new year shane douglas as my introduction, <laughs> which is something that myself and Mike Falcone, uh, he's been, Mike's been on the show before, right? No, absolutely. For a few times. Yeah. We'll, we'll get him back mess- on again soon. Yes. We'll always message that one to each other. That's always uh, a classic uh, bit, you know, and I know there was uh, something going around recently. I know people are going to be shocked by this, uh, but f- in 2022, 2023, uh, Francine feels that uh, that angle might have went a little too far with uh, what Rick Rude did to her during that time. Oh, just frame. a little, just a little, just, yeah. a, just a little bit. <laughs> in retrospect, you know, I think maybe some stuff that happened uh, in the 90s might have been a little too far, but you know, we could all. Oh, an ECW? <gasps> yeah. Well, like I, like I always say, you know, the, the times are the t- were the times. There's nothing you can do well, about it now. Well, not in that case. <laughs> no, I'm just saying the times were the times, and then you can do about it now. You know, I yeah. mean, it's just it, it was a different era, and things were different. You know, it just was. And this, I mean, it's right, but I'm just saying it was just different. You well, know, you know, people are going to look back at stuff. You know, that it's going on right now. Uh, you know, it's going to happen like this week on Raw or Dynamite. Or, you know, SmackDown or whatever, 15 years from now, I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. That was really crossing the line. It's just the way that things change and people evolve and we learn and what's okay today isn't great. But what is okay today is me being back on the show again. Thank you guys very much. This is my sixth time doing the show. I know you've had a lot more people on more times than that. But uh, I don't know. It's an honor to be on once, let alone six, you know? You're high on the list. <laughs> right. I know uh, Dave uh, is probably like top. Pre- Bo, Bo's probably number one. Right. Prezak O'Connor are in that, that Al next, next level. Al Getz is up there. And you're, you're, no, you're hanging around not too yeah. low, too far below him. So. I mean, you're yeah. one of, I think, only two 
people to appear using two different names, right? You and uh, Max <laughs> Bombach, I think. Yes. One yeah. one Leonard of Chikarison, and this will be five. Uh, <laughs> Joe Sposto, Diamond Joe Leonard, whatever. And again, how things change, you know? Like, we could talk about Chikara now that it's dead and it's okay. And, you know, and I don't have to get upset when Chris is like, why is Chris skipping Chikara stuff? I'm like, oh, that's right. Everybody hates Quack and Chikara. That's right. <laughs> I, was oh, ahead okay. of the, I was ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. Oh, I mean, you were in on that circa 03. Uh, from the beginning. <laughs> no, I didn't start until 05. Um, no, but I, I mean, but I was in on the hate, uh, the, uh, the Shakara hate from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, hating the, 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 not hating the guys that worked there because there's a lot yeah. of great, great guys that were, you know, for, and gals that's worked for that worked for uh, Shakara over the years. But Mike Quackenbush, <laughs> not one of them. So I, I saw recently on social media that his uh, AOL email address got hacked. So wow, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll be able to collect uh, his Patreon money from uh, whatever that grift that he's doing over there is. You know? oh, uh, yeah, I wonder if More that's linked to, to his YouTube. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, all right. So let's get started, shall we? As we are going to discuss the week plus. That was January the 2nd through the 10th of 1995. Now, we're going to have two Monday Night Raws to talk about on this week as we begin with World Wrestling Federation, but we were going to begin with the live one first because that's the important one. Yes. So let's uh, uh, talk about that. Oh, real quick, though. Um, just checking when Joe was last on. It was after speaking out. But it was October 2020, so it was still at the point where everyone was understandably afraid of getting sued by people. <laughs> I want to well. say it was about a month later that I got my legal threat from uh, a former NWA executive producer who shall remain nameless. Well, I mean, good lord, it's it's, it's crazy that Leonard Chikarson didn't get, get caught up in that speaking ad deal. Well, listen, I, I would drive by myself. It was a police escort to every show, so there was no one really for me to harass to or from the shows. You know? oh, oh, you got the Cain Velasquez treatment, but you didn't have to pay for it. Right. All right, so let's go to the World Wrestling Federation, and we start with Dave Meltzer. To say the two-year live anniversary of Raw on the January 9th from Houston was a unique show, we're putting it mildly. Let's just say that the so-called New Direction hardly looks like a Japanese product, but a low-rent copy of the 1984 WF product, trying to get new wrestlers over the same way they originally got the old ones over, i.e. doing anything they can to be associated with celebrities. William Shatner doing a Bruce Hart imitation with the same overacting and leather jacket <laughs> was a guest on the King's Court. And she was far better than most celebrities put in the same position. Remember the god-awful Tiny Tim segment? Well, the finish showed just how little pride Lawler had left in his profession. Lawler and four punch. Shatner, who's about 65 years old, sidestepped him, put him in a chicken wing. He didn't let go. Lawler came back at him, and Shatner monkey-flipped him. And Lawler took a powder as both Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett came out. Shatner was there as a promo spot and was all over the show being pushed to an interview during the Open and constantly talked about it with all the beam-me-up jokes as his TV show Tech Wars airs on USA directly after Raw and it debuted that night. Shatner came back later for a second angle where he managed Bret Hart in a match against Jeff Jarrett. 
They blazed the match at an outside interference DQ finish. So Shatner did even more physical work this time, running the roadie, Brian Armstrong, into the turnbuckles numerous times and throwing him out of the ring. Dave was told that lies from the crowd popped a little. Some didn't know what to make of it, and about 25% seemed disgusted by it. The only guys who got any reaction at the taping, which was described by those at every taping as being the worst in a long time, were The Undertaker in a dark match, and Razor Ramon in a live match against Owen. Razor and Owen had the best Raw match in months, three and three quarter stars, with Owen put on an excellent performance. Owen had Razor in a sharpshooter when Brett interfered for the title 7 DQ in 13-24. Jarrett then came out, and Razor quickly recovered to help Brett clean house, which was done to set up Brett versus Jarrett, with Captain Kirk in the corner for next week. They did another non-wrestler angle when Lex Luger was wrestling Tatanka and King Kong Bundy interfered. A power lifter. Dave believes it was Anthony Clark, who is considered the strongest man in the world right now. Bitch wrestled something like 730 pounds. Although nobody Dave thought we could remember his name. And Dave didn't believe it was said to the fans live either. Did a run in, took off his shirt, and Bundy ran away. Well, he didn't run, but you get the picture. Then the Heavenly Bodies were beating on the one, two, three kid and Bob Holly when Richie Cunningham gave ran in and gave them a double clothesline. And when Jim Cornette tried to help, he had to take a few bumps for Potsy. Uh, Chris, was, you know who the up. you know who the power lifter was? Go ahead, Mark Henry. <laughs> yep, uh, I was going to say I there's going to get to that. Yeah, well, there's a correct a dark layer segment, in the notes, though. but I love that he says that it's Anthony Clark who was like the comedian from that Boston Commons TV show. And I'm like, <laughs> it was on at the same time. And like, I don't think those two look the same, but Dave must have been watching that at the time. And that's the <laughs> only reason I can think that that name popped into his head. Like, not even close to Mark Henry. No, you know? but there's no lifter named Anthony Clark? I don't think so. I, I did a Google search before, and that's the first Oh, no, there insult. is. Oh, there is? I started typing the words Anthony Clark powerlifter into okay. the search bar in the Wikipedia for him came up. Uh, he's Filipino, lived in Texas. Okay, so he's another Texas guy, so that at least explains part of it. Well, how about that? All right, so now we go to Wade Keller, and we get the, the rundown here for the for the show. Uh, Vince and Sean opened the program, because Sean's still doing the commentary, in a darkened Houston summit that didn't have the feeling of being a major arena. Yeah, I will say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so I just checked... History of WWE to see what the attendance was reported as. They have it as 3,500 papered. It was nice to see a long aisle way when Owen did his entrance, but other than that, you know, it looked pretty barren, you know? Well, the thing, the thing is, is that, I mean, we had TV shows. Um, we, I mean, we talked off the air. Uh, the TV shows like 94 where you could see the they were in the high school gyms with the basketball goals yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, to be back in a ma- major arena setting, I mean, that that is a good sign for them. Or you could – like I looked at it as, you know, who knows how far in advance they would have to book these buildings out. And I'm sure in Vince's mind it's like, all right, you know, we'll book a big building. It's our, it's the second anniversary of Raw. I'm sure we'd be doing great in six months or nine months or whatever it is that we did it. And, you know, we're doing so great in 94 and 95, you know, turns the tide a little bit later in the year, but not much later. You know, they're selling out pay-per-views, but not TV. Yeah, and I, this has to be the first Raw taping in a major arena, though, right? Um, it- 
Poughkeepsie maybe. doesn't count, right? That's I mean, not a major uh, arena. No. no. I, if, I, it's by a big major, building. I mean, it's just like, not, yeah. Well, even Poughkeepsie is like 3,000 seats and isn't in the fully in the round. Yeah. Um. Okay, so looking ahead, the next Raw taping two weeks later, Manatee Civic Center, 2,500, heavily papered, uh, Macon Coliseum on February 20th. Were you at that, Chris? Oh, yes. No. I was not at that one. 2,751, heavily papered. Uh, they do run Stockton on March 13th, no attendance listed. They go back to Poughkeepsie the night after Mania, no attendance listed. Then they start running more out of the way, like Omaha in late April. Uh, 4,000 paid. You get the idea. Yeah. Alright, so back to Wade. Um, and then they start running high schools again in June. <laughs> yeah. So we have our first Shatner promo at the beginning of the show. So let's Yay. go to uh, Captain Kurt T.J. Hooker and see what he's got to say. Yes, Brett's fellow Canadian. I know all about Jerry Lawler and the King's Court. King's Court's more like the home of the Whopper, and I know that makes him mad, but I don't care. See, if he gets in my way, if he offers me any trouble, he's going to be out of here, if you'll excuse the expression, at warp speed. I'm here to promote tech war, not to fight, not to wrestle. So, Lawler, leave me alone. Well, Houston Summit, huh? <laughs> yes. But um, it was cool seeing Shatner here because, I mean, William Shatner is, is a big name. You yeah. Know? And, and, Joe, as you, and Joe, as you well know, there is a major crossover in fan bases between WF and science fiction and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is a perfect tie-in here. And, you know, the Tech War books were huge for the time. You know, it was, a you know, media was consumed very differently and it got turned into a TV movie, into a TV series. And star think about this, like how big, like, Star Wars is today. Star Wars doesn't really have its, like, pop culture resurgence until they did, like, that buy that, that price-to-own VHS compilation in, like, 1997. So, like, during this time, like, it's Star Trek. I think, like, they just launched a second new TV series. Star? Yeah, yeah. That, that, what, real quick. I mean, that that VHS series was, like, a table setter. But yeah. It wasn't until until the, the next the movie, the 99. That's whenever Star Wars Generations. came back into. Yeah. Well, Star Trek. The, the, no, Star Star Wars. Right. Star Wars. But they did the they did the theatrical re-releases of the originals ahead of the 99 they prequels. Did. And it was the the sale of that 97 box set that people are like, oh, they're interested in Star Wars, you know, because, you know, I, going through stuff for my Patreon show, like looking like just nothing in those catalogs. Those, you know, like, you know I'll tell you what Star Wars was. Star Wars was Marvel. Yeah. Before the before the movie, before the, the, the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars was 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 around, but it was just like. It was nostalgia, and then when you when they when you reboot it, then yep. oof, that's what happened. Because this is this is fresh off the uh, the time of like the 30th anniversary of the original Star Trek series. So Shatner has a huge boost, and that's how he gets the Tech War books and everything else. Next generation, and I think Voyager, the TV show, is out. But during this show, like Vince is like multi like mega hollywood star william shatner star of movies and tv and like just fawning all over him it's the best 
Yeah, well, he's a he's a major get for Doyle. Hell yeah! Oh, so Voyager launches right after our week, January sixteenth. Again, Star Trek was super huge in the nineties, and people forget. Like we all have rose colored glasses about how big Star Wars is today. Well, you know, Star Star Trek never it never really left because it was all those incarnate. You had the movies, and then you start Next Generation in the late eighties, then Deep Space Nine, then Voyager, Deep Space Nine. There's and you know, and they kept putting out movies every so often. So Star Trek was always around, but yes, I mean, yeah, exactly. Star Wars left and came back. Yeah. You know? And it was like like gone, gone for like 15 years. Like nothing. Not a piece. You'd get like a book of like, here's a book of a bunch of the droids, or here's a model of like an X-Wing fighter, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. But William Shatner. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you think think about the time, you know, before – Star Wars came back. I mean, Mark Hamill would probably been more famous for his voice work on car- on Batman, yep. the animated series, than when it was through Skywalker at that time. One hundred percent. It's crazy. Well, when when All did right. the X Wing Tie Fighter games first come out, though? Ninety four, maybe ninety five. And there were also the Super Nintendo games. So, like, Star Wars was kind yeah. of coming back in yeah. some areas. Yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, nothing like Star Trek was. It was absolutely. still. It was still a niche product. It was still right. like yeah. you know a novelty, like a nostalgia thing. You know exactly. All right, Owen and Razor. Um, Dave talked about it. Owen uh, won by DQ. Uh, Bout began strong with some impressive moves, including Razor back dropping Owen over the top rope. Owen dove through the ropes on the Razor at ringside. Owen got a two count on Razor after a second row cross body block. 10.03, Mark Owen applied a sleeper on Razor, leading to a Razor chant. Owen hit top rope drop kick at 12 minutes, after dropping Razor cross first over top rope. Owen went to get the sharpshooter. Brett ran out, interfered for the DQ, apparently because Owen's crotching of Razor a moment earlier. Double J then ran out, brawl with Razor. Owen and Brett brawl. There's your thing there. But yeah, that was with the best Raw match in quite a long time, was this one right here. Commentary is a little. Eh, I know Dave mentions how good Sean is on commentary on this, but uh, to say that he uses "I've got news for you" without the jack uh, as a crutch, he must say it like ten times during this match. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on! And like, the, I watched the week before, and it's Sean and Gorilla, and Vin or Sean is doing all of the Vince, and then from theirs and everything else like that. So. <laughs> I don't know. Sean, like, maybe a little overrated on commentary at this point. Dave, well, I don't know. He, 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 when he does his shtick, he was good. I mean, it was funny, but yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a pull-apart with Bundy on this show. You know, it's real weird. Yeah. All right. Um, then we get Todd Pettengill, uh, given the Royal Rumble lineup. Diesel cuts promo, which we'll play another Diesel promo later. Hakushi won a squash match. Well, and then we've we got get a, the, well, we have another Lawler promo first. Oh well, Wade doesn't even mention that, so let's go to uh, let's go to the King. William Shatner, you know, word has it that you're a pretty tough guy. Well, we may just find out on the King's court, and if you don't show me the respect that I'm due, <laughs> I may take my fist and beam you so far up you won't ever come down. Aha! Well, there you have it. Comments from the Lawler later on. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, I can see why Wade didn't mention it because it was what ten seconds. And a cushy squash win, Matt Hardy. 
<laughs> yes. Wade doesn't even name him, but it's Matt Hardy. Well, no one knows and, and who he bun- is. And the Bundy squashed against the Italian Stallion. So, uh, yeah, which we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Kids, yeah. Threw him in a car and said, Let's, We're going to Texas, boys. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way it goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so next we get the. Oh, wait. Court. I was going to pull up the uh, Hakushi uh, diary entry real quick about this. Um, so this is his second WWF match. He had worked Sean Walton uh, a few days earlier on a house show. I don't know my opponent's name because it's what they call a TV match. Since it was live, I was nervous going into the match. The match was a little rushed. There were Japanese fans in the crowd that screamed, Come back to Japan. I was happy to hear that. Hmm. Sean makes the obvious joke that he could read the uh, kanji characters that are on uh, Hakushi. <laughs> and he starts and giving I'm sure we could all menu items. This Chinese yes. food menu joke that he makes. Okay. Yes. Uh... Yeah, of course. All right. Well, we've got the King's Court now. So let's go to the King... And William Shatner, a very memorable moment. That's one way to put that, sure. We're back! Yeah. Welcome to a very, very special edition of the King's, the King's Court. celebrated his 60th birthday. That's right. Jerry Lawler doesn't look anywhere near 60 years. You know, this week, Bite your tongue, my guest was I mean, supposed the real to be the none other than Elvis the hitman Bret Hart. I wanted uh-huh. to have him out here face to face. I- how old does it make all of us feel that Elvis, hearing that Elvis would have turned 60 if he lived to 1995? <laughs> I feel I mean, old knowing Lawler was in like his late 40s at this point, which is my age, you know? Well, Elvis, I mean, Elvis would have been uh, 88 on his birthday this year. Well, here's what's even scarier, though. At this point, Elvis has only been dead for less than 18 years. It has been 20, yeah. th- 28 years since the show aired. I know. It's, we're, we're getting old. <laughs> I know that. I'm all eyeball, and I was going to talk to him about his Jurassic Park parents, but oh instead, my. he wants to send out his big shot Hollywood buddy. And you all are familiar with him, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. Most of you don't look like you own television sets. But if you do... You've seen this man in all sorts of big shows. Oh, that's for He sure. was Captain Kirk in Star Trek. He was T.J. Hooker. He is a best-selling author and the creator of a brand-new television show called Tech War. And, of course, he was in about seven Star Trek movies. I'm talking about my about guest, seven? none other than <laughs> Captain Kirk himself. William Shatner! William Shatner, ladies and gentlemen, one of the great megastars oh, yeah. in all of television and film. There what? Is, unquestionably, as was brought up by the king, a successful author, well, producer. I mean, Shatner was a big deal. One of the great megastars in all of Hollywood? Yes. You don't think you don't think about it that way, but he, I mean, he, is, he, is, he was a, a big deal. They didn't even mention uh, Rescue 911, which I think was at this time. As well. I think it was off by this time, maybe, but it, yeah, but he was on that absolutely. Tremendous ovation here. Here he is. This is the set of the King's Court. Now. Let me just real quickly, let me... I'm, I'm impressed, I gotta admit. I am impressed. You are impressed. I am impressed. 
You, wow. I mean, you know, I'm standing right here next to Captain Kirk from Star Trek. T.J. Hooker. Wait a minute now. You, you, you've done seven Star Trek movies, all the Star Trek television shows, and now you've, you've written, you've authored, and you've created, and I understand you even produced the new show that is going to follow Monday Night Raw, starting tonight, as a matter of fact, right here on the USA Network. That's right. I know that's right. Tech War. Now, I watched the big, uh, the big special, and it was great. I got to admit, it was great. But out of all the things that you've accomplished in your illustrious career, and it's been Pause real quick. I want you to tell everyone. Uh, just for point of reference, you know, we're talking about Elvis. Uh, when this show was on the air live, Shatner was 63 years old. He looks good for 63, man. And uh, <laughs> he still looks good now, considering. All things considered, I would absolutely say so. And again, Lawler is 46 here, which is how old I am. Um, so, And Lawler yeah. and Lawler inside, I'm sure, is just geeking out. Oh, forget about it. Like, <laughs> when, like even when they do the fake, like when, they, you know, Dave mentioned the Tiny Tim thing, and they've had like whatever other celebrities come on, and they put Lawler there. And like, you know, Lawler kind of like puts like it's like, oh, yeah, he was on the Tonight Show, whatever, rolls his eyes like he was putting Shatner over coming out here like for the King's well, character. Well, Lawler's a big pop culture guy in yeah. the 60s, you know, so mm -hmm. he's definitely geeking out. But all right, we'll go back. Everybody that the crowning achievement, the greatest moment of it all is right now for you to be a guest on my King's Court. Isn't that right? Gotta be. <laughs> Thumbs down. From Lyman, been impressed many times in my life, Lawler. I've been impressed a lot, but this is not one of the most impressive times I've ever had. <laughs> well, I name a, a bigger moment than this. I'll name it. Takes the mic from him. I was chewing gum yesterday. Then <laughs> 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 somebody gave him the Vulcan mind transfer to transfer his brain somewhere. And facing you, you've been taunting me all week. You've been after me all week. Why? Don't touch the microphone. This is my king's court. And you may be a big shot in Hollywood, you understand that? Uh -oh. But on my king's court... You do what I say, you listen when I speak, yeah. and that's all we need out of you. You understand? Get well, I'll tell the people the truth about... Yeah. Oh, wait a minute now. Now listen. This may be the home of the Whopper. <laughs> just made the same joke twice. Touch me. Well, when he's there in the me, building now. You're in trouble. Microphone again. You understand me? And I will touch you, big oh shot. My goodness. You see? Hey. The king's not one of those. I know these idiots look like track. they're from another planet, but there ain't nobody with pointy ears that's gonna come out here and save you. You are not idiots. This is our audience. These are the people that watch Tech War. Hey, I'll tell you one thing right now. I'll touch you whenever I want to. And if you're not careful, I will boldly send you where no man's ever been, courtesy of my fist. Oh! Oh! 
put him in a hammerlock and shoved him away. Get him, King! Got a little surprise for you, Joy Boy. Hey, wait a minute. Joy Boy? What is he? A Sergeant Bookman? Hey, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Monkey flip. To the outside, and the Pat Williams shot that just took it down! There's Mr. Hitman. It's Canadian Heroes. Yeah. Being here now. Yeah, I'm just glad Dylan wasn't doing this all weekend on the Restival. <laughs> he, he he seems to have learned from that, finally. Hitman Bret Hart! Yes! With his good friend William Shatner! Shatner! His good friend William Shatner. Shatner with a victory! Like a super pretty hero. Here comes Double J! Oh! And you have Tennessee heroes on the floor. Just wait a minute! The- Oh, the king's mad now. Along with the roadie. And Terry the King Roller. Look at this. Shatner in the Hitman Fred Hart. Holding the rock and waiting for the comeback here. Oh, no. Get him, King. Get him, King. Get him. Get him. We'll be back as we continue live from Houston, Texas. Who is that Oh, it's one of the Pam ads for the Rumble. <laughs> yeah, I love that Doink is. is one of the people that leaves the message for her, too. Okay, let's watch this, then. <laughs> it's yeah. all the top stars and Doink. Here. See, after I win the Rumble, we'll go out and paint the town. Big Daddy Cool here. After the Rumble, why don't you and Big I go out and WWF superstars. Yo, man, kid here. After I win the Rumble. Hey, baby, this is old Double J. Hey, Pamela, what do you say after gold. I win the Royal Rumble? You and I. Baywatch Lady, Maybe can't wait to see you in Tampa. Oh, yeah. Baywatch Lady. Royal Rumble, live only on pay-per-view. Has there ever been a celebrity at a major world uh, wrestling federation event that looked less like they wanted to be there than Pamela Anderson did at her two appearances? Hmm. In fact, there's a thing you said. Two appearances. <laughs> she did it more than once. Didn't Bruce on his podcast talk about how the deal came through that it was like they were friends with her agent and like he tried to smooth over that like maybe the agent didn't really sell to Pam what she'd have to be doing in all of this? Something like that. McCarthy was all for it. Oh, forget about (laughs) it. Yeah. Uh, Jeannie Garth, I don't think, uh, was uh, a big fan of uh, being at WrestleMania. So. Mm. That's another story. Well, she deserved her punishment for uh, breaking up Dylan and Brenda. <laughs> All right, so King Kong Bundy beat uh, Gary Sabaw, aka the Italian Stallion, in a squash match. Well, wait. So is the yeah. real is his real name Sabaw or Cordinelli? Um, his his real name is uh, Cordinelli, I think. Okay. So then we have a, a commercial for the Raw video game. Then we get a comma preview where he's not playing by the rules so there's that and then we have the tuxedo match harvey whippleman and howard finkel you know we have to go to this clip here we go they've done one of these as as like a coliseum video match already by this point haven't they i don't think it's come out yet but they did i think right they had a test run yes i think it was harv or was it maybe was it Harvey or was it Genius? No, not Genius and 
Howard. No, that never happened. No, it was Harvey, Harvey and Howard's the one that did them, but I think okay. they, they've had a, a test run. Yes, they definitely had some house show ones, so yes. Let's watch this. I guess the closest we're ever going to come to watching customs on Between the Sheets. Unquestionably <laughs> <laughs> a monster in common, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I must say. Oh, it's the greatest ring announcer in World Wrestling Federation history, Manny Garcia. <laughs> Yes, it is. He of Nature Boy Buddy Rydell fame. <laughs> Here, the second anniversary of Monday Night Raw. What would it be without something really, really special like a tuxedo match? Those of you who have a week also stomach, is, we would advise that... Also, is Bischoff producing that they're not piping him into the TV? <laughs> Maybe you want to take a look at pictures of Sean... Also, it, we should note, by the way, that Bruno cannot see basically without his glasses. Tonight we're going to find out... And there's more receding on Howard Finkel than just the hairline. We'd like to thank our host, Mike McGee, and all the official cheers and so much, ladies and gentlemen, for hosting the second anniversary of Monday Night Raw. What about Mattress Snack? <laughs> the object here is simply to disrobe your opponent. I got news for you. Wait a minute, looks like Harvey's wearing red socks. Harvey's Howard just muscled off Harvey. Not that he weighs a ton, but still. Harvey having better things to do tonight. He was supposed to be on the debut of the Tom Schneider show. Tom Schneider. I can you talk about Tom Schneider tonight like this? Tom Schneider has huge parents. We've got Harvey Wimbledon. We've got Howard Finkel. We've got ourselves a good old-fashioned tuxedo match. What We've got is? dirty underwear. Hey, wait a on the derriere of Harvey Wickerman, it looks like. <laughs> well, knowing him. Oh, boy. It looks like these two spent a lot of time in the tanning bed. I can wait to see these heavenly bodies. No, Bruno is blown up. <laughs> We've got an ectomorph and an endomorph. Wait a minute. Howard Finkel's pants. Whoa, nice shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Ben's just loving this. This kick's hard. This raw, this is unbelievable. Look at the quads and the hams. No, maybe not. Oh, wait a minute. And Harvey can't see. He's probably better off. <laughs> I think maybe we all would be better off if we couldn't say. Oh, no. It looks like Fingal's been working on the gut buster for the last week. He's really been preparing for this match. Oh, yes. <laughs> they both have raw on their ass. As I yes. leave a few more clothes on than Harvey. Look at this, and Howard can't get the shirt. Oh, now he can't. Look at oh, my goodness, he snapped little Harvey back. Look at that big ripping derby on Finkel. Where's Jimmy Franklin in either? Oh, that takedown. He'll give him a couple of points, but that won't count in this match. I see two chicks fight better than this. <laughs> Harvey Whippleman and Howard Finkel going. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, somebody please stop the insanity, Susan Powder, where are you? Oh, the only reason the match hasn't ended is they each have cummerbunds on, by the way. Oh, well, no, and no. Oh, no, it's Harvey does, I mean, excuse me, Howard does, Bruno Harvey still has the pants, barely. Right, he has pants around one leg. I'm surprised that, that neither one of them are wearing, like, those little old-school uh, ankle garter things that men used to wear. Around their feet, around their uh, Tim White does not appear to realize the match is over. Now he does. <laughs> well, you've seen it, ladies and gentlemen. 
Sadly, we did. I wonder if he recognizes how horrible these two bodies are. Finkel doing the Bushwhackers dance in his, in his drawers. Finkel in there with the Bushwhackers. Oh my gosh. I'm about to hurl. It's Bowman and ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Finkel's having the time of his life here. Unquestionably. I don't know. Look at it. Don't his clothes in the crowd. He's a blithering idiot. Kiki Friedman would be so proud. Kiki Friedman. What a name drop. It is Monday Night Raw underwear has been successful in the tuxedo matchup against Harvey Wilson in Boston, one of the biggest feuds in WWF history. And that's funny. Well, some, one show's clearly running wide on time. <laughs> it's funny that Fink is with uh, the Bushwhackers in his underwear. Stop it. Finkel leading the march, ladies and gentlemen, and of course, next week. They're pro wrestlers, of course they are. They're used to blowing gimmicks tonight. Oh, stop it. Well, no, technically, <laughs> no, well, technically Adrian Street's the one who blew his gimmick. Well, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know what, though, especially, like, watching this hindsight and everything, you can tell Howard worked his ass off to get into to better into shape for this match and to not blow up, or at least not blow up right away. Yeah, like he, he took it seriously, it. you know, as seriously as a comedy tuxedo match on the second anniversary of Monday Night Raw could be, you know. All right, this was this. And you can tell he's been working out too. Yeah, like, like he. Let's read like wait. aside from the no tan, he honestly like he really doesn't look that bad at all. All right, let's read what Wade said about this, and we'll have Dave Stoss in a second. Um, Howard Finkel defeated Harvey Whippen in what could be the low point in wrestling television history. Not so much for the display in the ring, although that alone might qualify, but for the attitude by Vince McMahon that anyone would be crazy not to enjoy this embarrassing display of an out-of-shape out men rolling around the mat in their red briefs trying to take off what was left of their clothes as McMahon reveled in calling the display. At the being declared the victor, Finkel walked around the ring un unabashedly in his skimpy red briefs. Boxers would have been funny, but there's a reason for dressing rooms, or in this case, maybe bedrooms, and that's so the public doesn't have to see this type of display. What's worse? Well, because the match apparently ran short, Finkel had to parade around the ring in his briefs for several minutes to fill the live airtime as the Bushwhackers marched around the ring and fans around the building sat uncomfortably on their hands as McMahon, like a little kid, continued to have the time of his life. <laughs> And then so after commercial break, McMahon and Michaels filled more time until Jarrett came to the ringside and previewed his bout versus Brett on next week's Raw. Now, Dave, here's what Dave wrote. Well, and also Wade in his summation called it an abomination as well. Here's what Dave wrote about this. They rushed the live show so they had time for this match. <laughs> Actually, Finkel probably in his last Raw appearances he's been replaced as ring announcer, got his clothes torn off first, which was clear to victory anyway. Match only went 240 and was a living testament to what you can get people who have no self-respect to do on television. And it's about wow. the, he's called that the most embarrassing thing on television in a long time. Finkel marching with the Bushwhackers. It's too bad they didn't get this tape to the last taping so everyone could laugh about it at the Christmas party again this year. Is it the most embarrassing thing that's been on TV? 
like even at the time, even in retrospect, like we've seen worse stuff during the Attitude Era. But like in the first two years of Raw, there was like some weird like uh, Rob Bartlett skits where, you know, he's like dressed as Elvis and like people are throwing cake in his face. And Yeah, but this this is worse. I guess. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, this is worse because it's two people that, you know, that could be doing better things. I think I think that's the frustrating thing maybe in Dave and Wade's mind is – Finkel is such a great ring announcer, and Bruno, you know, has been a, around the business for a long time as a manager. And is a better manager than he got to show in that company, too. And it's the way they get treated here. And, and, and I think it's just it's, it's mainly, you know, how Vince acted about all this. You know, he was just having the time of his life. Like I said, his dick was hard. Well, I mean, also from Dave's perspective, I'm guessing Wade is coming from this perspective some, too, but just not as much – not as overtly, I should say. I think it's also the Howard Finkel bullying aspect that is really bothering them, and how this is just but a public even extension even of that. Have the time of his life, yeah, because he doesn't have any self-respect, like Dave said. Yeah, which I mean, you know, we've heard more and more over the years, and especially some since Howard's passed, that the the degree to which that went on, you know, to the point that he'd be in tears and stuff, and. Well, Dave was somebody that watched Dave, I guess the time before this, they had it at the Christmas party. Playing yeah. clips of, you know, so. All right, well, here's Wade's summation of Raw. Hope everyone involved in Raw had a good vacation because this definitely appeared to be the product of a staff just back from vacation. Not the worst Raw ever because the opener was a decent two-star effort. Dave gave it three and three quarters. Uh, before a two-year anniversary show and the Finkel Whippleman abomination notwithstanding, there was nothing to set this show apart as an anniversary show. No highlight clips, no raw music video, no reflecting on two years of angles and matches. Miss Lawler selling for an egotistical actor on a flop series, passing a celebrity interview. At least Jim Hurd, at least Jim Ross can't help but make things better. Jim Hurd and the Ding Dongs would be better. Well, yes, because Jim okay. Ross has just started as the new executive producer of Monday Night Raw. And an assistant booker. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> not not too thrilled about this television show, Wade Keller. <laughs> yes. Also, second time in the last few months that he's given an Owen Hart match, like, half the rating that Dave gave it. Because Dave gave the SummerSlam cage match five stars, and Wade gave it three. Yeah. We... At this time of who, you know, is telling Wade stuff. Uh, but I wonder if someone who was maybe just wasn't an Owen fan or maybe told Wade enough stories to sour Wade on Owen. You know, nobody says anything bad about Owen. You don't hear any stories about him being a piece of shit or anything else like that. The ribs notwithstanding. But do you think that could be the reason why that he has like some sort of like weird personal vendetta against Owen? I don't think it's that, but... I did just realize something, though, which is that the pretty much one bad thing, aside from the understandable Austin stuff that you ever hear about Owen Hart, which is the Conan Torch talk, that's conducted in August. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I doubt it, but, I mean, that's a thing there. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah. All right, so Raw... With all that going on, did a 2.8 rating, which is okay, but nothing special for an anniversary show with the first week without football competition. 
they were doing ratings that strong without hype shows and against the NFL. So Shatner didn't appear to mean a thing. Action Zone did a 1.7 and Mania did a 1.3. All right. Other uh, news and notes from the tapings. The Mantar, the Mantar, who was already doing jobs on the road this past weekend for Duke Dumpster Drossy, which shows how strong his push is going to be, was switched from being managed by Ted DiBiase to Jim Cornette, which is pretty much putting Cornette who also has heavenly bodies who do nothing but jobs and openers now in the role as the jobber manager. All right. Well, Mantar's debut, TV debut, took place on Superstars on the 7th. So let's uh, watch that, shall we? The Mantar. Welcome back, everybody. To, uh, welcome back. Is that the steering committee? What is, what is this? Don't get. Don't be afraid. Sit back down, my man. You can't what show that. is this? <laughs> What's it look like? <laughs> it looks like a half man, half beast. Hey, bingo! Oh, so no cornet on Superstars. What is a half man, half beast? The Minotaur. Yeah, let me hear that again. Half man, half beast. What is a half man, half beast? Yep. What do you call him, man? When wow. he, he worked, no, when he, no, when he worked this taping, I didn't put it in the notes. He yeah. was Minotaur. He was the Minotaur. And then Vince decided to change the name on a commentary. Yeah, he just, he just says, what did he call him? The Mantar? Yes. That's that's, was what, it, that, was uh, Steve DeSalvo the Minotaur in, yeah. uh, in NWA? Yeah, yeah, four years before this, yes. Yeah. Rob <laughs> Naylor favorite. Absolutely. Yeah, Mantar is a word. Just like body Don. The Mantar. <laughs> Mantar, that's right. Reptar? Weighing 214 pounds. Obviously, this individual is attempting to intimidate his Walter opponent. Slow? Is that Ricky Starks? Oh, Walter. What's kind of Slow? Is that his name, Slow? Well, that's how it's spelled. Walter Slow. A number of... Uh, Unusual, of slow. <laughs> unusual names and uh, unusual looking athletes here in this Mantar. Speaking of unusual looking, Mantar. Trying to wait a minute. Whoa, hey, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. He'll gore you. Watch it. Mantar entering the WWF Royal Rumble. And uh, it's all well and good to come out and intimidate an opponent. <laughs> Any guesses on where this was taped? It looks like a decent-sized building. Um, not sure. Don't look, all right? Supposed to? Um, I know it wasn't in my neck of the woods, uh, the Northeast. Uh, well, like, you know, Pennsylvania. Uh, could it be like a it Boston was, taping? It was in the Northeast. Okay. I'm going to no. guess, like, New, like, let's say the New England area, like a Boston, New Hampshire type place. You're kind of, you're, you're up a little too high. All right. This was taped in Newark, Delaware. Wow. At the Bob, Bob Carpenter, Carpenter Center. Center. Yes. Home Newark, of the, Delaware. Home of the biggest show in ECWA history, The Battle at the Bob. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're running TV tapings in venues that Jim Kettner would be promoting. Well, only once, though. I know, but still, that shows you where they were at in December 1994 when they taped this. Yeesh. All right, back to the clip before we, so we can see a little bit more. Like this. But can you get the job done? In the wrestling ring? Oh, what no face intimidation? Right. Oh, that's pretty intimidating right there, isn't it? That, that, that half 
beast head is just an extension of his personality. That's all it is. I have no doubt. He's not trying to intimidate anybody. Just yeah, like, right. you know, I mean, the guys here in the World Wrestling Federation are like Duke the Dumpster. He's a garbage man, so he brings a can to the ring, right? Yeah. Well, this guy, you're going to find out, is half beast. Well, look, look at, at that. this. Well, he's obviously very strong. Walter Slow scooped up a moment ago, and uh, this Mantar continuing to Walter drive Slow's the shoulder into the midsection of Walter Slow. Oh, how about that? Belly to belly suplex. Nice belly to belly. Obviously, he knows what he's doing in there. Mantar is Slow's a wrestler. Knee pads are down by his boots. And uh, entering the WWF Royal Rumble as a newcomer. No one knows anything about Mantar. Um, Who knows? He could have a. Uh, Use that as, as an advantage. That's right. It can surprise a lot of guys in that Royal Rumble. And speaking of a surprise, how about this Monday night? How about Howard Finkel against uh, Harvey Whippleman in a tuxedo match? <laughs> exactly what is a tuxedo match? Oh, hey, Walt, let, let me just describe what a tuxedo... Whoa, oh, look out. God. Let me describe what a tuxedo match is. Yeah. It's when Howard Finkel goes... Okay, oh, so to be clear, uh, Walter Slow does not appear to be trained. I was oh, going to say... No, he's not trained. Like this might be the most untrained wrestler you've you would see on WWF television post. Oh, Charles shit. Austin. This this is a perfect convergence of like the end of them using untrained jobbers and being fat and meant you were also really strong. Like that's the, the, the these are the two things that no longer happen after this match. Um, this may be the only match he ever worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the only match listed on History of W. In '94, let me check '95 just to make sure. Yeah, Walter, he. This is the only match he ever worked on the television. Walter Slow, if you're out match. there. Uh, no, he also worked a match against Jeff Jarrett at the Challenge tapings, which is the only entry for him on Pro Fight TV. Well, they don't have that on the uh, <laughs> History of W. Well, yeah, chat, the newsletters were not always tracking the challenge tapings well, so I could see maybe they have okay, like the week okay, by week TV uh, results. You say you were Je- Jeff? A year, uh, uh, yeah, at the, what okay, looks like yeah, the same Okay, cycle. they have as yeah. Walter. No wonder. This is another frustrating thing about these websites. They would have uh, different uh, versions of the na- same name. So you got Walter, Walter, Walter Snow, Snow yeah. in Liberty, New York. At the, at the Liberty High School, Joe. Well, what did they call that on TV, though? I don't know. Like the and Liberty then, uh, uh, Recreation Facility? And the thing is, they're flying fucking Mark Starr and Buck Quartermain up to these to these tapings from Florida. Do you think they're flying them or are those guys driving up, you think? They're not driving from Florida to Liberty, New York. Yeah. So take that. But anyway, all right, let's finish this off. <laughs> He has a page on Fandom Wiki for some reason on Pro Wrestling Wiki as Walter Snow. Oh, it's because he has the Internet Wrestling Database profile. Into the ring against Harvey Whippleman, and Howard Finkel will have on one ugly suit, and then he'll leave the ring in the ugliest suit he can ever wear. That's his birthday suit. That's the idea. You strip the tuxedo off of your opponent. Exactly. And that's how you're declared the winner? Certainly. I can't believe Slow's going to get up. He's going to get up, all right, and right back down. And you wonder if that's going to happen to Harvey Whippleman. Howard Finkel made body slam Harvey Whippleman this Monday night. you got to be kidding me. 
What does Howard Finkel do when he gets mad? I bet that little bald head of his turns bright red and it starts glowing and and then I can just see, oh. boom, I can just see Harvey Whippleman doing that to Howard Finkel. Uh-huh. And of course, Owen Hart. Wait a minute, here's a cover. And an easy count of three. An impressive uh, uh, first outing for Mantar. Okay. Uh, so, okay, watching the rest of the match. When Walter Slow or Snow or whatever is taking bumps, I mean, I was going to say it doesn't look that bad, but most of what he's taking is being controlled by Mantar. Yeah, like when Mantar had him up, like you see him like grab around the back, you know, like holding on for dear life almost, you know, and on every time that he's preparing for a splash, his arms are like perfectly at his side stiff. He adjusts his tights a little bit, but his arms like go right back to his side. You know, he's not really like selling. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing was that when he's like throwing clotheslines and he like just... He clearly does not know. I mean, what's the opposite he, of feeding, I guess, would be the way to put it. He's not good at that. He doesn't he, seem to he know He hit to the do. ropes okay. You he know? did. He knew how to grab the ropes, running the ropes. So it's like, maybe he's just like, oh, WWF's coming to town and someone who's been in our school for two weeks is going to get some extra work. Well, he wore two ta- well, the thing is, uh, he wore two, two sets of tapings. So he was in New York and Delaware. I think that was the same cycle of tapings, though. Yeah, it was, but I'm saying... Back-to-back nights. I mean, back-to-back nights. So they thought enough of him on the first night that they brought him back for a second night. Well, I don't think they care that much. But I'm just saying, though, I mean, Liberty, New York, to Newark, Delaware. Oh, boy. That is a three-hour and 41-minute difference. I can see it. So, there you go. All right. Uh, also, back to Houston. Debut on the card, some in trials, some in dark matches, where Chris Candido, comma, the Bruise Brothers, and the Spellbinder. Candido worked as a babyface with Barry Horowitz, who said to have been very nervous. And those familiar with him said they'd never seen him look more comfortable in the ring. Yeah, because he's a babyface. Kama was also a babyface, doing a shoot fighter gimmick, winning with the arm bar, but got no reaction. Spellbinder, who appeared to be a babyface, got the best reaction of all newcomers when he did his magic tricks. Bruce Brothers were called Jake and Elwood instead of Ron and Don. They were managed by Dutch Mantel, though he has a new name. They got little reaction. Oh, God, I can't Somebody believe I never realized before. That, no, I think maybe they did go by Jake and Elwood because it just hit me. Jacob and Eli. Jacob and Eli. That's where the names came yeah, from. I guess. At the Houston tapey, they had Shidja. Akio Sato did an interview saying how stupid all Texans were that they, that wasn't taped to make sure fans would boo Hakushi when he wrestled on the live Raw. As it was, they made little reactions. Says Hakushi's hot moves have been garnering cheers and a great mood when he was in WCW 1989. Rather than use him as a natural baby face, they want to do the Zeno bit with him. I love seeing hot moves in the uh, newsletter. <laughs> always, always, always makes me smile. No, my my favorite though is was it Raw magazine maybe that did a thing about Adrian Adonis. I don't remember why. I don't know if it would have been Russo or whatever, but like did a thing and they were talking about the end of his career and how like even, you know, I forget if they were talking about how he had lost weight or were saying it's heaviest, but whatever. But they said he went to the Japan and dazzled the crowds with quote unquote hot moves. (laughs) All right. We, we got the week after uh, corrections here that will, uh, 
shine a light on some of this stuff. All right, corrections from the last minute report we report we got on Raw. As aired on TV on the 16th, Brett actually pinned Jeff Jarrett. We reported DQ finish in a three-star match using the trunk spot reverse roll-up. William Shatner destroyed the roadie after the match. Brian Armstrong took great bumps for him in the seven. It really wasn't bad. It's a little Shatner did look better than a lot of the wrestling angles Dave's seen. He's 64 years old, but it's just so embarrassing. The weightlifter ran off King Kong Bundy. It wasn't Anthony Clark, but a guy named Mark Henry. Still don't know if Commons a face or heel because I was talking with a half dozen people who were at the tapings. Half thought he was babyface. Half thought he was a heel. He's programmed with Quang at house shows in February, so Dave guess that makes him a babyface. The Bruce Brothers are named Jacob and Eli Blue. Although the blue may be spelled Balu, B-A-L-O-U, or Blue, B-L-U, but they're never to be called the Blues Brothers, but Blue Brothers. Well, there's another little uh, twist to it. Dutchman tells Uncle Zebediah, Uncle Zebulon, probably the former, <laughs> although both names were used. Zebulon's right next to the town, right next to me on uh, in my town. They didn't have their gimmick ready, so they came out in their Bruce Brothers costume, but the three are doing a Hillbillies from Appalachia gimmick. Dick Murdoch was there doing an interview, and he's apparently going to be around for a while as a babyface, doing a legendary babyface gimmick a la Pedro Aguayo. Not really. I, yeah, I think he does what? He I does wish. the one heartbreak hotel with Sean, and then, like, maybe that's it? But that doesn't air. Yeah, but, like, I remember, like, reading about it. But, I like, I don't think outside of the Rumble, Dick Murdoch don't do anything after this. Is this when, when, is this the house show run where Razor's working with Backlund with Murdoch at ringside? Or is that a different thing? Hmm. It could be. But isn't... Aren't they, um, who's Diesel working on the house shows here? Because he's not working Sean. Uh, Jared. Okay. Yeah, because basically they realized the Backlund matches were so terrible, they needed to give Diesel a decent opponent. Um, right. So yeah, the Heartbreak Hotel was taped the next night in Corpus. Um, with Murdoch hearing Sean about. from the set. About, yeah, about to talk about that. Okay, wait, okay, looking at more of these. So at MSG, which is not on our week, on the 16th, Murdoch is in Duke Drosy's corner against Timothy Well. <laughs> sure, why then not? Then the Rumble, then in Philly is Razor Backland with Murdoch in Razor's corner, so now he's a heel, which apparently was Scott Hall asking for them to bring Murdoch along because he figured he could do shit with Murdoch. He's got a face! No, I'm saying Murdoch's a heel here now because if he's managing Backlund. Oh, I thought he was in Razor's corner. No, he's in Backlund's corner, and oh. that's. Uh, but there's only one result like that, and that's his last appearance. Okay. All right. Well, back to Houston. Also, oh, I just realized something. Take... We never talk about it this way. We talk about the Heavenly Bodies rock and rolls thing in '93. Dick Murdoch was on WWF and WCW pay per views within four months of each other in '95. Yeah. Tony Norris did the tapings before a tryout, but the only wrestler who got a dark match tryout not mentioned already was Randy Rhodes. How about that? Well, it's been a while since we've had a WCW, excuse me, a Dusty Rhodes uh, parody gimmick. So. And imagine if we got, like, the you know, Ahmed got the look here. He's at these tapings. He doesn't get the shot. You know, um, Michael Hayes, Doc Hendricks isn't in yet. He doesn't come no. in, like, until the summer. He's and that's Texas. around the time when bill watts comes in as well right no he comes in before watts 
He comes in after WrestleMania. Okay, so they got their eye on him, but yeah, okay, we could have got, you know, Ahmed a little bit earlier. Well, also, Michael yeah. Hayes at this point is only 35. <laughs> and working for uh, AWF and Global. Yes. Well, not Global anymore. Tony, uh, NWF. Well, Crockett. Uh, Tony Norris did a tape of the first. Oh, I read that. Uh, Superstar Stephanie and Corpus on the 10th, which drew us up without paper. Sean Michaels interview segments with Diesel and with Dick Murdoch, both ending with them chasing Sean away. Sean basically berated Murdoch for being old, and Murdoch threw him around and he ran off. All right, the Raw from this January the 2nd, first Raw of the year tape show. It's like Rilla Monsoon replacing in the vacationing, who Monsoon said was under the weather, Vince McMahon as host of Raw. Sean was on color once again, and he was the highlight of the program, Wade said. Mm-hmm. They show up with uh, the Ally Powers, Lex Luger and the Bulldog, fighting Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow to double count out. Bulldog arrived to the ring late, allowing the heels to double team Luger in the opening segment of the match. Luger weren't missing the match to hot tag the Bulldog led for a four way brawl ringside. So they were teasing that turn early, way early. Yeah, but they don't, like on commentary, Sean just makes a bunch of remarks about like, Lex is too focused on like getting his revenge on the the uh, million dollar man, the million dollar corporation, that sort of thing. They just kind of don't even acknowledge any of that sort of like dissension there this early. Yeah, weird. well, they're not even but really the Allied Powers yet, are they? Or oh no, they are, but they don't have the entrance music yet. That's what right. They don't have like the 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 combo entrance song and yet. the yeah, and so. the and the custom gear and stuff, right? Right, because this is the end of it, like the the December taping or whatever it was. It's the last set. Yeah. The crowd is just dead. This match stinks. Um, yeah, yeah. Todd Penton hosted a Royal Rumble update. He did an out of date Wayne's World impersonation. Even B with some butthead would not be considered old hat, but Wayne in 1995, what hype in the event? Two choice to be Mike Bell, clip air to comma. We're driving a motorcycle and working out in the gym doing a variety of disciplines. Owen was on Keen's court. He announced he's going to win the Rumble, win the title, and never lose it unlike his brother, the loser. Jeff Jarrett beat Put Quartermain. After the match, Jarrett said he finally sing on TV. When he's ready to sing Ain't I Great, he kept on the radio just to hide his microphone. When that finally situated, the feedback began, so Jarrett left the ring and discuss. By the way, uh, uh, real quick s- for reference, uh, Wayne's World 2 came out less than 13 months earlier. Well, to wait, it's old hat. Um, a promo aired with Super Dave Osborne for his new show on USA. Yes, can we please watch this? Sure. The great Bob Einstein, yes. Einstein. I thought it was Einstein. No, it's Einstein. Okay. There we go. Also, his brother is which Albert is Einstein. Albert, which is why Albert Brooks goes by Albert Brooks instead of yes. Albert Einstein. <laughs> why don't you tell us something about it? Well, it's the most exciting. Oh, wait, let me go back to hear the intro then, because the chapter mark started. Yeah, it's Gorilla yeah. Super Dave. Yeah. Anything I've ever. Double J out of here. We've got Super Dave Osborne standing by. Dave, I understand you've got a tremendous new show. Why don't you tell us something about it? Well, it's the most exciting thing I've ever done. I bought a hotel in Las Vegas called the Rio, and that's my home base. I'll be doing a big stunt every week, and it's going to be very unpredictable and very exciting. Well, Dave, that sounds great, but I understand on your first show, you got in a little trouble with a Las Vegas critic. Well, yes, it was a little argument, but these things happen. It was no big deal. 
Well, let's take a look. Listen, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people who love you. I mean, fans all over. You've got Chris. That's Jeff Garland. But Jeff I think Garland. going to be those yep, kids yep. who say, Super, you've been doing the same dumb thing for years. I mean, what you do is kind of silly, really. Sort of infantile. Kind of TV for idiots. With no real entertainment qualities. I mean, you don't have the class of a Murphy Brown or the hipness of a Larry Sanders. No one is going to confuse your supporting cast with the brilliant No, that's not Jeff Garland. It's a Super. Oh, on the side it is. Okay, I see. Yeah. Why some yeah. watch your show. Okay, I didn't know it was a question. No, that's not Jeff Garland. Any other questions? Are you sure about that? Yeah, I got a question, Dave. I Doesn't understand like your him. opening stunt that you uh, miscalculated a little bit. Well, yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a miscalculation. And there's my wall. You know, you try new things and you have slight problems. You don't mind if we show it. Why would I mind? You're going to have to look with a magnifying glass to see my mistake. Anyway, thank you so much for allowing me to talk about my new show and continued fantastic success. You're a wrestling Hall of Famer. Oh, I just wish you, I could Super. be there with you tonight. Wasn't talking to you, Sean. Yes, he was. Well, Super Dave's Vegas Spectacular will debut this Saturday here on USA, 10:30 Eastern, 9:30 Central. More tag action in a moment. All right, so yeah, uh, the opener because the opener didn't end with a decisive finish. They brought him back for the main event mm. where Davey Swamp to talk and then Bigelow's on the ring apron. Then covers to talk for a three count. The show ended with Luger and Bulldog posing mid ring. Strong point. Michael's color commentary is improving every week. Witty and hip. Mm. Weak point. Owens interview dragged. <laughs> oh, it's hard to get it. <laughs> is that Wade? Is that Wade sucking up to HBK with these? Uh, Witty and hip remarks. Well, he, he, he's not a fan of Owen Hart. That's no, that's for damn sure. You mean HBK, uh, who was it ninety four or ninety five that he ends up in the most powerful people in wrestling list in uh, the torch? Yeah. Um, well, Raw. I was just gonna say, is it me or did it seem like Super Dave was not actually talking to Gorilla, and that was all pre-taped? Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, let's just be glad he didn't uh, he didn't tell him the joke that Marty Funkhauser told Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I thought about just playing that and saying, "Oh, I found another Super Dave promo," but decided not to. <laughs> All right, uh, Raw did uh, a two point one rating against the Sugar Bowl, while Mania did a one point seven. That weekend, Action Zone was preempted. Okay. All right. Well, what? okay, so what do we credit with the increase in the ratings over the next three months? Because they go from doing a 2.1 on the first show of the year to multiple 3.9s in the spring. So they almost double the Diesel, audience. Diesel Sean feud, I guess. It, well, not no the football, feud, maybe? the face turn. Oh, LT. Could it be LT stuff? How much Possibly. did they usually drop for football in this era, though? I don't, I don't think this it much. Went, but still, I think Diesel Sean. I think Diesel Sean and LT. So you think the more the baby? So you think the Sean baby face turn? Maybe. Anyway, speaking of Diesel, Diesel, and uh, so on the Superstar Show, they were pipping up Brett and Diesel for Royal Rumble, and we get uh, two promos, two totally different styles of promos here. We get Brett surrounded by a dinosaur head. And uh, unshaven, looking rugged, and Diesel being the original Big Daddy Cool Babe face character. So let's go to the clip. 
I feel 100% and I've never, ever felt better. You know, I'm so happy about coming back into the ring this about. week. But you know what? The best news that I've got is the fact that Diesel being a jam up. That's not a dinosaur. That's an alien. Oh, excuse me, alien. Sorry. I'll actually tell you what it is when the promo's over. Okay. Champion is I know what a it clear is. shot in the Royal Rumble. One-on-one, it's going to be Diesel with his uh, jackknife. And the hitman, you know that I'll be bringing the sharpshooter. We're going to find out, Diesel, who is the best in the World Wrestling Federation. You know, on to other things this week. I can't wait to get in action because, Owen, you're the first one on my hit list. After I get done with you, brother, you're going to think that you've been paid a visit by this guy. You know what? The excellence of execution. Can't wait to get back in action. And in Houston, Texas, this Monday night, I'll be back on Monday Night Raw. Hey, Brett. Right. This is before you play the Diesel promo. Hang on. Much- that is a prop from the uh, horror movie Pumpkinhead. That's oh, the, that's the lead thing. Yeah, that's the lead thing from it because Brett's a big horror guy. And uh, Ray Winston, I guess, the guy who did like the special effects on like T2, that was his first directorial thing. Uh, Lance Hendrickson's a star. They did like a whole bunch of like directed DVD sequels for it. Uh, but for like for Brett to have like a full like torso prop of that on his wall while he's like shirtless wearing his leather jacket with a five o'clock shadow like it's given off such weird vibes but we did talk over brett calling diesel a jam up guy so uh, <laughs> just like LT. i love that but anyway. brett so brett so brett was so brooding and hot there with his a uh, beard his little beard going there and his uh no shirt on or his leather jacket well remember the stubble means that he's going to start bending the rules <laughs> and now we have a uh, sassy babyface Diesel here, so, uh, in front of a uh, Royal Rumble green screen. Yes, give you lately. Got to be bored. You know, listen real quick. Get a little closer, Brett. Come on up by the TV screen there. I'm going to do you a little favor since you're so bored. How about we play a little game? We got two weeks to the Rumble. Let's play a little game here. All right, I'm the game show host, Big Daddy Cool, and we're going to play. Word association. Know how it goes? I say something, you say the first thing. You got it? All right, here we go. Brett. I know what's your first name, Brett. No, that's not what... Okay. I got the answers here, so you got to, you know, bear with me. Now, I got Brett Maverick. Brett and Bart Maverick, the Maverick Brothers tag team. Huh? While back. Okay. And you were wrong. Okay, second one. Hitman. No, Brett. Ah, wrong again. Now, maybe in Alberta, you're the hitman. I grew up in Detroit, Brett. It's Tommy, the hitman. Hurts. Tommy, you know, the guy that got robbed by Duran. All right. Last one. I'll give you a couple more. Heart. I know it's your last. You play my game, right? I know it's your last name. I'll give that one to you, but I got Oh, heart attack? Heartache? Gotta roll it? How about heart to heart? How about you gotta have heart? Uh, I won't sing, but you know what I mean. All right. This is the bonus question, Brett. World Wrestling Federation Champion! <laughs> Brett, wrong again. Not you. Me. Big Daddy Cool. 
walking into the rumble with the gold, and brother walking out. See you in Tampa. You can practically hear it's... Vince off camera going like, ah, oh, that was terrible. Smile more. God damn it. You're a baby face. <sighs> well, I mean, that promo was terrible. <laughs> I can see I can see Vince watching that go, yes, we have got to shift gears here. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine how that made air. Like, we're <laughs> he's less than two months after winning the belt. He's cutting a promo not even in front of, like, his own logo. It's just in front of the Royal Rumble logo. Like, it could have even been, like, a generic WWF logo. And it went on forever. Um, I'm just – I just wish he mentioned Detroit-style pizza. Other than that, eh, not the yeah. best Big Daddy cool. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how good good he could he, – he was at times with that. But this was definitely not one of them. <laughs> no, this is definitely nowhere near as good as the promos from that first weekend as champion. Or the first weekend as yeah. face, I guess, would be the way to yeah, put th- it. Yeah, th- yeah, this is him kind of like trying too hard. Yeah, we don't need Big Daddy Cool doing bad Bob Newhart shtick. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, not good. So uh, there you go. Now you can see why Vince did, the, <laughs> did what he needed to do. Yeah, but, uh, I think I get it now. Yeah. All right, Action Zone return on January the 8th with Charlie Men gone. He was let go and asked Compton WCW looking for work. <laughs> uh, and Jim Ross was announcing one week only with Todd Pettengill. One week All only, huh? Were, yeah. All reports were the two had a bad lack of chemistry since Ross wanted to do wrestle commentary and Pettengill only wanted to crap bad jokes, which Ross wouldn't even acknowledge. Huh, JR you know, being grumpy on commentary and not uh, acknowledging his uh, commentary mates. That must be the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> Even though there's nobody better calling a match, at least in English, than Ross, he doesn't have the versatility of working with those who are there to get themselves running the product over as well as McMahon does. You know what? Because I actually have a link to it handy from an article I did recently. Let's watch the intro to that action zone. The action zone? Action zone. Ac- action zone. Shall we? Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the WWF Action Zone. I'm Jim Ross, and I'm a contest girl. Thanks for being with us. And Todd, what a way to kick off this week's broadcast. Man, it is going to be awesome. You can see it. You can hear the excitement from this capacity crowd. The British Bulldog, Danny Boy Smith, and they love it. Taking on King Bob Bundy with the Rocket Red Glare. What a one-on-one matchup. What a pathetic venue. That's the same venue where the uh, the January 2nd Raw was from. Yep. That was in Liberty High School. They did a double shot taping at Liberty High School. They taped Raw one night and challenged the next night. Wow. They there was a wow. They doing a double shot in the same building. There's a there's a high school that they would do in like ninety three ninety four in my area, uh, Carbondale High School, where they would do the Raw taping on the Monday and then they would do they they did the TV the next day. I mean, think about that. Good God. Uh, Charlie Mann going to WCW. Well, anyway, here's the, yeah, just, here's the rest of the shtick in the intro here. Hey, baby, you've been gone a long time. Well, you can reel out the baby aspect right. of it, but uh, it's great to be back in the World Wrestling Federation, especially just two weeks away from the WWF Royal Rumble. Can't wait to see all your 
action pictures. It's gonna be exciting. The money trail will yeah. yeah, but yes, they, they act like he's been on vacation and not fired. He was in Knoxville, right? That's where he uh, was on vacation? Yeah, he was setting up a new 900 number. Yeah. Well, wasn't Charlie Min the guy, the name that that dude in Casino gave uh, Joe, Joe Pesci when they was putting the vice to his head? <laughs> Charlie M. I don't think so. It's been a while since I've seen Casino. Very underrated. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, for the record, uh, uh, the raw taping is listed as sellout at Liberty High School. The Action Zone and Challenge taping the next day is listed as sellout many freebies. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. WSCD shows are available to dish owners at 10 a.m. Pacific on Friday mornings, as that's when they're being sent to Europe. God, I wish I had a big sellout dish. My brother did, but uh, I would have killed to have one. I could watch all this shit yeah. at different times and early and shit. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there should be a like general syndication feed too. But yeah, I mean, uh, it was from a few years earlier. But when uh, he was on here before, Roy Lusher talked about watching the feed of the shows being sent to Sky Sports. Yeah, and that's how we watched Body Stars. Yeah. All right, house show, Winnipeg at Winnipeg Arena on January 6th from a 6500. Bushwickers defeat the Heavenly Bodies in the opener. Hakushi beat 123 Kid. Shawn Michaels at a Heartbreak Hotel. He interviewed himself. It was said to receive a great response from the crowd, half loving him and half hating him. King Kong Bundy, King Kong Bundy defeated Adam Bond. King Kong Bundy. Is that, is that what Ernie Lay <laughs> calls him? <laughs> yes. Uh, Diesel defeated Bob Backlund with Shawn Michaels to retain the title. Michaels said to be outstanding at ringside. Quang beat Doink. British Bulldog beat Owen Hart in the best match of the night. The crowd was pro Bulldog, anti Owen, just as WF would want. In the main event, Undertaker defeated Irwin R. Shyster. After the match, Bundy came down, and he and Owen and a Drew would be on Undertaker for a while. Then Undertaker chased them all to the back. The president didn't have the capability in Winnipeg to gradually turn on the lights as when Undertaker raised his arm. <laughs> A light switch was a light switch was flicked and went from dark to full lining. He was wow. just super powered. Maybe he raised his arms real quick, you know? Hmm. Maybe. And how dead in the water is a baby face is Adam Bomb if he's losing to King Kong Bundy already on house shows? Yeah. Mm. In, in, a rarity, in a rarity for shows in the U.S., every match on the card and in the pinfall. Huh. Now, are Quang and Doink both? Is that the only match we've ever seen between two wrestlers whose names should be verbs? <laughs> um, Maybe. Oh, as for uh, the Hakushi Diary, my physical condition is not good due to my anxiety with all the traveling. When I got to the hotel, I slept until it was time to go to the arena. I felt uneasy before the match. As expected, the match was awkward. The fans' reaction to me was not good. I was out of breath in the middle of the match. And although I was, I still have a lot to improve, Mr. Saito, uh, Sato. Mr. Sato. Yes, it says Saito here. Gave me a warning afterwards not to do Japanese style anymore. I needed to retrain my mind. Yeah. Hakushi went to Turkey. Having a strong match at the house shows. Where Hakushi didn't want newcomer on the road, getting over a little bit and giving strong push. Aside from Minotaur. Also new to the road this past week was Henry Goblin, who was splitting matches with Bob Holly. 
a humorous incident on the road when they went to Dallas on January the 8th when Jimmy Del Rey whipped one of the bushwhackers to the ropes and came off using Iron Claw. After the bodies lost, Del Rey and Pritchard did their mock breakup with Del Rey complaining that Dallas the Claw is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Yuck, 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 yuck. That's a fun bit. Yeah. According to a wire service story, a violence code has been developed for Canadian pay-per-view services. Violence theft is, is conditional on approving assistance for classifying programs by an action group on violence on television. When it goes to effect to a banned programming that is believed to promote violence or contains gratuitous violence, shows containing violence intended for an adult audience will not will be allowed to air between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. They suspect any wrestling review containing juice or UFC would, based on this, have to air after 9 p.m. Oh, those wacky Canadians and their standards. And the CRTC and all that. Yeah. yeah. But WWE wasn't well, and again they're saying UFC or UFC, but yeah, like WWE hey. is practically bloodless at this point, right? Yes. Well, it's a, well pay-per-views sometimes things happen, but yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, not till the end of the year. Not. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think the like. I'm trying to think a '94 pay-per-view, early '95 pay-per-view where there's blood, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Me neither. No. The New York Daily News this past week in an article about USA Network being the top cable network when it came to ratings this year listed that wrestling on USA was being wrestling on TBS by 30% and being near 1993 numbers by 14%. In actuality, as of the end of November, WF averaged 2.03 and WCW 1.92, giving WF a 4.9% lead. WF averaged 2.05 in 1993, 2.15 in 1994. Says hardly an increase of 14% over the past year. Huh. Okay. I found the article, um, not long, let's see, by uh, Richard Huff, Daily News staff writer, USA's A Superpower in the Cable World 2. Critics can laugh all they want at USA Network's original movies, but people are watching the network and USA has the ratings to prove it. Indeed, USA finished 1994 as the top-rated basic cable network in prime time. That makes it five straight years. USA is either one or tied for the top spot. The cabler finished the year averaging a 2.3 cable rating. Percentage of the 62 million TV homes wired with USA. Where are we at now? What are we, like, because it went up to over 100 and now we're down to what, like 75? Something like that, right? Um, Representing an average audience of 1.433 million homes. About the same as the year before. WTBS was number two with a 1.9 down 17%. uh, Most attributed to the baseball strike. And, okay, the wrestling part. Well, before we get to the wrestling part, actually. USA Silk Silk Stockings finished 1994 as the highest-rated original drama on cable, with ratings 14% higher than for the previous year. Now the wrestling. Also, USA's pro wrestling shows were up 7% year-to-year, topping TBS's pro wrestling by 30%. So in the notes here, where it says the 14%, that's what Silk Stockings is up, because you said... WF was up seven on the year, right? Yeah. Eh, again, listen, it's it's up. WF numbers are up over WCW right now, you know? Hmm. Things would change in about nine months, but again. So, yeah. All right, Um, to the torch. There was fear for a while that heat would develop between Jim Cornette and Vince McMahon for McMahon's hiring of Chris Candido and Tammy Fitch valuable players in the Smoky Mountain roster. Apparently, a phone call was made to soothe any possible tension. 
Tammy has begun her role as announcer in event centers, replacing Charlie Mann in that role. This weekend on some local event centers, Tamara Murphy began making slight heel comments. She referred to a tag match as Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka versus British Bulldog and Lex Loser. I don't recall Tammy as the event center host being like even slightly heel. Well, maybe it was in certain markets. Wade is yeah. saying it only aired in certain markets. Yeah, some event centers. Well, live event news, but yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder if she's doing that in smoky markets. That's what I could I can only imagine. And then the heat between Jim Cornette and Vince McMahon. Wasn't Jim employed by Vince at the time and like Yeah. Well, he's I not not full time though. He's only working but TVs. Got... The bodies are full time. Yeah, but... yeah. Now there are rumors of an angle that introduced Chris Candido's babyface team Alda Montoya, who's upset at one two three kid. Dave Magazine began storyline by saying Montoya's mad at Kid for joining with Bob Holly. Wait, Dave doesn't know nowhere. at this point, though, that the magazine and the storylines have nothing to do with this each other? This is way... Oh, wait, way sorry. Days. But still, like, Russo is not in creative meetings for like a year and a half just to even sit in and listen. Yeah, I was going to say, Russo oh. going into business for himself in the magazine, creating storylines, hoping that somebody picks up on them. And here, if somebody's picking up on them, it's just not anyone that matters in, you know, getting something on the air, you know? Yeah. Yes. And so Candido and Tammy, they would do the dark as team spirit, Chris spirit and Tammy spirit. Uh, with the cheerleader gimmick, and that doesn't go anywhere, and then we get the body donnas. And I remember in, like, the aftermags around this time, they were saying that Chris was leaving Smokey, and in the aftermags, they were even saying that he was going to come into the WWF as a Mighty Mouse character, which we would, like, learn years later, Vince and his Mighty Mouse fetish that he has, that he wants that <laughs> character who's, like, the little guy who's like super strong and stands up for whatever. But imagine Candido making it onto TV and WWF as a baby face. Oof. As a, as a baby face that they would want. Yeah. That yeah. Was, that it's was. like, yeah, yeah. I've never understood what that a mighty want. mouse character was supposed to mean in this context though. And again, I think in Vince's idea, it's, it's someone who is small and like everyone is like, Oh, they wanted him to be like, have like they, so many people took it literally. And I think in Vince's mind, it's just someone who's small, like a shorty G type character would be like the most recent example of it. When Chad Neville, shorty G. well, yeah, Neville, Neville, Neville with Neville. the cape was the last time we heard. Yeah, it. and Neville, you know, it's someone who's small and muscular and stands up to like big bullies, you know. And I think oh, that's oh, just, we forgot the other recent, a, more recent name it got associated with Henry Cejudo was the other one. Yeah, yeah, UFC fire. Oh, okay. Didn't happen. And then again, it's just like even 1995 when Vince is pitching this and then years later, like, you know, there was the the story about when he was trying to figure out what the New Day wanted to do. He was trying to, like, explain to them who Flip Wilson was, you know. So Vince never had, like, the most contemporary of references. Uh, no. Yes. Stand with a torch. Jim Ross, who had been a co-host of Atlanta Weekend Sports Talk Show before being hired by WAF. He was apparently flying a Titan right after Smoky Mountain TV tapings on Monday night in what might be his final taping for Smoky Mountain. There is a chance that he will continue to fly in for Smoky Mountain tapings. And he does at least the next taping because that's Tim and Eddie Gilbert, right? Well, does this one. Or did that happen yet? 
Or is that this one? That's the one Dave's talking about. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Is that his last taping, though, or is... Yeah, yes, it's his last taping. Okay. Because it spreads out over many weeks, so... Right. Yes, and we get some wonderful false advertising out of it. Ah, yes. The promotion via on cable channels for Raw Raw Rumble is based more on Pamela Anderson than on wrestling. Then again, the previous ones were based on Leslie Nielsen and Chuck Norris, respectively, rather than wrestling. Anderson will accompany the winner of the Royal Rumble to the match at WrestleMania. Yeah, they built... And it's true! I just realized, well, no, five, they built like six pay-per-views in a row around celebrity stuff to varying degrees, and at least four where it was the main focus. Right, it was one thing for WrestleMania to have it, but to have, you know, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble... Art Donovan. I don't think there... Was Art Donovan like a selling point like on TV no. at a time, or did he just show up? The no, day they of? like no, they mentioned they had him on TV a little. Hmm. I take yeah, it. but it wasn't the it wasn't the main thing. Like no, like Chuck Leslie Norris, Nielsen, Leslie Nielsen, yeah. LT, you know those those guys. So, Vince Man <laughs> to get several of those wrestlers into a Baywatch show with a wrestling theme, but was turned down. Yeah, because they went with WCW instead. <laughs> a win for WCW. But this is after Sean has already appeared on Baywatch because they showed the photo of him and Pam on the set together. On Raw. Yes, that is true. Yes, that's true. And speaking of Sean, as we close out, Sean Michaels made a crap a few weeks back on Diesel saying he looked like the Cowardly Lion, and then when he gets a hold of him, he'll knock him back to Oz. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> There you go. I, I I'll just throw this out there. I want an Oz uh, Mattel Elite figure of Kevin Nash. I know they don't have like they can't call him Oz, but like the look, I want that look of a figure for uh, a toy. <laughs> it's kind of surprising it hasn't been done yet, but maybe Nash. I don't know if Nash would have requested it not done. I don't know. Yeah. I'll take uh, a Vinny Vegas under protest. Now you know? that's a different story. I'll, I'll give me the Vinny Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take that. Or Master Blaster. Oh. <laughs> well, the Master Blaster, I think, um, there might have been... A uh, talking Master Blaster saying, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or that, or, or, wait, what's the... Uh, I was going to say, the, 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 the thing that Master Blaster still is most noted for saying. How about coffee? I don't have it in the soundboard <laughs> I was hoping anymore. it was on the soundboard. No, I have to find it again. I keep forgetting to do that. I don't have that. It, it, it wore out its welcome anyway. All right, Joe, be back with us later as we go to international now. Start with Japan, Land of the Rising Sun, All Japan Pro Wrestling. First show in the new year was All Japan show on January 2nd at Cork and Hall, the annual Battle Royal on top, which was won by Dr. Def Steve Williams when he pinned Mr. Masawa after three backdrops. It appears Dan Croft and Doug Furness are getting a push to the next level as they defeated Stan Hansen and Johnny Smith. Well, maybe. Actually, no. They're not getting that next level push which is why they leave. In the first of the round, Raman matches for the all-Asian tag titles. Ryukaku Izumita and Timon Honda upset the Fantastics. And Tommy Dreamer, who began to push later in the tour as Stan Hansen's tag partner, debuted in the opener, beating Mighty Inoue. The six-man main event saw Yoshinarigawa, Akiratawa, and Toshiro Kawada go over Mr. Hamasawa, Junakiyama, Tarasako, and Kawada, Pinakayama, 2101. All right, results of the show. Dreamer over Mighty Inoue, Ruka Egan and Masafuchi over Rush Kimura and Miswa Momoda, Rukaku Zamina and Timon Honda over The Fantastics, Giant Baba and Takao Omori over Abdul the Butcher and Kamala 2, 
Can-Ams over Hanson and Johnny Smith. Dr. Death and Johnny Ace over Kitakabashi and Shoshikakuchi. Kawana Tawanagawa over Masaki Yamanasako. And then Dot went in the Battle Royal. Then we go the next day. Back at Corkin again, of course. 2100 sellout. Dreamer over Izumina in the opener. Fantastic over Kentaro Shiga and Yoshinari Ogawa. Junakayama Takamori over Totoro Sako and Shoshikakuchi. Giant Baba and Rush Kimura and Mitsuo Omoto over Bani Inoue, Haruka Egan and Masafuchi. And uh, Can-Ams over Abdul Butcher and Kamala 2. Ogawa won the Junior Heavyweight Battle Royal. Then we had Dr. Def and Johnny Ace over Stan Hansen and Johnny Smith. And Mitsuo Masawa, Kitakabashi and Timon Honda over Akira Tawe, Toshikawara and Masao Inoue in 25-22. And then had TV taping in Kochi on the 5th on the 3rd 200. This might in a way beat Monica Mossman. Fantastic over Shiga and Ogawa. Satoru Sako Shoshikuchi over Tommy Dreamer and Johnny Smith. Giant Baba, Rush Kimura, Mizuomoto over Izumita, Egan, and Fuchi. Johnny Ace over Jun Akiyama in 2257. Doc and Doug Furness, that's a team, over Ab- Abby and Kamala 2. Kawada Tawe and Kawada Tawe over Takama Mori and Timon Honda. Mr. Hamasa and Kenokabashi over Stan Hansen and Dan Crawford. And Dave knows that they, Furnace and Crawford, continued their putting push, remaining unbeating as a team on this tour in mid and high mid card bouts. Bix, any thoughts on uh, these shows here and everything going on in All Japan? Has Dreamer ever said anywhere how he got this tour? I'm guessing it's possibly through, through the Funks. That was you know, what I was they're... thinking, yeah. I mean, you know, Terry's not there, but Dory still had some pull, so... Yeah. That's uh, what I'm thinking. Trying to think what else is on here. I mean, the Dreamer thing, even at the time, was weird, though. You know, especially based on how his image is changing in ECW, and here he's just kind of this vaguely pushed prelim foreigner here that never appears again. I think the reason why he did, doesn't appear again is because of the whole thing with uh, ECW and his change. And he's now starting to get this major push in ECW, which I wonder if that has an effect on that he doesn't want to leave. Maybe. You know, it's possible. But, I mean, it, shit, if I was going to be Hanson's tag partner or possibly have that chance, shit. I don't care what goes on. I mean, that's that's good money. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what Tommy's uh, deal was here. I haven't heard him say anything about why it only basically was this one tour. So, yeah, I don't know. By the way, did you see that clip on Twitter of Giant Baba singing a lullaby to his wife at, at the event where he finally revealed that they'd been married for 12 years or whatever it was? Yeah. Not as good as that photo of him with his must with that fake mustache that I put up. This handlebar, blackjack <laughs> baba, and I, I guess I'll go ahead and tell the story about that because I never really did it on Twitter. Um, baba was on some New Year's Eve show in um, like eighty five, eighty six. He was playing. Uh, it was on some deal. He was playing a school principal. That was his role, and he had and that was uh, the principal had that handlebar mustache. So there you go. That's why he had Giant Baba uh, with that mustache in that picture that I found. Hmm. 
I don't know. I'm kind of partial to this. So what year did they get married, and when did they go public? <laughs> oh, me. Giant Baba was the, uh, like the, the bass voice in a doo-wop group. Yeah. Okay, so this is 83. Baba. They got married in 71. 12 years. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, and also, when you think of... Go ahead. To keep it quiet for that long? I mean, good lord. That's like some some Janet Jackson shit. <laughs> but also, when you think of wrestlers who whose success was dependent on them being seen as available bachelors, you think of Giant Baba. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he, you look at him in the 70s, he had that head full of hair. I mean, he was a... He was a ladies' man. We see how he dressed. And good lord. So, anyway. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Lots of news coming out of the Tokyo Dome show. Most reports indicate overall the five and a half hour show was average to a little better than average. The general consensus was at the Steiners versus Hiroshi Hase and Keijimudo. By the way, we had this Hase opinion Scott for the fall when Dave believed he was actually Rick when he got the, the quick results. Was in the three and three quarter to four and a half star range. That match in the senior Hashimoto Kinsuke Saki IWGP title match, three and a quarter to four and a quarter, the, where picks is the best match. Sabu and Masuyo Chono against Tatsumi Pujanami and Junji Arata was pretty well three and a half stars across the board. New Japan was thrilled with the return of Hiroshi Tenzan in the match with Madama Nakanishi to the point they are giving Tenzan a title shot of Hashimoto on February 4th in Sapporo, pushing the idea that at 23, Tenzan's the youngest wrestler in New Japan history ever to challenge for the World Heavyweight title. Since Tenzan looked even bigger than Nakanishi, the joke is that Otto Vance may have not helped him in his wrestling ability, but he sure showed him the right directions to the pharmacy while he was in Austria. <laughs> Uh, okay, so since now we've had that comment in context, should I find the uh, should I find the uh, response from a few weeks later? Yes. Well, um, keep going. While Tenzon, I, look at that. I mean, well, Tenzon gets this big push when he comes back. Um, this is where everybody's fighting for his services. The Heisen Gun, uh, New Japan's regular army. Murder Inc. and you know, and then that that leads to him joining Murder Inc. and that really pissed off everybody, prompting a huge you know, faction war, which just kicked fucking ass in uh, 1995 in Japan. So, yeah. All right, here we go. So this is All from right, the uh, January 30th Observer in the Reader's Pages. A subject heading: Hiroshi Tenzan. I'm very upset with your comment on page 19 of the January 16th issue concerning Hiroshi Tenzan being introduced to the pharmacy while in Austria. I'm quite sure that Otto Vons would be absolutely furious that this comment was made using his name. I also find this is a very derogatory statement and insist it be retracted immediately. 
For your information, Hiroshi Yamamoto has been on a very strict training program for the past two years, along with a special diet to build up his body and put the weight on him. The young man trains several hours per day and takes much pride in the results of his hard work. He is very dedicated to his profession and does not need stupid comments like this to damage his image. I feel you should apologize to both Wands Wans and Hiroshi. Signed, Joe Daigo, a.k.a. Tokyo Joe, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Dave Meltzer. The comment was meant as a joke, particularly in using Otto Vons' name. But since he was offended by it, I apologize. If Hiroshi has never used steroids, I apologize about that remark. If he has, that's another story. <laughs> so, that Tenzan was just bulkier, at least. Let's talk about that. He was bulkier. Yes, and well, he was very skinny when he left, too. Yes. And also, he's, he literally, out. he's literally just come back, because he was still in Germany and Austria for the Eurocatch Festival a couple weeks earlier. Yeah. Yeah. The BVD martial arts tournament was said <laughs> to have been horrible. Even worse than the Hot Scott Norton match. The worst match on the show was Sting versus Tony Palmora. Palmore. Which was said to have been embarrassing, although not due to Sting at all. Palmora... It builds the protege of karate star Eddie Monster Man Everett from the 70s. Oh, great. So he actually gets both of their names wrong. It's not Monster <laughs> Man Eddie Everett. It's Monster Man Everett Eddie. <laughs> was actually a Bart Vale, former UWF-PWG wrestler, who actually had a story written about him in Sports Illustrated, which said his UWF-PWG matches in Japan were real. Student from Florida. Palmora's punches were pulled, so pulled it was horrible, and he was described as worse than Leon Spinks. Antonio Noki versus Gerard Gordeau was better, but still bad. Described as like a work version of a USC match. Anoki versus Sting was said to have been terrible, with Anoki not doing a thing. Selling a leg from the Gordeau match, and Sting controlling the entire match until Anoki got a sleep out of nowhere. Of course. As for the other matches, Shinjiro Tani's UWA title defense against Samurai was said to have been very good with hot moves. But, Samurai, but Otani did show weakness in transitions. Norianaga's IWGB Junior Title Defense against Great Sasuke was good, but up to the quality of most Sasuke matches. Originally, Sasuke was going to win the title in this match, but New Japan changed plans when Sasuke dropped the independent junior title to Riki Fuji on the FNW show on December 20th in Nagoya. New Japan felt that by doing the job for a wrestler the quality of Riki Fuji on an FNW show, they could put him over for their world title. Outstanding. <laughs> Way to go, Sasuke. Now, this guy's supposed to be an Anoki disciple. He's, a, I mean, he's a, he worships Antonio Anoki. And he's jobbing the Riki Fuji before the Tokyo Dome match. He's going to get the IWGP Junior title. What the fuck? Do you think he knew he was getting the title? I gotta think he did. Well, also, there's the politics, not just that he's an FMW garbage promotion guy or whatever. It's that he's a guy who, I forget, did he... Did he leave the New Japan Dojo before graduating, or did he graduate and then leave? I don't think he. I don't think he graduated. So there's also all that he's considered. Yeah, it, he wasn't he a dojo the... runaway, so to speak, but he was still a guy who was considered someone who was lesser because he had abandoned the dojo. Yes. So. Uh, well, actually, maybe. Well, okay. Should we talk about this once we get up into it in the running order? Because I did pull up yes. uh, the Sting Palmore video if, to take a look real quick, since that is the winner of Worst Match of the Year at the end of the year. 
Uh, and it's about the show being large, fair by a large considered fair at average. Overall, the promotion was thrilled with drawing a sell of sixty-two thousand five hundred. Uh huh. On a on a rainy day, with a lineup that hardly seemed on paper strong enough to garner a crowd that large, which is more of a testament than just how strong the tradition aspect of the January Tokyo Dome show has become. The only gate figure we received was six point eight million dollars, which is an all-time record. Although that number includes both merchandising at the show and television network broadcast rights, but not eventual video sales. So the actual live ticket gate was probably about four point eight million. You just had to claim it as an all-time world record for pro wrestling, which it is. Outside Japan, the largest gift pro wrestling was the 3.45 million set for the Hogan Warrior Mansion, Sky Dome, but that's been topped now probably by four Tokyo Dome shows. Jushin Liger and Akira Hokuto did color commentary for the Dome television shows. Hokuto being put in that spot shows just how over and well-respected she's become in the last few years and how well-accepted women's wrestling has become as well because a few years ago, they would never have dreamed of putting a woman wrestler in that spot. She was actually scouting Kensuke on this show. That's what this. That's what's going on here. All right. Uh, full results. Chinjiro Tani retained UWA Junior Heavyweight Title pinning El Samurai to Dragon Suplex in fifteen seventeen. Hanaga retained IWGP Junior Title pinning Great Sasuke in fourteen thirty nine with the Lama Hisstral. Great Kabuki defeated. Akira Nagami, Takuki Azuka, and Osamu Kido in 13-12, and Kabuki pinned Nagami with a clothesline. Koji Kanemoto returned from the United States and pinned Yuji Nagata in 14-4-3 with a senton off the top rope. And this is the beginning of Kanemoto becoming one of the best workers in the world. So this uh, was the trip to Florida for him? Yes. I thought that was later in 95, but I guess not. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshi Tenzan returned after his lengthy stay in Europe and pinned Manaba Nakanishi with the finishing maneuver called the Mountain Bomb in 740. Tiger Jeet Singh and Tiger Jeet Singh Jr. Tiger Ali Singh defeated Shiro Koshinaka and Mishiyoshi Ohara in 1123 when Singh used the Cobra Claw on Ohara. In the first round of the BVD Martial Arts Tournament, Sting made American kickboxer Tony Palmore, P-A-L-M-R-E this time, Submit to the Scorpion at 429, Bix. All right, let's check this out. Um, and whoever uploaded this to YouTube, which is, this person does not necessarily seem to be a native English speaker, said he's Tony Palmo. Yes, and surprised it's still on YouTube because it's New Japan. Yeah, me too. あの、ブレディアマシンなんですけど、アメリカンプロレス。はい。えっと、なんと、ショートビオソ、十分にあって。え。そういうプロレスがね、はい。あ、この体を、やるってことはね、もうちょっと興味あると思うんですよね。で、
Yes. As a regular match. Necessary? I don't. I was don't this know. necessary? これはもう自分のそのプロレス人生における、またあらかな分野を開拓。Who's こういうふうにご覧になりますか。まあ、僕もですね、スティングがですね、どうあの、石田君で初めて戦うかですね。で、あの、WCW と新日本プロレスが正式にまた結果的に。ガッドレスティングイズトライングとテイクイズアリアス
getting that wrong on the first try. And Shinya Shimoda retained WGP heavyweight title, pinning Kinsuke Saki in 1936 with the Fisherman's Buster. Eric Bischoff was at the show and made the announcement in the ring that WCW and New Japan were going to do more talent exchanges in 1995. The two sides signed a new deal, which will probably include more WCW talent on the big shows in 1995. And possibly the Steiners and Road Warriors, along with Hase, Muto, Liger, Norton, and Benoit, working on WCW pay per views in 95 as well. Well, some of that happened, some of it didn't. Let's just say that he didn't need people with much respect for the state of American wrestling business. Actually, the comment was along the lines of, our marks know more about wrestling than this guy. <laughs> Nevertheless, be it as it may, because of negotiating leverage provided by UWFI wanting to get the deal, Bischoff was able to get a figure in excess of $750,000 for WCW's talent rights. I'm good for him. Well, we have a letter from an Observer reader about this right here, titled Tokyo Dome. It's 5.15 p.m. as I sit in the Tokyo Dome. Sting's on his way out for his match with Tony Palmora. Just moments earlier, Eric Bischoff made an announcement that the number one wrestling organization in America has just signed an agreement with the number one wrestling organization in Japan. Bischoff proceeded to do in two minutes what even Herb Abrams couldn't do. He made me sick. Up until that announcement, I had enjoyed one fantastic All Japan card. Dream matches with a barbed wire baseball bat match featuring the Texas Hangman and the best barbed wire match I've ever seen with Tracy Smothers, Terry Funk, Katniss Jack, and a flaming chair. The fact that I still have two FMW shows left had me really excited. Then Bischoff struck. In December 26th issue, you printed a letter from me where I said how in Japan I was never made to feel ashamed of being a wrestling fan. My intelligence was never insulted in Japan. Can you imagine how I felt after that announcement? All the fans around me were laughing, pointing at me, making me feel that somehow I'm responsible for how horrible they know American wrestling is. How can Eric Bischoff say that here? There are more people in the restrooms right now than there were people in the last time he tried to run a show at the Omni. And he tries to act like his company is America's best at on their level? Is it a coincidence that almost all the best American workers are all in Japan this week? Signed, George Mayfield, Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> Sounds I like mean, George. Yeah, but it's... <laughs> of course he's going to call WCW the number one promotion in America. Yeah. I mean, of course. Mm-hmm. He's not going to say they're, the, they're, num- they're number two. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's... It's just too much for some, from some fans. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, uh... I see you did not, uh pull any of the Chris Aviza stuff from the torch here. No. There's something I made sure to look up. And that is Chris Aviza's comments. Uh, excuse me. Chris Aviza's column where he gives his, not just his thoughts on the Tokyo Dome, but some quotes on how the show went from Sabu. Now, this may be Sean. familiar to those of you who have heard the Fuck Sabu Patreon series, but I have to read this here. So, this is the, the second section of his uh, dome column. With the December jump of Sabu to New Japan from FMW, his teaming with Masahiro Chono against Tetsumi Fujinami and Junji Harada created a good deal of stateside interest. Chono and Sabu prevailed in an 11-minute match, with Chono pinning Harada. Several people at the dome rated it a three-and-a-half-star effort, but Sabu has far higher standards for his own work. I did not have a good match, Sabu told me via telephone a day after the event. I could not do my stuff the way I wanted to. He went on to explain that it was only the second time he wrestled in New Japan, 
December 24th against Shiro Koshinaka was the first, and the first time against either of their opponents. He mentioned problems of miscommunication, an occasional lack of cooperation that messed up certain spots in the match. Near the finish, I come off the top to leg drop Harada on a table in the ring, said Sabu. He's supposed to move, but he doesn't. I try to adjust for it in midair, but it just doesn't look good. He then jumps right up and clotheslines me. There were stuff we were going to do that we didn't do and other stuff that changed during the match. Sabuth said he thought he was being tested by both men since the work was very stiff at times and bordered on shooting. Sabu, who was noticeably hoarse, explained why. Harada hit me with a clothesline that was very stiff. Nearly took my head off with it and it messed up my windpipe. Fujinami seemed to be half shooting with me, excuse me, half shooting on me with some mat wrestling and he seemed surprised when I took him down. Sabu has nothing but the highest praise for both New Japan and the men who run the promotion. They're treating me like a major leaguer, placing a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. Sabu went on to say that he and Chono are being portrayed as the two rebels who were thrown out of their respective promotions. Sheik threw me out of FMW and Choshu kicked Chono out of New Japan. The idea is to combine both of us as a team. Both will be main fixtures in the new Heisei Ishingun promotion, which is actually an offshoot of New Japan. Sabu alluded, also alluded that Chono may be coming to the USA to further their affiliation. Could you imagine Chono showed up in ECW Arena? <sighs> and, you know, there's more like Sabu saying that uh, the reports that he has a six-month contract in New Japan are false, but he just gave them a six-month verbal commitment. And he openly talks about potentially going back to uh, FMW um, it, because he would like to be able to save the company that gave him his big break. Which is an interesting thing to say before Onida's even gone. Yeah. Also, he does put over New Japan for flying him first class because he's still recovering from the neck injury. But shoot an on him, huh? No. Sabu, I'd like you to meet Vampiro. Vampiro, Sabu. <laughs> I don't know what's comments are silly, or George Mayfield or Sabu. Well, as we know, I'm the Sheik's nephew. Of course I'm a fucking shooter. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the Dome Show before we move on? Um, It's weird looking at how things have changed now, 28 years later. I mean, granted, this started like a good decade or so ago, but... Where, you know, the junior matches are the prelims, Ipolo stuff that is not nearly as big a deal, realistically. Um, whereas now, the last several years, you know, now that the Dome shows are... You have your casual fans, but still, it's much more of a wrestling crowd. And it's much more of a showcase wrestling show. You know, the junior title matches are right at the top of the card, generally. Yeah, usually sometimes even like semi-main or third from the top. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that New Japan on the Dome shows had a template for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. And it changed when guys that were junior heavyweights became the bookers. Yes. <laughs> Funny how that works out, isn't it? Yes, although for some reason, the this... Noted tag team also completely de-emphasized the tag team division when they became the bookers. So, who knows? Yeah. 
Antonio Pena was wasn't at the show, giving each fan the word that he had to stay in Mexico because of all the business problems locally related to the devaluation of the peso. Yeah, I would hope so. Sabu was signed the word twelve weeks, but they will mainly be for high seas going feeding with Shiro Koshinaka and only were the major New Japan shows. Sabu and Tasmaniac appear to be pushed as the top foreign tag team in that promotion. Sabu's Michigan business partner, John Pee Wee Moore, will also live in the Heiseishigan Dojo and will learn their business and referee for them. So there was even a Heiseishigan Dojo? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's yeah, Sabu's business partner, Pee Wee Moore. He didn't want to say stooge. <laughs> The two-hour New Japan uh, TV show at 1.15 a.m. on January 4th was an Inoki special. They aired Inoki's matches with Willem Ruska, Tanuka Nichiro, and Great Muda that never aired on television because TVSI had banned Inoki from television in 1994 because he was the subject of so much scandal. This is now obvious Inoki won't be indicted on any charges. They aired those matches plus the BVD tournament from the Dome. It was called the worst New Japan television show in a long time because the Ruska match and the BVD tournament were just awful. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> was the Muda match even at a TV taping, though? I thought that was a home video taping. I mean, it was there on television. I remember seeing it on, from TV, so... Well, this is the TV version, though, because it wouldn't have aired previously. But that's what I'm saying. That's how I remember seeing it. It was, on, it was TV, so that's all I know. Okay. Oh, maybe War. I'm thinking of uh, Muda Kabuki. But anyway. War changed their six-man tag titles in a promotion versus promotion feud. On January for Cork and Hall, when Aisyashigan Trio and Shuriko Shinaka Testo Shigoto Micho Shiohara won the belts from Gato, Jado, and Hermich Fuyuki. They also had a tie match on their opening night on January 6th in Shizuoka as Ultimo Dragon retained the NWM Middleweight trap, beating Lionheart, Chris Jericho. On that show, they had three singles matches with Gato, Jado, and Fuyuki against Akito Saido, Goto, and Kengo Kamura, respectively, from Aisyashigan, which the War Trio won two out of three matches. With Fuyuki over Kamura in the main event. The January 7th show in Minami Ashikaga was headlined by Fuyuki against Kendo Nagasaki in a bar bar board match. Nagasaki wound up spraying a fire extinguisher into Fuyuki's eyes and pinned him at two pile drivers. Tenyugurichiro missed a tour, son, was probably a worked injury, suffering a match with Coach Katao. Injury may be real, but it was for the kick Katao gave him. He'll return in March on the 26th of Sumo Hall, headlined by Tenru versus Katao. All right, January 6th, Shizuoka, Hiroshi Nakuro, Yuja Shiroka, Cyclone Ramirez over Felino, Masakarisu, Anamamaguchi over Nobukazu Araya Masao Ihara, Vampiro Kadidiense, so he's in Japan, Fix, over Asamu Tachikari. Okay, uh, did you see those, uh... oh wait, well, never mind, I'm thinking of uh, Koki Kitahara. Ca- carry on, we'll get to him in a second. But Vampiro against Asamu Tachikari, wow. Yeah. Dean Rasmussen would uh, love that one. And the middleweight title, Ultimate Dragon retained over Lion Harkis Jericho. Kogi Kitahara over Kendo Nagasaki about qualification. Yes. What about Kitahara? Did you see those clips that were getting tweeted last night of him just being the most unprofessional motherfucker in the history of wrestling? Against who? Uh, It was one against Shiryu? At the time when it would have been Kazuya Kazuya Ashi. And I'm trying to find the other one. Give me one sec. Well, I mean, he... I mean, he's an SWS and war guy, so... He's a hard hitter. Let me find it real quick, because it was... It was surprisingly egregious. Uh, Okay, I found it. 
Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was one to him and then one to Jado. Uh, Let me do the screen share real quick, and I will turn the sound on so people can hear hear this uh, and the thud that it makes. But uh, all right. Oh. Plays again. Yeah, he just straight up shoot uh, kicked Kazuyoshi in the head. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And he does the same with a soccer kick to Jada. First. In- Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I get the feeling that some of the guys who left All Japan for SWS did it for the ability to just be unprofessional and kill people as much as they did the money. Yeah. Good lord. All right, uh, Gato over Exorcedo, Tesla Shigoto over Jado, and Himichi Fuki over King Okamura. Cork and Hall on uh, the 8th from 2100, so uh, Yuchi Yashiroko over Felito. Hiroshi Takura over Sikon Ramirez, Masao Orihara, going to a 30 minute draw with Lionheart Chris Jericho. Hmm. Anoha Maguchi over Nobukazu Arai. Ultimo Dragon and Koki Kodahara over Vampiro kind of the NC and Kendo Nagasaki. Oh boy. And then the War Six Man Tag Titles were Ahara, Goto, and Koshinaka defeated Gato, John, and Fuyuki to win the belts. Oh, I'm sure Koki had some fun with Vampiro. <laughs> well, Vampiro is used to, you know, playing playing with Koki, so. Oh, <laughs> her Vaprum's dog? <laughs> yes, her Vaprum's dog, Koki. That's right. All right, FMW, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. They opened their Cork and Hall in the fifth with Samba Osako's retirement match against Atsushi Onida. Osako, 31, is retiring because of bad knees and just having taken such an incredible amount of punishment in his short career. Dave was sold the match, which Onida won, was incredibly dramatic and one of the best FMW matches in a long time, four and a half stars. Being at any match at the Tokyo Dome the night before. On January 6th, also at Cork, and they had a seven-on-seven elimination pole match. We have alleged $30,000 in cash on one pole and a bar bar based on another pole where that wing group beat FMW. It came down to Anita and Mr. Ganesuke, Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator, Hitsukatsu Oya, and Yukio Kanemura, and his three partners worked on Anita, and Ganesuke, Kanemura, climbed the pole to get the money. All right, January 5th at Cork and 2150 sellout. Ricky Fuji and Ray Aguila over Battle Ranger and Makayato. Mr. Danger, Mr. Masanaga, Bad Boy Hido, Hideki Asaka over Masato Tanaka, Koji Nakagawa, and Katsuji Ueda. Megumi Kudo and Combat Toyota over Crusher Mail Damari and Sharshashuya. Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator Mike Cosmo, and Scott Oya, and Yukio Kanemura over Tarzan Koto, Mr. Ganesuke, Kastoshi Niyama, and Tetsuya Kuroda in 2325. And Esho Shunita over Sambo Sako in 2217, the main event. Then the next day, also at Corka, 2150. Ray Aguila, Makayato, over Tetsuya Kuroda, and Katsuji Ueda. Safari Mac, and Sharshashuya, and along with Krishna Damara over Bad Nurse Nakamura, Combat Toyota, and Megumi Kudo in 2229. Mac over Killer Awami, Safari Mac. Independent Junior title, Ricky Fuji over uh, Battle Ranger to retain the title. Then the Barbara Baseball Battle on the Pole, $30,000 elimination bunkhouse match. Pogo, Gladiator, Oya, Kanemura, and Osaka, and Hito, and Mr. Danger over Onida, Tarzan Goto, Gansuke, Niyama, Nakagawa, Masato Tanaka, and Kosaka Goshikawara in 2209. 
And another big show at Kobe, Kobe Ward Hall on January 9th in front of 47-21. Ricky Fuji and Ray Aguilar over Makayato and Battle Ranger. Hideki Saka and Bad Boy Hito over Tetsuya Kuroda and Masato Tanaka. Crusher Mayo Damari, Sharshashuya and Safari Mac and Kilawami over Megumi Kudo, Combat Toyota, Bad Nurse Nakamura and Yoshiki Ishikura. Tarzan Goto over Mr. Danger, Mr. Matsunaga. And then no rope barbed wire street fight tornado deathmatch. Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator Mike Awesome, Hitskatsu Oya, Yuko Kanamura, over at Sushi Anita, Mr. Gonsuke, Katsutoshi Niyama, and Koji Nakagawa. So, FMW doing some good business here. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, they got a lot going on at this point in time. Uh, a hot product. Yes, on the Onita retirement tour. Um, Makayato is pretty much at the end of the line here, right? Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Probably a wrestler who you could say had a fairly underrated influence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as far as both his look and also uh, bringing Lucha style to Japan and kind of the hybrid, I guess, Lucha Risu, as some call it, style. Lucharis. Yes. IWA Japan. The only news we got about their opening night show at Corcoran Hall, the second is that at the match, main event match, Candice Jack and Trey Smothers went over Terry Funt and Choji Nakamaki in a main event where Smothers pinned Nakamaki. Jack, who got over something of a cult figure in his first week of new promotion, had the barbar wrapped around his throat, did several elbows off the apron to the floor on Nakamaki, and used a chair that was on fire on him as well. Hmm. That's where they got that spot from. All right, uh, results for Corkin on the second. Cynthia Moreno over Tomo Araya. Yoshiro Tajiri over Daisuke Tawe. Gran Apache over Aguila Negra. Scott Okano over Jiraiya. Barbara Baseball Bad Deathmatch. Nobutaka Araya and Hiroshi Ono over the Texas Hangman. And Katniss and Tracy over Funk and Nakamaki. No rope Barbara Deathmatch. And by this point, it is Mike and Tom as the Hangman, right? Uh, yes. Uh... Terry Funk Katniss feuded all week to build up to a January 8th barbar match in Honjo on the final night of the tour, which Funk won with a DDT in 1540. However, the crowds announced a 1370. The promotion Julie paid pads just announced crowds a size of a percentage, so it's probably a thousand or less. Uh, it was much less. The November tour drew strong crowds for an indie tour indie due to the novelty of Terry Funk's tour, but the novelty seemed to wear thin this time. Funk will return in April. All right, uh, the results of this show. Santa Moreno over Tomoshio Shinitani here. Aguila Negra over Daisuke Tawe. Jiraiya over Tajiri. Takashikana over Grand Apache. Barbara Baseball de- Deathmatch. Hiroshi Ono and Shoji Nakamaki over the Texas Hangman. Nobutaka Rai over Tracy's Mothers. And No Rose Barbara Fire Deathmatch. Terry Funk over Cat's Jack. People were raving about this match when they got to see the video. And it was taped for IWA's video. One reader there on tour says that one of the best matches he had ever seen in his life. Among the highlights for Captain taking the suplex face first on barbed wire and then finding a chair on fire with kerosene and hitting each other with it. Lighting, not fighting. Uh, Funk receives second-degree burns with a plastic that melted from the chair got on his skin. Funk lit a burning iron on fire, hit Katniss in the stomach, and then Katniss tried to get his throat caught in the barbed wire. But the wire wouldn't hold his body weight and collapsed during ripping the skin off his fingers. 
Oh, this sounds delightful, doesn't it? Sure. This cactus is going on a mission to make himself a legend in Japan. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah, and this would end up having one of the all-time most memorable uh, English names of a Japanese commercial tape, Duel of the Wilds. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not its not just Cat that's trying to make his own legend. It's also they're trying to make IWA Japan into this new major hardcore rest promotion. Yes. And it works. For a little while, yes. Yeah, because uh, Terry Funk's going to pay big money here, too, to be around and be the star of a promotion, basically. So, yeah. Tra- and Tracy Smothers. You, I mean, he just fits in perfectly, too, in all this as well. So, yeah, yes. they got like, some good stuff going on here. Now, one of Bix's favorite groups, IWU. Yes. They ran a show on January 8th in Katsudo Shijuku, Katsudo Shijuku in front of 200 fans. As we had Ryo Miyake over Kikuzawa, Kikutara. Poison Sawada over Katsuka Masazaki. Miyamoto, that's all it says, and Apollo Shigawara over Sukata and Kishikawabata. Masiko Takasugi over Ryo Miyaki. Los Demonios, one and two, which were no contest with the Zombies, one and two. And then Gershwin, Ultra Power X over Black Mummy and White Mummy. Don't you love how it took more than 25 years for Americans to figure out that International Wrestling Union and Union Pro were the same promotion? <laughs> yes. Uh... Don't you love your scummy Japanese indies? Black Mummy and White Mummy. I've seen a movie called Black Mama, White Mama with Pam Greer from the 70s. But Oh, boy. I don't know about Black Mummy and White Mummy. So there you go. <laughs> Gorosharumi and his promotion. Uh, do we have any West Japan results, too? Any Bio-Franken? Too early, too early for that. Okay. Oh, just you wait till next week's show. Oh, <laughs> we boy. have some stuff. All right, uh, Dan Severin's over here in Japan right now, still from the UFC. He was off our contract by UWFI with what was rumored to be a big raise and be given a push this time probably for eventual main events with Takata. Everyone's been laughing about the irony of UWFI not wanting Severin to enter UFC, and given the time of everything, it turned out to be almost the best thing possible. The best thing possible was if he had won, of course, for both his career and the promoter's in, promotion's image in Japan. Yoji Anjo issued a challenge now to fight Satoru Sayama. Since Sayama called a press conference that showed the media the home videotape of the Hickson Gracie deal. In another grandstand challenge, Anjo claimed Sayama was having the media fight his battles for him. UWFI's January 16th Budokan show between Vader and Gary Albright for the title and Seven vs. Masuyo Takahara looks to be an easy sellout. And the context for those who are not aware is. Sayama is still the head of Shudo, and Shudo is who's promoting the Valley Tudo Japan shows. Yes, and of course, Yoji Anjo had his little run-in with uh, Hickson Gracie. Yes, because they decided he was the best shooter in the dojo. So they figured he it, they figured either Hickson wouldn't fight him, or he'd easily dispatch Hickson for some reason. And Hickson destroyed him, and... Why do you think it is that Hickson is so weird about showing people the video and still hasn't released it after all these years? I don't know. When it's such a legendary thing in both pro wrestling and MMA. I have no idea. I really don't know. I mean, granted, Hickson Hickson has less of the Gracie attitude than his brothers, and 
some of the other family members do. He does try to be more humble about these kinds of things. But that's probably part of it, I guess. Yeah. Plus, it could know. probably never live up to the hype at this point. No. Like, we've seen the photos of how Anjo looks after, but at the end of the day, it's really just Hexen taking him down, getting him on top of him, and punching him. Yeah, pretty much. All right, the first official announcement of the Weekly Pro April 2nd Tokyo Dome show was in the issue that came out this week. The matches were announced as the press time they haven't been made. However, they said there would be 14 matches with 11 different promotions already confirmed as appearing and two or three other promotions being considered. Tickets went on sale on January 14th. Situation as it stood, the last report is that it would mostly be a good working younger mid-card wrestlers from each promotion doing a match indicative of the group style and there would be no interpromotional matches. Well, one of those things changes. Asushi Anita would probably headlines as he would be one of the few superstars wrestling doing a Barbara match, and Michinoku Pro would send their best six-man tag team of Great Sasuke, Super Delphin, Takamichinoku, etc. Other top stars are Riki Choshu, Akira Maeda, and Nobutaka Takata, Nobuhiko Takata, excuse me, uh, may serve as referees for matches involving Japanese undercard talent as a way to focus the spotlight on younger guys each promotion wants to push. That didn't happen. All Japan, New Japan, FMW, Michinoku Pro, Rings, War, UWFI, Pancrates, All Japan Women, JWP, and LLPW have all agreed to be involved in the show. There is a push, although not, no negotiations at all have been begun, have even begun, to get w- ECW involved in the show, which would be a tremendous feather in their caps as far as the image of Japan. When their official was in Japan, he was asked about being involved, but they only wanted Hulk Hogan versus Vader, which he said they could have had for the right price. However, the political problems of putting together a match in Japan like that, it's huge. You not only have to get both New Japan, who was the school's rest of WCW, in talent, except for Vader, per a new contract. And UBFI, which owns Vader's rights, to agree to uh, allowing it, but also convince Vader to do the job. Which they speculate he would be right for the right price, but wouldn't be cheap. More than that, unless WCW New Japan buys out Vader's $35,000 per match contract with UWFI. Think about that. 35 grand a match. You had to convince UFI to allow one of their top draws to do a job for Hogan, which is slightly less likely to happen during this time frame than Hogan's agreeing to do the job. 35 grand a match, Bix. I mean, he's almost done in UWFI, though, isn't he? Yes. Man. So what, I forget, what ends up being the impetus for everyone sending their best match? Like, I know eventually it's just they don't want to get outshone, but what, like, what really got it going? It's competition. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's that once they realized the indies who actually had good workers were going to be sending their best matches, they realized they couldn't be shown up. Right? Probably something yeah. like that. Yeah, I would think so. This has pr- there's a lot of pride involved. A lot of comp- uh, competition. Yeah. Okay, looking at cage match. Vader only has two more UWFI matches. He's got a pro wrestling world heavyweight title defense against Gary Albright on the 16th. And then he drops the belt back to Takata on April 20th at uh, Nagoya Rainbow Hall. All right, I'll women. The other one shows on January 3rd and 4th at Corkin Hall. 
First night saw Kyoko Inoue and Takako Inoue retain the Triple WA Tag Titles being Minami Toyota and Sakashigawa in a 2-3 fall match. They went 31-32. After the match, the Inoue's explained that there have been 99 different champions since the belt debuted in 1968, and they were vacating the titles because they wanted to go down in the record books as being the 100th champions. Okay. The tournament for the 100th champions will take place in late March, either at Yokohama Arena on March 26th or Osaka on the 31st of March. Linus Oscar worked both shows while Jaguar Yakota worked the January 4th show. Oscar and Yakota beat Hashigawa and Karo Ito for a while. I mean, while on January 3rd, Asuka and Toshio Yamada went to a 30 minute draw with Suzuka Manami and Yumiko Hota. Asuka, who's considered one of the best technical wrestlers in the world in her prime, was out of her league technically with all the new moves and new style that has changed since her retirement, which is only a few years ago. However, the compensation, she worked stiff as hell, kicking the other girls like crazy, so she wasn't out of place. But. Her style and really Lily Chaguza's too was never being among the flashier of the women in the promotion, though. Well, you know that was always more for the other teams. Well, tell that today. <laughs> and then, and plus, and then she and uh, uh, Hoda then go on to have one of the best matches in 1995, uh, working as stiff as possible. The uh, match that is at least referred to as the UFC rules match. Yes. All right, Jamie Third Cork in front of 2,300 fans, Bix. Well, it's, well, it's all Japan women, so yeah, it's it's possible, yes. Nobu Endo and Kuro Koniyama over Naomi Kato and... No, excuse me. Nobu Endo, Kuro Koniyama, and Naomi Kato over Yoshiko Tamura, Mini, Mina Tanayama, and Emi Miyamoto. <laughs> So wait, wait. Minatanayama is Candy Mouse. Yeah. Emmy Miyamoto is who? Some of Bix's uh, early favorites here, uh, teaming up in this match. Wait, Tanny Mouse obviously is uh, what? Uh, Taniyama, who's Emmy Miyamoto? Yoko Miyamoto. Okay. And what about uh, Kaneyama and Kato? Do they go on to do no, anything? Me- Oh, Nome Kato, Bix? You don't know who Nome Kato is? That's the bloody. Oh, I didn't realize she... Wait, so is she here... Was she trained at their dojo, or is she here as an interpromotional thing? I think she was trained at the dojo. Kara Kaniyama was, uh... I mean, uh, uh, an ultra women's wrestler who, I guess, just flaked out. But, anyway, there you go. LCO, Escomita Mima Shimoda, over Chaprito Sari, Marika Yoshida. Aja Kong over Karuito, Suzuka Manami and Yumi Kahota over Linus Asuka. Well, went to a draw with Linus Asuka and Toshio Yamada 30 minutes. And then WWE tag titles, Kyoko Inoue and Takako Inoue over Manami Toyota and Sakashigawa. Then they came back to Corken Hall next night for the 2100 this time. Elimination match, Kamika Mekawa, Yoshiko Tamara, Mina Taniyama, Yoko Takahashi, and Kara Kaniyama over Chaprita Sari, Yokoshina, Masai Watanabe. Nobuendo and Emi Miyamoto. And Nobuendo, of course, is Saya Endo. And Masai Watanabe is, of course, Masai Genki. Yes, pre-body armor, I think. It's Komita Miyamoto over Suzuka Manami and Mariko Yoshida. Linus Asuka and Jaguar Yokota over Sakashigawa and Karuhito. Aja Kong over Takako Inoue. Yumiko Hoto and Manami Toyota over Toshiya Yamada and Kyoko Inoue in your main event. So there's all Japan women for Bix. Yeah. Zenju. 
they still have a lot of great wrestlers at this time, but outside of the Legends coming back, it does seem less interesting without all the interpromotional stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you can you can see how much it was carrying that promotion. Yeah. Speaking of which, JWP. Another title change came in JWP's first show of the year on January 8th for Corkin Hall. Mayumi Ozaki and Akari Fukuoka captured the JWP tag titles from Esko Mina Mima Shimoda of All Japan Women in 1954. This turned to a pretty good angle the past few months with JWP sending one team after another to get their belts back and Mina Shimoda flipping off and cutting promos on the president of JWP after continuing to turn it back their teams. Hmm. They drew 2010 at Corkin for a sellout crowd here. We have Sodayama over Bama Hikari. Dom Masami and Hiromiyagi over Karu and Hiromi Sugo. Dynamite Kansai and Fasaya Nochi over Kuri Suzuki and Kandyo Kutsu. And then Ozaki and Fukuoka over LCO to win the titles. That's a fun-looking show on paper. LLPW ran Corkin Hall January 6th for the 2100. We have Michiko Nakashima over Hatsumi Tawada. Jen Yakari over Leo Kanemura. Eagle Sawai and Hale Saido over Kao Midori and Makiko Furugami. Shinobu Kandori and Mizuki Endo over Rumi Kazama and Michiko Omakai. And then Nereo Tateno retained the LLPW title, beating, beating Miki Honda. Well, that one's less interesting. <laughs> I've never so. seen any earlier Omukai, though, so I'm kind of curious to see that. Oh, she's young. I'm sure that makes it appeal even more to certain people who would watch this. Well, I don't know. She would have been 19 here. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, that's it for the first half of the show's halftime. So, some great 1995 commercials. We'll come back and we'll uh, talk about Patreon, of course. We'll talk about that. IDB TV, what's going on there. We'll hit some plugs. And then we'll come back and go to Mexico, where, yes, there's a lot of problems going on in Mexico in many ways in AAA. And we have news on CMLL and their TV situation and a brand new promotion about to open up. All that and more after the break. We'll be back in a moment with more of the baddest and the best of Melrose Place. Melrose Place is brought to you by Kellogg's with good taste, nutrition, and value. The best to you each morning from Kellogg's. I'm a grown-up. I know I need a nutritious breakfast, but a tiny magic voice inside me says, Oh, oh, frosting! I think fat and salt are a big no-no. I know! Go for taste! Relax. With Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats, you can have it both ways. For the adult in you, whole grain wheat, 98% fat-free, no salt added. For the kid in you, lightly frosted, great taste. I know what always gets a gold star from me. There's a stretch of road where America ends, the Pacific begins, and the views just seem to go on forever. It's the Pacific Coast Highway just south of San Francisco. And while it's called a highway, it's definitely not the fastest way from here to there. Because you can't help but stop and watch the surf break while you dine at the Rocky Point Restaurant. Or marvel at the beauty of Monterey from one of the many views of the Seven Gables Inn. Or change horsepower at Molera Trail Rides and ride off into the sunset. So if you go, take your camera, your wide-angle lens, and bring your Visa card, because all three of these places will take your breath away. But none of them will take American Express. 
Visa. It's everywhere you want to be. 1-800-COLLECT presents Politeness Man. Hello. Being the champion of courtesy, I get lots of letters. Oh, my. <clears throat> Not to mention countless 1-800-COLLECT calls, which I graciously accept. Yet there's always that one person who calls Collect the Rude Way by dialing zero. Here's how I deal with it. Hello? Zero dial collect call for Politeness Man. Do you accept? Accept what? The exorbitant amount of money I'll have to spend on this call? Money that could go to save the whales, the rainforest, the ozone layer, guaranteeing the children of the world a better tomorrow? My thoughts exactly. Remember, it's 1-800-COLLECT for savings. How do you choose between your girlfriend and your best friend? You're just jealous because I have someone and you don't. Someone like that I don't need. Catch Party of Five on its new night, Wednesday. Celebrate Fox's Friday the 13th with special guest host, The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> First, The Birds was a terrifying movie. Now visit a town that experienced the real thing. The place filled just black with birds. On a special Encounters. Then, someone is stealing bodies. You think this grave was unearthed by aliens? And Agent Scully is getting too close to the truth on a brand new X-Files. Plus, I'll reveal the names of the winners in my Demon Knight sweepstakes. It all happens on Fox's Friday the 13th. It's TV's sexiest comedy. I could be naked in five minutes. Dream on. I could work for that. Sunday after Married with Children on Fox. When Sinclair starts an employee uprising. Norma Ray here decided to ride it. It turns cousin against cousin. Let's not get ugly. Much too late for that. Now, baseball superstar Bobby Bonilla's got the solution. Salaries are going to have to stay where they are. Or maybe not. Strike! An all-new living single Thursday after Martin. Coming on House of Buggin'. Today is National Latino Outing Day. Fox's wildest new comedy gets even wilder. Vanna White. Your new and better name is Vanna Blanca. House of Buggin'. Let's reenact the scene from Cape Fear. Fuck my dog. Catch a brand new episode Sunday after The Simpsons. Everyone knows she's trouble. Well, let me guess, uh, five, six, blonde, answers to the name of Jill. But this Wednesday, the trouble she starts... Hey, give her a break, she likes you. ...will tear two best friends apart. You're just jealous because I have someone and you don't. Someone like that I don't need. Catch Party of Five on its new night, Wednesday after 90210. 98.7 KISS FM has changed. I'm Luther Vandross. Listen to the all-new 98.7 KISS FM and hear all of the music you've been missing. Nothing but smooth R&B and classic soul. Now this is my kind of station. Check out the all-new 98.7 KISS FM. Former porn star Tracy Lords joins Melrose Place thanks to a big star at 10. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1995 commercials. As we to half time seven, the show where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And uh, of course, we finished up our 25 years of Montreal series at the uh, end of December. So that is over with. And now we'll start in January with a year in the life of Paul E. Dangerously, Paul Heyman, as a uh, we have a two-part series on that for January and February, where we'll talk about his acting from WCW, the stuff he did in between, his working with Jim Crockett in WWN, then transitioning into replacing Eddie Gilbert as a head of creative for Eastern Championship Wrestling. And uh, Paul did a lot of talking in this time period. Shocking. 
to various different people. So we'll have that. And uh, yeah, it should be quite a little mini series here as we begin 2023. 30 years ago, I look back in the past. Hard to believe, but yes. So uh, $5 a month gets you access to that. And all the other audio that we have done in our six full years plus of the Patreon. So a lot of audio for your buddy. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. So everybody uh, check that out if you haven't. If you have and are not currently a patron, come back. Join us. And enjoy uh, what you missed. So Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. $5 a month. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord Thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, uh, we have some guidelines here. Make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already and have a backup show handy just in case because, it, you know, anything could have been done that you may not know about over the past seven-plus years of our Patreon. I mean, Patreon, the regular show. So we've done a lot of shows, a lot of uh, weeks and stuff. You know, your timeline may be a little off or whatever. So let us know why you want to do the show. And we will help you out and make sure everything that, uh, you know, will work out for uh, everybody, everyone involved so we can get it done. Like I said, if you uh, always need to have that second show, like I said, in your mind, just in case. Uh, 30 year, 30 year rule, 30 day rules in effect, 10 year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday in the timeline. All the information you need is on our Patreon and how to get that show to us. So follow that and everything should be okay. $50 allows you to, uh, Sit in for a segment of the show and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Scott, this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, let's see. Which, by the way, I checked as you were going through the spiel. Um, so 30 years ago this month, Paul Heyman gets fired from uh, World Championship Wrestling, as I remember to meet the notifications on my phone. 30 years before that, the Beatles' first album was still weeks away from coming out. Just for some perspective yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, 30 years is different. <laughs> and then from now and then, and, you know, it's just it's just a different thing. This is where we're at. Yes. All right, so let's see. Who do we have here? All right, we would like to thank... Jason Compton, who pledged $100. Thanks, Jason. Absolutely. Yes, we'll be, be, should be by the time this is out, get, having gotten back to him about the uh, show pick and all that. Uh, then we've got Dwayne Jones. Thanks, Dwayne. Dave Waddle. Or Waddell. Thanks, Dave. Jared Cheek. Thanks, Jared. King Radness. Thanks, King Radness. Then we got what... Okay, wait a second. Let me do the math here quickly. Times 12. Okay, I don't know if this is with an exchange rate or something. Matt, Matthew Finney pledged $267.90 per year, which is more than a year at $25 a month would be. So I'm not exactly sure what his goal is. I don't think I've gotten an email from him yet, but thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, then we've got Jeff Pop. 
Thanks, Jeff. Louis Nelson. Thanks, Louis. Conversion to a year at the main uh, tier of the $5 a month from our dear friend and past and should I should try to figure out a way for him to return soon. Guest uh, Daniel Makabe. Thank you, wrestling genius Daniel Makabe. Yes, definitely the best wrestler ever to be nicknamed the wrestling genius who also wears uh, sports team jerseys when he wrestles, along with trunks. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, maybe that's why I have heat with the other guy. Um, year pledge from Maya Good. Thanks, Maya Good. And finally, we got a pledge from uh, Luke Jennings. Thanks, Luke. So thank all you new patrons, you old patrons, patrons that have returned and come back, patrons that have upgraded. We thank all of you for uh, your patronage, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Don't forget that annual, yes, an annual uh, deal, $50.40, a savings of 16%. Yes. and If you want to go in that direction. I mean, as we just alluded to as well, you can do that for any of the tiers and it's 16% off. There you go. So... However you want to play it. Any, any, any way you want to support us, we love it. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, IWTV picks. What's uh, caught your eye this week? Well, I did watch most of the Restival as it was going on. And there was some good stuff in there. There was the particularly hard-hitting, uh, well... Mainly one-sided, but hard-hitting. But the hard-hitting uh, Anthony Henry Robert Martyr match, among other things. The uh, actually the Steel Cage Warfare, so basically War Games at, at the Wrestling Open show was really good, like way above my expectations. Because like you know, indie War Games and you know Wrestling Open, based on what that show is, is gonna be greener indie wrestlers. So I don't think I had that high expectations for like a green indie war games, but it was actually really good. And honestly, in terms of like projecting emotion and hatred and not relying too much on big high spots and stunts, better war games than some of the WWE ones, which was kind of a pleasant surprise. So I think that's definitely worth checking out among some of the other stuff on there. Also with Matt Tremont winning the IWTV title. Mm-hmm. As well as, of course, our dear friends, Violence is Forever, winning the uh, tag title tournament to become the first independent wrestling tag team champions. Congratulations. Uh, no shot there that they would do that. Yes, and also I realized, I don't know if I mentioned uh, last week, because I think it came up before we recorded last week. Also, uh, congratulations. You know, I already congratulated him privately, but also here on the show to Dominic Greeny for getting his brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Yes, thanks, Don. Congratulations. Thanks for I've been saying thanks a lot in this segment, so just first thing that came out of my mouth. Yes. So congratulations, Don, for uh getting that brown belt. Yes, and also be long, not... you'll be you'll be black, black belt. Yes, I have not watched yet, but the life of Kevin Koo also did go up on the first. So there's that. Yeah, so it's a lot of violence for, is forever on IWTV right now. Well, as always, they're the champions of every other promotion that airs there anyway. So, uh, so yeah, lots of good stuff mixed in with those. Um, who was it? Alex Shelley versus Alec Price at I forget if that was Blitzkrieg or Grind show it was really good. The Alex Shelley um, 
Tracy Williams, part of the gauntlet on the IWTV Class of 2022 show, was really good. So a lot of good stuff mixed in throughout the whole uh, weekend there. And also, just because it was cool, I thought shout out to Pro Wrestling Grind for they made an effort, despite every show being at, you know, White Eagle Hall in uh, Worcester, the home of Beyond and Wrestling Open. They made a point of bringing their entrance set and ring ropes and, you know, and their uh, canvas and guardrails to make it look and feel like one of their usual shows. And it gave it kind of a cool, different vibe from the other shows all weekend. So I thought that was interesting. But those, of course, are available all on demand now on IWTV. And double checking real quick if there was any more. Uh, yeah, I don't think anything really of note otherwise went up on demand this week. So now this coming week, uh, as far as live streams, couple things I picked out. Not a ton of newsworthy stuff, but a few interesting things. Um, I'm only mentioning this for one reason you'll understand in a moment. I don't know if the, this is their live stream debut. It might be. Promotion called Chicago Style Wrestling is running on Friday, uh, Friday the 13th, dun dun dun, uh, at 7.30 Eastern. And I am mentioning this mainly because, well, besides Jacob Fatu being in the main event, which is intriguing since it's not like he shows up in that many places, the reason I picked this out, though, is that this includes an appearance by someone who I did not know was still wrestling, and that is Steve Boz. Hmm. Which, I might as well tell the Steve Boz uh, story that's become legendary, that I think we've talked about in the past, but I have not heard, I mean, heard it really mentioned in a long time, and I think it's been a long time since I ever talked about it on here. I don't remember the origin of this, I just know it's accepted to be true. WWF TV taping, you know, early 2000s. He's there doing extra work and stuff. And he sees Eddie working on a leg lock submission in the ring. And I forget if someone asked something or whatever. I believe he just volunteered it himself. He thought Eddie was trying and failing to understand how to apply the figure four. No. Eddie was practicing that new uh, lasso from El Paso submission he used for a little while. But Steve Boz took it upon himself to go and show Eddie Guerrero the figure four that he thought he was getting wrong when he wasn't. <laughs> and then for years afterwards, Steve Boz would always tell people genuinely about the time he personally taught Eddie Guerrero how to do the figure four leg lock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wonderful. Just a wonderful <laughs> story there. Meanwhile, also in Chicago, the uh, next night at uh, 9 Eastern on IWTV on Saturday, Freelance has a show where uh, both of the Mortons are going to be in the house. So Kerry will be defending his NWA Junior Heavyweight title against GPA. Uh, and in the main event, Ricky Morton will be going up for uh, Robert Ego Anthony's Freelance World Championship. Plus, Interesting. Yes, plus Kylie Ray will be in action against Richelle Rose, and there will be a three-way with Effie in action taking on uh, Trevor Outlaw and Storm Grayson. So that looks like an interesting little show from Freelance there. Um, would have to check the schedule of other stuff to try to figure out if Prezak's going to be on commentary for that one. But 
looks fun there. And of course, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up, and we'll get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you're using incognito mode, your internet source provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that, shall we? We have three options for you that we offer. We have the regular monthly option of $11.95 a month. We have the yearly option, which equals up to $3.33 a month, or $39.95 a year. Or you can go for the best of the best. Three years plus four free months, $1.98 per month, or $79 over three years, 83% off. What a bargain that is, folks. I'm telling you. You're missing out if you don't uh, take advantage of that. Why? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1999. And at the end of the show, when I did the original plug, I was talking about you know, possibly having a guest on. Well, it fell through, um, so we're not going to have a guest next week because we're going to try to get started on the Patreon show. And this is going to be a fairly, uh, I'm going to say lengthy show, but it's got some, some meat on the bone, especially clip-wise. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, it's 1999. That means we got three WCW things to talk about. Nitro, Thunder, and Sold Out 99. So uh, there should be clips galore, I'm sure, coming from that, of course. And then we'll have all the other uh, happenings going on in WCW. And uh, you can tell there's going to be some WCW, everybody, Bobits. So that should be quite the section to talk about. Then we'll have uh, Japan, where... Uh, Michinoku Pro is going through some big problems, and we got, uh, you know, New Japan's got contract season, All Japan's running their first big tour, so we got a little bit to talk about there. And uh, we got um, all the Mexico stuff, we got indie stuff, Jerry Lawler officially announcing running for mayor of Memphis, we'll talk about that. Sid and Sid debuts at ECW Arena, Public Enemy returns to the ECW Arena, so a very newsworthy uh show there that we'll talk about and then we'll have uh, World Wrestling Federation uh, it's, uh, the Attitude Era is hot and heavy at this point in time Vince Russo is going wild in his writing and we have just all kinds of crap on there, a wild Undertaker segment and Sammy the Transvestite 
among other things, on next week's Between the Sheets. Should be quite the show. So everybody uh, check that out a week from today. Okay, you know, so by the way, I have been thinking about this since we recorded the end of the show the other day. Being that we don't know what Sammy was supposed to be day-to-day, what is even the correct terminology to use in 2020? That's what... That's what Dave had as his. As well. So I was, I'm listening as what Dave, Sammy the transvestite. Because I know Dave's transvestite is considered, I think, distasteful in any context now. But I feel like some of that is because it was so often misapplied. So I'm not really sure because we're, you know, clearly Sammy's not supposed to be trans based yeah. on the way the reveal is done. Um, drag which is why which is why transvestite you know the back in the day and again you know if it's changed now i I mean it's changed but back in the day transvestite was a guy that dressed up in women's clothing but he was not a guy that was transitioning he was just a guy that dressed up in women's clothing right was not identifying as female or performing in drag even yeah just a dude that dressed in women's clothing Yes. But there was also, I remember from the first time I saw an Eddie Izzard special, and wait, I forget, does Eddie Izzard identify as female now or non-binary? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'll look real quick. Pro or not. But yeah, at the time, Eddie Izzard identified as male and... Uh, okay, she. At the time, identifying as male, but now she, her... But still, at the time, used the term crossdresser with the idea of wearing women's clothes, but not otherwise presenting as female. So there are a bunch of words that meant different things, and most of them aren't used anymore. So yeah, in that, I mean, I feel like in context, drag might actually be the best term, but I'm not sure. So we'll see. I should probably check before we record. But yeah, so. Geez, so that's wait, that's on the same raw as the Dennis Knight thing? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. <laughs> even even though I heard you say all that during the plug we recorded previously for the end of the show, I it like I didn't somehow it didn't connect it like, oh god, that's the same show. A lot going um, on on that show. <laughs> uh, bro, bro, and it's, bro. And it's, the, and it's the go home raw for Royal Rumble, too. So there's oh all that going on. God, what the fuck? So, uh, yeah. Oh my so, yeah, God. it should be quite, quite the uh, show next week on Between the Sheets. Oh, my As God. As I go back 24 years to 1999. Uh, oh, 1999. Isn't that the year WWE went public? Yeah, it is the year WWE went public. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. All right. So, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L N E R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And, uh,. If you hadn't wrote anything already, I'm sure you'll have something coming up on Wrestling Inc. Big. So what's going on right now at the current time? Who the fuck knows? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I may start doing more feature stuff in the next few weeks. They got, I got backlogged on stuff. Not backlogged. What's the best way to put it? Um, no, what's the opposite of a back? Oh, log jammed is what I was meant, what I was trying to say there with stuff they had scheduled. Um, so we'll see. So I don't think I've done any, broke anything myself in the last few weeks, but yeah, just keep an eye on everything. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about Vince trying to legit kill his own company this time. I mean, we're recording this on, uh, January 5th. 
which a uh, couple hours, well, about three hours now, as we, before we recorded this, uh, Wall Street Journal came out and announced that uh, Vincent Mann is trying to uh, get back in full power again, has already enlisted uh, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, former uh, presidents of the company, uh, as his uh, as his uh, lieutenants, and we'll put them on the board of directors. And uh, yeah, looks like we're going to have a I don't know if I call it a hostile takeover, but a uh, a coup of a coup, so to speak. As we already have one kind of coup, now we're going to have a, a reverse coup. They're bringing it back. Maybe so, Kevin um, should change his gimmick last name to C-O-U-P or K-O-U-P. <laughs> yeah, so um, he wants Vince wants to get back in charge because he wants to be the one in control of the uh, – potential sale and media rights deals that's coming up in 2023. So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, and remember he put out his own press release too. And that, but I think it was yeah. the journal article that pointed out though. And what really shows what his intent is in all this, the board told him they're fine with him participating in any sale talks. Yeah. It, this is to, this is a move to get himself back in charge and or burn it all down in the process if he doesn't get what he wants because he's threatening to hold the sale and any potential media rights deals in lieu of a sale hostage. Now, I'm of the firm belief that this entire time that Vince has had off, he's been negotiating with some, with whoever about buying the company. Probably I mean, the a. a- like, let's say, I don't know if non-traditional buyer would be the right way to put it, but someone who would not be the type of buyer who WWE would be soliciting otherwise. Yeah, he had nothing else to do. <laughs> he's, so, uh, why not? I mean, so he's been out, out and about probably uh, talking to, whether it's venture capitalists or whatever, he's been, you know, greasing the wheel to see what he could get. Because, I mean, no matter what hap- has happened... He has still been the majority stockholder of the company, so he can do these things. Well, he's not the majority stockholder. He is the stockholder that holds majority voting power because of the way the stock, the shares are set up with the special McMahon shares that have more voting well, still, power. Well, still. Majority control. Majority voting control, I think, is the proper way to put he's it. The bo- he's the guy that calls the shots, pretty yeah. much. And... Uh, He's trying to get his allies in there to uh, to be the yes votes for anything, and uh, ensure and have them insured of uh, having positions. Because I firmly believe that Vince, if he's the one that's making this deal, he's going to try to find the person or company or whatever that's going to buy the company and still allow him to have the power that he wants. Whether it's running day-to-day operations or something that he still – he has the power that appeases him. He's involved in whatever way. So here's the thing, why, though. Why, why, why else? Why else? Why else would Vince want to – you know, if I mean Vince could just sit back and watch money, watch money be made and go into his pockets and do nothing. No, he wants to be the one to uh, – to do everything and still wants to have his finger on the pulse of World Wrestling Entertainment because, I mean, like it or not, it's the company that he built. Yeah, he bought 
nicknamed WWWF Capital Sports from his father. And Blot should be in quotes, but... But but he... I mean, this is his company that he built himself from the ground up, so to speak. So, why? I mean, if he, he's still alive, he wants to be the one to run it as he sees fit. You know, I have a my boss that I work for runs, you know, an independent grocery stores, five grocery stores. And he has made the statement many times in the past. I've heard him say it. I will not give up control of my company or my stores until I die. Mm. I will die in these stores. And he is a he is a big time micromanager. I mean, he I mean, he, that's just the way he is. And he's the same age as Vince McMahon. <laughs> so I mean, and there's a lot of similarities there as far as uh, you know, how you could say that they've maybe I want to say gone down mentally, but I mean they've gotten older. Let's put that. Way. Yes. But I mean, it's it's something that Vince has always done. He's always been in control, and you know it's ate him alive these past few months. And this is a way that he can do that by by kind of uh, surpassing any type of revolt from the stockholders. Because when the news came out that, you know, he was coming back specifically to try to induce a sale, stock went up $11. Well, that's that's uh, after hours, though. And we won't have the Still. full idea until morning of where this... Or maybe, or maybe even for a few days. But, okay, see, here's the thing I don't get, though. And I just, I was checking just now as you were talking to make sure... There are 11 seats on the board. Even if the three of them replaced current, three of the current board seats, anything the board would have to vote on where it's a board vote, he doesn't have control. That you know, I mean, come on, Dex. There are probably people on that board. No, 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 that's where that I was going go, with it, though. That yeah, will no. go along with him if, no. if Bush comes to shove. No, that's where I'm going with that, though. Who on the board, then, would be with him? There's 11 Whoever was seats. with him before. So who would be the other three? Okay, so... Well, technically, Paul, Stephanie, and Nick Khan were... Quote, no, the, I mean, Nick Khan, who knows? Nick Khan's a wild card. Well, I think yeah. Nick Khan... Nick Khan could be the guy that he just floats with the power. I mean, a lot of these newer newer board members... I mean, excuse me, a lot of these board members are newer, though. That's the thing. So I, I'd have to look at the timeline... To see exactly who would be the most likely to either be loyal to Vince or to not care. And, and again, another thing, too, that, I mean, we, as I talk about this, this is Vince McMahon talking. This is what Vince McMahon wants to do. Now, I'm yeah. not necessarily saying it's going to happen. Right. You know, because this is a this is a public run company. It's a publicly traded company. Right. So you still have to do right by the shareholders. And this would all be disastrous for the shareholders. Exactly. So they're the ones that you know basically are going to have the final call. Right. The reason the stock has gone up so far as of this recording is that it all but guarantees that there's a sale in some form. Yeah. And Vince being the majority stockholder is wanting to be the point man. Yes. And even though it didn't get a lot of play, you know, Stephanie said during a conference last month, they did have issues with advertisers at least pausing in the aftermath of the Vince stuff breaking and that it was slowly starting to improve. Yeah, because nothing had happened. 
You know, I mean, there there was nothing else that came out really about that other than that one article that Wall Street Journal put out. But there was stuff that me and you both know about that was in the ether, ready to drop, and it never did for various reasons. Mm. Which if stuff would have come out that we both know about, it would have been tough. I'm, I'm trying to remember what specifically you're talking. I, I mean, can't talk about it right now. We're recording. Well, I'll, I'll say one thing broadly that was already. I'll public. type it in the Skype chat. Okay. But th- that was a thing that people that it was known was in the works, though. Not really. Yeah, it was publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Brandon talked about it on the show. I know he did. Well, anyway. Well, the, the, the we don't know why it didn't end up coming. You know to fruition i'll just say it the hbo whatever hbo real sports was working on but yeah who knows and we really don't know other than i mean i think you heard similar to i heard there were people that had been willing to go public that were worried that either it wouldn't be paid attention to or whatever that that or that maybe if they had still prospects in wrestling that there was no point if if there was a new regime in charge or whatever so, but yeah, there's stuff out there that if you know, eventually, if it ever did come out, would be even worse. I mean, you know, I, I this is probably another good. I actually was going to tweet this something to this effect, and I forgot. You know, there's also I know more than I've let on publicly about this. I'm still so I won't give all the details unless I can pin them down more. But you know, I've talked about it a little bit publicly, put in an article I did for Fanbyte. There was going to be a New York Times article, or at least there was one being worked on, or, like in at the peak of Me Too, in late 2017 to early 2018, about Vince, that didn't end up really happening because, among other reasons, the women who they were in touch with didn't think the reporter knew wrestling and found it hard to trust the reporter because of that. There was other stuff too, but it's like that timing then also becomes interesting because. 2018 is when they were negotiating the current TV deals. Yeah. And also, 2018 was when the big settlement of, uh, almost yawned there, seven and a half million with the former talent, who he is alleged to have, the way it was written in the Wall Street Journal was coerced a sex act out of, you know, that settlement was 2018. Everything's connected in some way. Even if not directly, so. So I mean, again, right now this is just Vincent Man talking out of his ass. So yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's forcing an issue in some form. Something is going to happen. He's trying to form. force an issue, but the stockholders hold the key to this. But the other thing to remember, though, and then, you know, then we'll close out the segment. It seems like he's just willing to blow everything up, regardless. Yeah, but here, here's the thing. I wonder, could there be a vote of the stockholders for no confidence? And if that's to it's ha- moved, if that it, happens... Well, it can't. He has the majority. That's the thing. He has the majority share of voting power from shares. So nothing yeah, like that, that can happen. Yeah, yeah that is it right. Comes down yeah. To the, it comes down to board stuff. Yeah. So the board will have to be the ones to really make the call here. And he's putting his people on there 
at least for you know the two seats, George and uh, Michelle, along with him. So, which what ghouls they are to do this for whatever the hell kind of finder's fee they get. Well, they got their little little firm that they got built up. How did those two become this package deal anyway? I don't know. Anyway. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, 2023 is going to be uh, quite the year (laughs) for wrestling. That's for damn sure. There's going to be a lot going on. A lot. Yes, well. uh, Buckle up, folks. All right, let's go to Mexico now. The situation in the United States is up in the air. A final yay or nay in regards to a pay-per-view show on April 23rd has to be decided upon this week because of pay-per-view deadlines. Both Televisa, which owns AAA, and WCW have verbally agreed to do another one, although there's now thought they may move it from April to June. Ron Scholar nearly folded the entire operation, but changed his mind on January 9th. Scholar's frustrated trying to hold together a group of separate entities, none of which have their hearts in the project. Well, Antonio Pena wants to run more often in the United States, and with the pace of declining in another 20% this week, it is in the company's great economic interest to build the USA market. AAA is run by Televisa, which really doesn't care about expanding the company. Pena really has little say-so when it comes to those types of the business matters, and the suits of Televisa who made the business decisions are pretty much oblivious to the wrestling business. In addition, with the exception of Gary Juster, WCW is pretty much ambivalent on good days in regards to working with AAA. Scholar's own IWC partners, Daryl Brooks and Carol Kuykendall, are doing so well financially promoting and negotiating for salt and pepper that they aren't enthusiastic about a business with such comparatively little financial return. And we're complaining that they only make $50,000 profit on when Worlds Collide's house show when they could make a better return on their time and investment by spending that time working in the music industry. In addition, for reasons nobody's been able to explain, Televisa next the idea of the next preview show airing on preview in Mexico we'll probably do big business. For example, the USC preview show with no Mexico participants at a 4.0. You read that figure correctly. Buy rate Mexico City last month. Scholars immediately also, par- also parsing into it for ego gratification and appears to be unhappy at all the credit that Pena and Todd Gordon gets as promoters as compared with him. Of course. Scholar was the one who largely put it together and made the, made happen bringing the United, AAA to the United States. Particularly outside Los Angeles, which is only seen Lucha Libre has any recent history in doing business. The IWC promoted only six house shows in '94, but grossed $805,000, an average of $134,000. That average per figure is around triple what WF average in the United States, and nearly 10 times what WCW average. Despite the state of the U.S. wrestling economy, even with that average, the shows weren't as profitable as he and his partners warned them to be. Televisa did come back with a proposal wanting to make a deal for IWC to promote about two, two dozen shows in 1995. However, with the television situation unstable and a loss of Love Machine, far more significant than anyone realized before he died, the product itself, the strongest point in this deal, is even questionable right now. Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of unstable uh, issues right here. But, uh, Dave mentioned at the end, you know, Art Bar's death really had a major effect on a lot of things more than people probably even thought about yes although it's entirely possible depending on what he can pull together with new japan i think being the main factor it's entirely possible he doesn't work much for triple a 95 if he survives because of the peso devaluation eddie's about to be gone yeah 
I mean, there is, of course, that, but he still would have been around, you know, and his presence at this point in time still could have helped in other ways. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, yeah, Scholar, Scholar's an egomaniac, and, you know, as Dave talks about here, and so you got that going on, and. I mean, WCW wasn't all gung-ho about the first when Worlds Collide, which makes you think they're going to be, you know, going hard, gung-ho on another pay-per-view. That, why would they want to waste their time and resources on something that they don't think could be beneficial to them in the long run? Yeah. I don't know. Well, what are your uh, thoughts on all this? I don't know. It, it, it feels like we still don't have a great idea of what the real reason was that Scholar and Pena fell out. Um, from this observer story, though, it does kind of seem like part of it, though, was just that um, Brooks and Kuykendall were starting to lose interest. It's all around the board. Televisa has no interest. The people that have the interest are the people that's not making the real final decisions. Yeah. Now, when that's does, the problem. When does Pena get full ownership of the company and Televisa is no longer directly involved? Ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, but still, trip. But still, Televisa owns AAA. You know. Yeah, and I'm guessing from something Scholar uh, told me when I did that Fighting Spirit article, I'm thinking maybe Daryl Brooks also just doesn't doesn't like being in the business of something that's so reliant on walk-ups, too, because the story that I love that Scholar tells me from that first show at the sports arena, La Revancha, you know, Scholar goes, he sees they're sold out, they're turning away 8,000 people, he's over the moon, gets to Daryl. Daryl's pissed. And Ron's like, wait, why are you upset? We sold out, we turned away 8,000 people. And Daryl's like, yeah, 8,000 motherfuckers with money in their pocket who are not going to spend it on us. Imagine if we had a second show, and as Scholar correctly pointed out to me, it takes a lot to draw 8,000 people. And, I mean, it, Salt and Pepper's not drawing eight, probably 8,000 people in that time period. Hmm, I, I mean, they, they had, they had, I mean, they just had a you know, a nice, a hot album and everything, but I don't know if they were drawing 8,000 people on their own. But no, my point, though, is more if you're used to concert promotion, going to well, not just wrestling, but Lucha Libre, where it's always going to be a vast majority walk-up crowd, is probably very stressful. And well, here's another thing, too. There's a, There's different... Um, demographics as far as fans for concerts and wrestling too, as far as sure. and also and also different money. I'm sure that concerts were tickets are higher than than those lucha shows were. Sure, but the budget is also different. So they're they're in a different world than what they're normally used to. So that's the thing. Yes, Brooks and Kike and all. So. It's up to Scholar to have prepped them up on what they were getting into. Right. But like I said, I mean, the the basic gist of all this is that 
you have all these people that want to do things, but their direct superiors don't. That's the thing. Or they want to they want to do their way, and 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 scholars deal. Meanwhile, WCW again, they're ambivalent. Televisa, I mean, they're willing to to work with IWC, but they're not hands on. I mean, there's a lot that's going on here. Yeah, but we know what happens. So yes, you know. All right. Speaking of Ron Scholar, he's pissed off, even more so. <laughs> Rey Mysterio Jr., Psychosis, El Torero, and Supermanyeco have all been suspended without pay for two months for working independent shows in Los Angeles area during Christmas vacation. Ron Scholar, the president of the IWC, which has an exclusive contract to run AAA United States, threatened a breach of contract lawsuit against AAA if they weren't suspended. Besides being suspended without pay for AAA, they also aren't allowed to work any independent shows in Mexico or United States during that period. This should also mean Octagon, Octagoncito, La Parca, and La Parquito will be forced to cancel their January 21st indie booking in Los Angeles. And as and well as Muñeco canceling his Mascara Cacho Caballero match they had done an angle for. Rey Mysterio, who never worked on IWC show, wasn't suspended since he's not under contract at AAA, but works there independently as a local draw, particularly in the border towns of in Baja and Norte, Calif- Norte California. So, okay, so at least at this point, he knows there's a, ba- a Baja, California. <laughs> but he thinks there is another state named Norte, California. Where he's something of a local Jerry Lawler type hero. Uh, Scholar demanded Mysterio be stripped at IWC middleweight title as well, although no word on the outcome of that. AAA was very apologetic to Scholar over the wrestlers who live in Tijuana or in Southern California. And we're off since the office was closed, working their shows after apparently being told back in November not to anymore. Ironically, after all this, Scholar wants to use Mysterio on his next show at Chicago Amphitheater Day, which hasn't been finalized, takes place before his suspension expires because he says they are suspended from IWC only by AAA. Oh, for fuck's sake. What a fucking cocksucker. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, he. That's just well, bullshit. just fin- fin- it. We're, we're almost done. Finish the paragraph. He's also working on a three show California tour for March and April, which would include a Los Angeles date. No, however, nothing is finalized because Los Angeles has a break even near $140,000 gate, which means very strong. Without a very strong lineup, it won't be profitable. Okay. <laughs> this dude gets these guys fucking suspended from AAA. But wants to use Ray Jr. on his shows, saying, well, he's not suspended by him from my shows. What a cunt. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, I mean, I, these guys are now can't work. Well, they can work, but they're not getting paid. You know? Well, also threatening a get breach of contract of lawsuit against AAA to get there because AAA didn't book these guys onto these indie shows. As best as I can tell, it's that it's guys who are based out of California and Baja, California, taking indie dates on their own on their days off, right? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read it. It's, I had it later in the notes because it's in the United States. But all right, so several AAA wrestlers have worked this past week in the Los Angeles area, so AAA isn't running in Mexico. Sacosis, Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio Jr., Sumanyeko, and Toretto are all in town working December 30th in Compton before 375 in a Manavit Trios match. Sakosa's been Ray in two straight falls set match for Ray's IWC middleweight title on January 2nd in Huntington Park, which drew 120 fans with Ray retaining the title. 
in a disappointing match. All right, the results of that Huntington Park show, Mujer Maravilla over Dama and Mascarada, Impacto and Hechicero over Conquistador and Wolverine, Leo Negro and Fobia over Piloto Suicida and Torticular Karateka, Submuñeco Toretto over Tornado Negro 2 and Bobby Bradley Jr., and then Ray Overscoses for the IWC middleweight title. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's no action in Mexico. These guys w- can work. They're clearly not office bookings. Right. They want to work. You're not running any shows in this time period, but you want to keep these guys from making money. Also, you know, talking about loaded lineups and what you would need to break even at the sports arena and stuff, these are not your main event guys. Yes, he's he's not even used Ray! He's not even used Ray yet! He's used Ray Jr. That's not what it said. He was on the pay-per-view. Let me read read the quote. Uh, IWC, Bix. The pay-per-view was IWC. Okay, sorry. I read it wrong. Okay. I I, I got you. I got you. Uh, But but it's like, it's one thing that he's doing this, but it's even worse that he's threatening this breach of contract lawsuit against AAA, who it seems like have completely clean hands in this regardless. Because how is it a breach of contract if AAA is just letting guys take dates on their air, look, take indie dates on their days off without having to clear them with the office, if they just know that's the policy, AAA didn't do anything. And again, these are not the wrestlers as talented as some of them are who are going to make and break a Los Angeles sports arena show. So fucking stupid. Now you see why Scholar you know, had his issues. Yeah. And also, boy, with 2023 eyes, does that whole thing where he uh, tried to hype up his law practice as offering, uh, was this on their website for free or was this a service he provided? I forget which. But he was doing like, was that a Chappelle show bit, the sex contract? Uh, I forget where it was. But he, he he did a consent contract for real. That he promoted yeah. on his website, which uh, the whole thing about consent is you can withdraw it at any time. So I don't think that works. So that well, looks a lot I mean, worse all these years later. But what if it's a legal? Oh, could that be considered a legal binding contract? No. If, if you sign it, <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking. If if that went to a court of law, no, because legally you can withdraw consent to sex at any time. Of course. So like. Well, no, well, yeah, but if you throw a contract in there, no. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious how that would work because I mean that's something that I've that's never obviously happened that I, I know of. Uh, so I got somebody to sign a contract before they had sex, but well, so, I mean, but yeah, it comes off kind would of would that weird be considered the same thing as a prenuptial, uh, like a prenuptial agreement? No, I don't know. We ne- we how do we know? It's never been done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, let's let's move on to Conan turning Technico. Surprised Matt Riddle hadn't uh, tried to use that yet, but anyway. All right, uh, Conan turned babyface on January 6th at Gymnasio Juan de la Barrera in his first major show. You think he's smart enough uh, to do that? You think his lawyer's smart <laughs> enough to <laughs> – not that it would work anyway, but still. Uh, the show drew only about 4,000 fans going head up with CMLL doing a kids' free show across town. Uh, Altagon, Il Dos Santo, La Parca, Latin Lover face Conan and Eddie Guerrero, his first match back since – the tragic death of our bar. No, it says him. since... No, he means since the pay-per-view, but he has the date wrong. 
Well, still. It's the weekend of the pay-per-view, yeah. But it's the first match back yeah. in Mexico since Def Art Bar. It's all of the above, yes. Yeah. First match on Heavy Metal, first match on the Rudo side. Um, Eddie came out in his Gringos Locos ring off the Van Halen's jump and nearly broke down. But apparently did an awesome job in getting the turnover. Conan came out with three stars from a soap opera, Volver uh, e Impesia, which he sometimes appeared on. They brought him a cake for his 30th birthday. Conan thanked him for the cake, and he and Eddie argued for most of the match. But Conan worked a technical the, the entire match. The two wound up shoving each other during the match. As a match where Conan went to get the cake to ringside fans, you can guess it. Eddie shoved it in his face. Conan in an interview apologized for going rudo, saying he admired Love Machine so much he wanted to team with him, but he realized that the fans still liked him, so now he has no reason to wrestle that way any longer. The turn got over strong due to Eddie being such a strong rudo, even if it doesn't read that well on paper. Conan, La Parca, and Latin Lover were all of our biggest technicals behind the show, but it remains to be seen what this new popularity of La Parca and Latin Lover will translate in the box office. Everyone was enthused to see how well Latin Lover and Heavy Metal got over, as a few in the Parker got a larger technical reaction than Santo or Octagon. Getting new faces over, hold on, I scroll down too far. Getting new faces over to where they can draw is extremely important over the next six months. Since Pedro Aguayo this will be retiring this summer. <laughs> Although no mention of that as a possibility as we made in Mexico. Mm-mm. I mean, La Parca, I don't think anybody figured how big he was going to become as a Technico. No. And then his actual run as a Technico in AAA is only, what, a little over a year and a half? Yeah. Because of the split. Yeah. All right, Gimnasio Olimpico won the Barrera on January 6th from 4,000 fans. Aguilar de Acero, Slayer, and Torbellino over Edmund, Priscilla Jr., and Terremoto. Edmund? Edmund. Yeah. It's Cubs fan. It's results. Uh, history, from the from the observer in Super Luchas. Mascarilla Sagrada, Atacacito, Sumunyakito over Espetrito 1, Espetrito 2, and La Parquita. Lismark, Tinebus Jr., and Transformer over Coco Amarillo, Coco Azul, and Coco Rojo. Los Fianos, 3, 4, and 5 over Los Hermanos Dinamita. Cien Caras, Moscow, Universal, Los Mil, Star and a Half, all three falls into Pentecues. And then the main event, Santo, La Parca, Latin Love, and Octagon over Eddie, Fuzza, Eddie Metallic, Conan, three and a half stars. And, uh, of course, we got the turn. Then on two days later, in Mexico City as well, as Sala de Armas Magdalena Mejuca, we have Fuesca Guerrero and Humatu Guerrero keeping their Mexican national tag titles beating Latin Love and Heavy Metal when the latter team continued their feud. Those to build to a Caballero contra Caballero match at one of the Triple Manias. Full results of the show Centella Azul, Dios de Terreno, and Lima Lama over Amanaza de Ciclo, Pere Negro, and Silver Fox. Astro Negro, Fugaz, and Sombra de Misterioso over Cinico, Delinquente, and Tenebro. Charo de Jalisco, El Mariantri, and El Mexicano over Dracula. <laughs> that would Espiritu be uh, Montecre. And Rambo. And then we had the Fueros and Juvi over Metal Latin Lover. And then Io de Santo, La Parca, and Octagon over Los Payasos, Coco Amarillo, Coco Azul, and Coco Rojo. And uh, I believe Dracula is here because it's Pena, of course, is spelled with a K, even though it does not have it that way here. Dracula, I guess with a K. Yes, it? not to be not to be confused with a different AAA gimmick of this era, Heavy Dracula. <laughs> heavy Dracula, heavy, heavy, heavy. 
So, yes. Fugaz here, of course, is Rammstein. Charlie okay. de Jalisco is Angel Azteca. Yes. El Mariachi, of course, is Solar. Just trying to give some uh, some names here to, that people may not recognize uh, in other gimmicks. And so. Mexicano previously was uh, Charo, right? Um, El Mexicano was uh, Hawkon 78. Oh, okay, that's right. Who did I th- wait? So, who did Ascharo become? Uh, we got, uh, oh god, I can't remember now. I'm Transformer, of course, was Kendo, so there's that. So, all right, oh, yeah, also, uh, oh, right, that's right, Ascharo, Charo to Halisco's brother. Yes. That's what it was. All right, having surgeons pass away to reset the bones in his broken leg. The doctors reported the initial estimates that Yildiz Mart being out of action for three months were way too optimistic and expected not return to early 1996. Yeah. Mascaro Sagrada also went under, underwent surgery this past week for a broken clavicle he suffered <laughs> on uh, November 18th in Hiroshima. He'd been working on the injury from November 21st. <sighs> He's expected to be out of action for three months. He was working on a broken clavicle for a month and a half? Yeah. How? Oh, remember last? Remember last week we talked about Canadian Tiger, Mike Lazansky, and Chaz, and all that stuff. Two years later, Canadian Tiger Mike Lazansky is negotiating to come in. Is <laughs> Tom Pritchard coming to WCW too? <laughs> Yokozuna and WCW, yes. All right, CMLL. The future of the Galavision show should be determined next weekend since they're both done year in reviews. Dave's guess is they'll stay half CMLL, half AAA. Because of the television commercials for the show, they switched to airing CMLL footage, which Dave doesn't think would be the case if it was just a year in situation of airing CMLL. And that's what happens. January 3rd, Arena Coliseo, Coliseo only drew 200 fans. Wow. Which had paired off Mano Negro and Black Magic over Silver King, Danny and Lafayette, when paired off in Silver King, the CMLL World Heavyweight Champion, the final fall to set himself up as title contender, two and a half star match. January 6th, went head to head with AAA. They only drew 550 fans at Coliseo that night with kids free. And there are virtually no kids to be found anywhere. As Atlantis, Negro Casas, and Mascara Magica beat Emilio Chavez Jr., Tatabandi Jr., and Acarna de la Muerte, three stars. Satanico retained the CML on Middleweight title going to double pin with Ether Garza in a third fall. Three and a quarters of a star. Wow, that's all. Uh, Baby Rich Nafiero over Olimpico Pegaso. Michael de Solateria, Justiciero Olimpico of Asheray Jr., Cadaver de Ocho Tumba in Toronto Negro, Gran Marcos Jr., Aco Negro Jr., Mochocoto over Yoto Solateria, Costa Conli and Pantera, Enlantis, Mascara Magica, Negro Casas over Aco de la Muerte, Dr. Banner Jr., and Chavez Jr., and uh, Satanico going to the draw with Hector Garza. And then on the 10th, it cost you know, 600 fans. Damiancito Aguerrero, Virus, and Perafito over Ciclincito Ramirez and Orito, Nikki Segura. El Mestizo, Olympus, and Pegaso over Kundra, Lafiera, and Lynx, the future via Lincium. Américo Rocco, Justiciero, and Metallico over Cadaver de Ocho Tumba, Espeto Jr., Tanano Negro. Acarna de la Muerte, Io de Gladiador, and Moguer over Ludema Jr., Pantera, and Rico Mendoza. And Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and Lafiera over El Brazo, Gramacus Jr., and Peroff. What was the Brazos feud thing here? Um, it was just El Brazo whip at Rudo again on his brothers. So, mm, okay. Uh, the thing here is, is just these horrific uh, attendance numbers, and you can see why they probably aren't drawing any children. But look at these results. 
older names, very much the wrestling-centric promotion against the flashier, more costumed promotion that appeals more to kids. Yeah. Yeah. Although basically no kids there when kids get in free on a New Year's Week show is still scary, regardless. Yeah. La Serenita, the Mexican women's champion, John AAA, really blasted CMLL in the newspapers, which is another paper editorialized about it negatively, calling her unprofessional, because you never know if you need a job for them later. She also took fifth place in a bodybuilding event in Mexico City. Well, that's nice. Well, I'm surprised CMLL then tried her best to keep her then, and she's doing well in bodybuilding, because they love that. Well, yes. Fun to get out of held a press conference on January 9th at Mexico City to announce the formation of his new promotion. Pro Mexicana Lucha Libre, or Promel for short. Actually, the official name of the promotion is Prom- Promotor Mexicana de Lucha Libre. The situation is that this new group basically stripped UWA of every wrestler of any talent with the accession of Kinect, who's part owner and long-time clerk of the group. Wait, addition, when did so- Kinect become part owner? That's just one of those things that gets thrown in there, Vix. <laughs> in addition, several AAA wrestlers are going to, cre- to the group that created promotion versus promotion feud. The first Promel show is January 15th, and first television date is January 27th. The working idea right now is that AAA, since they do two TV tapings every week, one tape will be exclusively AAA, and the other will buy a AAA Pro Bell talent. It won't be a promotion versus promotion feud yet, but instead we'll have AAA fa- Technicos team with Promel Technicos against AAA Rudos and Promel Rudos. Promel signed 50 wrestlers, 25 Technicos, 25 Rudos, and while we don't have the complete roster, according to one person's situation, with the exception of Tenebla Sr., an old-time drawing car, movie and television star, and mascot Luce, and then one or two others, all are good workers, so the cars should be good from start to finish. The names that Dave has heard are Los Villanos, Gran Hamada, Scorpio Jr., Shua Carrero, Transformer, Cibernetico, El Santo Negro, formerly Espanto to a Rudo Santo gimmick, Mascara Sagrado, out of action, Volador, Los Matemáticos, Mascara Unidos Mil, Universal Dos Mil, Rambo, Halloween, El Signo, Negro Navarro, Arquisetera, Liz Marx, Super Astro, Los Destructores, Zafiro, Brillante, Diamante, Mr. Condor, Gallego, El Sagrado, Pedro Silva, Calafagardi Jr., Semarista, Agla de Acero, Tinebla Sr., and Fuerza Guerrera. So here we are, Promel, Bix. Okay, so how much, of the, how much of this was a real new promotion? How much of this was a AAA brand extension? I, I would say it's kind of like the Mexican version of Zero One. Zero One at the beginning. Yeah. Okay, that's one way to put it. And then, so that would make what? Once it becomes promo as Tekka, that is the zero one becomes a real separate promotion? Yes. Part. Okay. Yeah. Basically. Because you see a lot of the names here, and like a lot, a lot of these guys are just freely moving back and forth to AAA anyway. Mm hmm. And here Dave's not even explaining why AAA cards would be half Promel guys anyway. Yeah. So, weird. I don't really understand what the point was this early. Um, I think the plan was there for what was going to happen was going to happen, and they're just getting there. Now, Hoovy doesn't go to Promel, though, does he? Nope. Which makes you wonder which parts were real. Yeah. And they end up hold, continuing to hold the tag titles while technically being with separate promotions. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, let's keep going and go to the UWA section. The next day, this is the January 10th, UWA President Carlos Mañez announced he received a fast from Sage Saguchi. 
figurehead UWA Jack Tunney-like president, stripping all those who had left their respective UWA titles, and also stripping Viano Tessero of his uh, WF Light Heavyweight title, and Conan and Shinjiro Otani of their respective UWA titles. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> Manyas drew a good house of uh, on January 6th in Arena Neza, only to have five no-shows on top, since Parata Morgan decided against jumping at the last minute, and those Vianos and El Signo no-shows as they were jumping. Conan was quoting newspapers claiming he didn't believe there was a fax. He wanted to see the fax and check the signature against that of Sakuchi. <laughs> Good on Conan. Um, he says Sakuchi doesn't even know what's going on in Mexico and that UWA has no business deals with New Japan anymore since AAA is affiliated with New Japan. He said for all these years, UWA has been trying to claim his titles were real world titles and they were just belts they want to control and got in a last dig at how about all the tyrants that seem invincible and abuse their power while on top have fallen by the wayside. As a note on Manius, Kanek, and Manny Guzman, who were the lean power brokers in Mexico now all that many years ago and are now all in the Vern Gagne position. I mean, he is right, Conan is, that like, wait, you're gonna do this when you're not even the promotion that has the New Japan relationship anymore? That's your play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Silly. Yeah. Um, Conan was quoted in the newspapers. <laughs> I'm curious if the person that told Dave that Conan was quoted in the newspapers was Conan. Oh, what do you think? <laughs> but still. Um, Conan is right here, though. For once. In this area. Yeah. What, what? And when does UWA actually stop running? When are they actually dead? <laughs> uh, 95? But when? Uh, they ran in December. Uh, the last show I see is December 29th at Arena Nasa. The last one who we considered a UWA show. Okay. I mean, that's what's considered a UWA show. I mean, but anyway, yeah, yeah it's pretty much over. Oh, well. <laughs> it's probably over before then. Yeah. What a... <laughs> How differently do you think things go? If Minez at least brings in someone else to try to book for him. Earlier, of course. When things were still decent. I mean, they would have had to go the route of AAA as far as, like, if you're going to work with us, you only are exclusive to us. You can't work uh, CMLL shows. So basically, they couldn't be, they couldn't be the UWA depends. anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That, was, that would have been the only way. So... Yeah, it well, not work. yeah, you can't, you can't turn UWA into the antithesis of what the promotion was launched for. So yeah, it just it just wasn't gonna work. Just that simple. It's a shame, though. You know, like what was once one of the, I mean, on a world stage, UWA is probably the biggest promotion in Lucha Libre history in terms of its standing in other countries and. Among the wrestling landscape, right? Yeah. You know, and the way they were bringing in international names and paying them big money. And Antonio Pena killed UWA. I mean, that's, and that's what you can say. 
Yeah, because he poached their best guys, but also... Well, he he started up a promotion that refused. I mean, I would say they didn't ref, they didn't work with UWA at the beginning, but when they worked with UWA as a promotion, CCML didn't really do that until after UW AAA did. Right. So, I mean, UWA was at its best when it was at its peak when UWA talent could appear on at Arena Mexico on shows. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that that was the only promotion in Mexico, and now you have a Another promotion in Mexico that's wanting to do things their own way. And also one that's much better at scouting and recruiting for new guys than you are, too. And they're they're isolationists. All right, Joe's back with us as we go back to the U.S. And we're going to start with a little MMA note here. The UFC knockoff called Battle K was scheduled to debut on ESPN2. I like how Dave has it at two as capital I-I on January the 9th. However, the first taping, which has been postponed three or four times already, that was scheduled for mid-December, first in New Jersey at the Meadowlands, then moved to Danbury, Connecticut at the last minute because of commission problems, was canceled because of the Connecticut Commission nixing it. The first taping is now scheduled for January 20th at the Manhattan Center, and supposedly New York State Athletic Commission has informed promoters they won't try and regulate it. The Battle K promoters are claiming it'll be a shoot, although the trainers and coaches they've approached for talent were told otherwise. Yet another new group, one of that mean, one of many that will be coming out of the woodwork this year, that's making noise and starting a New York-based promotion called Bonsai Ninja Pro Wrestling, which wants to do either work or shoot matches, depending upon who they can get their green to whatever, which means work matches, of course. Matches with pro wrestlers against martial artists. What? <laughs> Bonsai Ninja Pro Wrestling. I am not familiar with this. I'm guessing um, that and Battlecade never come to be, or does no, Battlecade, Battlecade does. does? Battlecade is oh, Battlecade yeah. Extreme Fighting. Yeah, okay. they had that CD. They put out their soundtrack, but it's strictly a pay-per-view property. Yes, and the only uh, Google hit for Bonsai Ninja Pro Wrestling is a wrestling forum thread with this observer pasted in it. So who the fuck knows about Bonsai Ninja Pro Wrestling? But how did Battlecade go from having an ESPN2 deal to being a pay-per-view? Well, who knows if that's really legit, too, you know? Or somebody, you know, shooting uh, fire Dave's ass. You know? I guess. Weird, though. Oh, very weird. So... But anyway, none of this comes to pass, so there's that. All right, let's go to WWA. They ran January 3rd in Clementon, New Jersey. We have Johnny Rotten over Jason Headings. Akita Klosk went to a draw with Gus the Greek, G-U-S-S. Chuck Sloan fought Super Jock Ed Atlas, managed by Eddie Reality, to a double disqualification. Then we have Bad Attitude which is not Bobby Eaton and Steve Kern, beating Jason Headings and Scott the Body, not Scott E. the Body. <laughs> El Latino beat Jungle Jim McPherson in a junior title finals match, although Latino was unmasked, revealing the suspended East L.A., so he was stripped of the belt, and McPherson was awarded the belt. And fighting Frank Finnegan with Tricky Nicky defeated Paul White, W-I-W-H-I-T-E, by countout, to retain the WWE title, and yes, that is Tall Paul. 
Is that that's got to be one of his first matches? Right? It is his first mm-hmm. match, and he doesn't even consider okay. it his real first match. He considers Hogan his real first match. So yeah, he I, doesn't consider his uh, duties in WWE as uh, real. I'm shocked. No, Danny Bonaducci presence on this. You know, <laughs> well that that's how that's uh, after Paul got into the business. Well, he moves to Chicago, and that's when he, where he meets a uh, then local. Uh, Morning Drive, uh, DJ, uh, Danny Bonaducci. Scott the Body. <laughs> what a collection kiosk. of names this uh, promotion is. Well, this, this is Larry Shar. You know, it's Larry's guy. It's Monster Factory, so. You don't get much more mid-90s New Jersey indie than Ed Atlas. Excuse me, Super Jock Ed Atlas, managed by Eddie Reality. <laughs> Eddie Reality, yes. Okay, so... Uh, I, I, let me ask, actually ask Joe this as a uh, non-wrestling performer on the Northeast Indies for a time. Uh, what's the deal with and why is it more of a Northeast thing? The like extraneous heel managers on like especially New Jersey and Pennsylvania shows that you don't have in other parts of the country that only work for one promotion. It's a friend of a friend, and they're like, okay, well, you're not going to pay me anything or next to nothing. Can I have my buddy come out, and he'll do whatever, and you don't have to pay him? And, like, it'll be a guy who drove, or it'll be a guy who's just hanging around, but it's usually, like, a friend of a friend of a guy in the match. And that's how it is, you know, um, Johnny Glitter, who spun off of Offa's WXW in like 99, 2000, his shows would be littered with those sort of guys. And it was always like Steve, the teacher's buddy is going to be the manager of Steve, the teacher's <laughs> opponent. So Steve, the teacher could do spots with his buddy in the match, you know. So it's Steve, the teacher, though, not to be confused with notable indie promoter, Principal Steve. No. Okay. Um, but why is it mainly a New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania thing? That's, you know, and that's a great question. I just think that it probably just gets more, uh, publicity and play. Chris, is this something that's common, uh, in the Georgia area? I mean, there, there are managers that will work for some other, any promotions, but more than not, I mean, it happens here too. Yeah. Um, Ryan North was the top heel manager for WrestleMania, Drew Adler's brother, and he he would pop up in a couple other places, but he mainly worked for WrestleMania. Um, Al, when Al was managing before he had his uh, career-ending injury, uh, he was mainly just managing for WrestleMania. So, yeah, I mean, it does happen. It does. It's, 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 I mean, it's, it's not common, but I mean, the thing I say about Georgia, there's, a, there's not a whole hell of a lot of other promotions, you know, around like it is in the tri-state area. I mean, yeah. you have them, but I mean, it's just, it just isn't like it is up there. There's just so many promotions up there that it's kind of maybe more pronounced. It's like you, you're marking your territory that, you know, this is this manager's you know, promotion. This is this manager's promotion. You know, yeah. it's like, um, it's like ECWA. I mean, what was it? Um, Barry Casino was yeah. only basically an ECWA, you know? 
But um, Barry Casino felt who, like he was actually part of the show. Like the guys I'm Johnny, talking about. Johnny D. Johnny D. in Jersey Opera. You know, Johnny I mean? D. is a good example in like a higher profile indie of this of the weird extraneous heel managers. Because he only managed the hit squad there. You know, he never was anywhere else. Yeah. And he was probably a buddy of theirs. And they're just like, hey, we'll get you on these shows because we know Frat Frank will let us do whatever we want. You know, um, wasn't able to bring him anywhere else, really, or he didn't want to travel, you know. And it's, you know, unathletic folks like wrestling, too, and they want to do something in the business. And not everyone has shows where you could have commentary or whatever it is. And, you know, you could take one sloppy bump, and that's really all it needs on a show like this sometimes. Well, I mean... Feinstein, when he was fun athletic guy, well, he was he only did that on in certain promotions. You know, he, he was the promotions that, that would let him. Yeah, yeah, I say he wouldn't do that everywhere else that the Christopher Street connection was working. So, yeah, it's it, it's just it, it's just different in the in the, the tri-state. Yeah, it, it is a tri-state thing. So, well. Speaking of the Northeast, but, let's go to a promotion that is run by a less extraneous manager. <laughs> ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Yeah, and I guess before we get to what we actually have in the notes, though, we decided we should play the end of the first of the two TV shows in our week plus, right? Yes, because uh, it sets up what's going we're about to talk about. So, the of course, we had, this is a longer week than we normally have. It's a you know, nine day week. So we had two episodes of ECW television aired during our week, the third and the 10th. So on January 3rd in prom- uh, promoting the January 7th ECW arena show, we get the announcement of who Shane Douglas will defend the ECW heavyweight championship against. So let's go to Joey Styles making the shocking announcement. Well, the time has come. I have been authorized by ECW commissioner Todd Gordon to open the sealed envelope and reveal Shane Douglas's challenger for this Saturday night at the ECW arena. Somebody who is not currently wrestling for extreme championship wrestling. Oh, my God. This Saturday night, the horsemen are coming for revenge as Shane Douglas defends the world heavyweight title against... Tully Blanchard! <laughs> and you hear in the background, it's I, I definitely canned. It's the uh, oh, attention Lord. deficit criminals of the ECW arena chanting, Flair is dead, of course. <laughs> but earlier in the show, Joey has the contract, and then he's saying that like he has Shane's contract, the other contract is out being notarized, and it's just like this long, drawn-out bullshit to get to the Tully Blanchard announcement. Little did we know what would happen. Well, this is back when they actually did stuff like that on ECW television. Yeah. And they did it quite, uh, quite a bit before ECW television became will become as time went on. Yeah, yeah. Like the summer by September, it's like the fully formed thing that everyone remembers, you know? Uh, well, it really doesn't get bad until later on. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yes, and uh, this is also the very end, more or less, of NAWA voice Joey Styles. <laughs> he starts to settle into how everyone remembers him sounding, where he's not trying uh, to right. put as much extra bass into his voice. Yes. All right, so this sets up uh, the arena show, so let's talk about that. 
January 7th, ECW Arena, which drew a sellout of approximately 1,000 fans, started out strong but ended on a sour note. Starting with a negative. The Shane Douglas Tully Blanchard 60 minute draw, which actually about 43 minutes, was probably the worst received match in the history of the promotion. We've received numerous reports on the match, ranging from it was really, really wasn't that bad, but the crowd didn't accept it because there were no chair shots, to it, as it just was just got awful, with the latter few being far, by far the majority. It was so bad that the bleacher section turned their back on the match and began chanting, We want bingo. Who booked this crap? And for somebody to do a job and end it. Reports are that Blanchard, who hasn't worked much in several years and is 41 years old, was blown up anywhere from 8 to 15 minutes in, and the match itself was 85-90% rest holds. Fans boot every near fall when a wrestler would kick out. The idea going in was that these two have a classic match to build for a rematch, but they didn't have that classic, and no word on how or if future plans have changed because of it. It didn't help that the final match on the show, which was a 3-on-4 match, with Sabu, Tasmaniac, and 911 beating Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Public Enemy, which ended when Benoit selling dropkick Johnny Grunge on and Taz to pin him, only went six minutes, with no expected major post-match angle. The crowd heavily booed at the end of the show, and so they used a chance of ECW. Up until that point, it had been a strong show. Steve Richards introduced his new manager, Raven. Johnny Polo doing his takeoff on The Crow. Richards didn't beat Hat Myers and Raven used a load of boot on Myers' bad neck from the match at Benoit with the Benoit with Benoit the previous card. All right. So let's play this, shall we? Let's play the introduction of The Raven by Steve Richards. The Raven? <laughs> Wrestling! Okay, what <laughs> he is talking about here is something we've alluded to a couple times in the past. Starting with this show, and then what, for the next few months, I guess would be the way to put it? The ECW arena is well lit. The mm -hmm. production values on the shows are much better. You can tell they're using professional tape and cameras. They did this throughout '95, basically. Yeah, it's up to it's up to the May taping, like whatever the May Arena show is. Right. Well, no, like, they they kind of continue it through. Well, because, uh, if you, if the lighting. They do. Well, I mean, if you remember, like in the summer, early summer, right when they do the cactus, the cactus turn. You so know, there, it's, it's still that way. There's a June July show where they have like the cage match with um. The cage, the 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 chair shot heard around the world thing. Yeah, that one is it's like a little darker, but yeah. So August, it does like there's like June and July. I guess the lighting guys had the summer off and weren't there, but August, the cactus turn, it's back to being like good lighting. But yeah, yeah, right. And presumably, and I think this was have what uh, John Philip Havage figured out when it came up. I think when we had him on that Patreon show. Presumably, the switch to editing and on, on SVHS or whatever is um once all the production moves over to new york yeah at uh i forget is it ron or charlie's house yeah whichever it is that that presumably whatever editing equipment there was was not able to handle whatever they were using here so that's why the quality of ecw tv on the network suddenly dips in the late spring it's not that they don't have the master tapes it's that the master tapes were 
at best being edited on SVHS. So, and they move to New York, obviously, because Paul buys out the company and takes it over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The arena has been redesigned to accompany several hundred more fans. Oh, that too. Because month after month. <laughs> Did he just say "company" instead of "accommodate"? <laughs> instead of "company," yeah. And is that Chris Colt behind him there? <laughs> I'm looking to see because that's usually where uh, Gary of Smartmark Video. That was like his area where he sat. So I'm keeping my eyes peeled for him. Sell out after sell out. We need more room because everybody wants to see Extreme Championship Wrestling. There's that guy. Was that Gary in the cowboy hat? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it's put up or shut up time for the man I call Steve Richards. Professional audio, too. More music. Say, I rehearsed all my lines, say. <laughs> Repeat all of this verbatim, Joey. I'm not going to produce Scotty Flamingo. And I'm not going to produce Scotty the Body. You see, my man, the man I'm bringing out tonight, was very. The camera angle is really distracting. It's it's to make Stevie look like a giant, of course. But Stevie is tall. Yeah, he's, you know, he's tall enough, but it is a very odd camera angle, yes. It's like shooting up at the two of them next to the ring post by the aisle. But they did this a lot in this era. In Yes, in this short period of time. And there's a smoke machine going that also makes it look like the parking lot at a GCW show. <laughs> what am I saying? The first few rows of a GCW. <laughs> you know who he's upset at, 
tonight. But let's not talk about Tommy Dreamer. Because as I said, January 7th, 1995, is an historical night in extreme championship wrestling. And now, Joey Styles. It's about time. We've only got an hour, you know. I have as much time as I want. just like Johnny Polo with like a frowny face. He hasn't like really grown the facial hair in yet. The jacket well, the, is, ha- the, the hair is kind of He's got like blonde and red streaks in it. And it's curled. Yeah, he looks and it's yeah. not and it's not um as Ooh. long. He's had some of it cut. And he has a little no, bit of a soul it, patch too. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I was I was a sucker for this. Like even as a kid like into a teenager, anytime anybody would like jump from one promotion to another, you know? And he was, like, just on WF TV, like, maybe, like, three months before. You know, maybe four at the most. So, like, it's like a WWF guy jumping to ECW. I'm like, wow, that's really cool, you know? And uh, I love Raven to this day. I'll never... I, I hope I never meet him, ever. I hear he's a big dick. And uh, I think that's... He really, uses a word. Really... <laughs> he well, he is what he is. <laughs> right. Um... I always joke around and say people who have met him tell me uh, that he's a big dick. 
um, yeah. just to make me sad. I will say there's a story that was told to me by a friend through a friend. Maybe you've heard this story. Um, a couple years back when Raven was still taking like indie bookings, like to wrestle matches, she's on some show and it's like some big marathon show where there's like 18 matches shows running long and it crosses over into midnight. So Raven just starts getting his shit together and packing up and the promoter's like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, you booked me for Friday. It's now Saturday. If you want me to wrestle tonight, Saturday, a new day, you have to pay me again. And the promoter did to get Raven to go out and work like a six minute, like multi-man tag match on a main event at some shitty indie show in like the New England area. Well, you know what? I don't blame him. Ain't no, ain't no reason why that why a show should be going past fucking midnight. Hell no. I'm with you. But again, leave it to Raven, man. That's like the I don't blame him. getting that bag, you know? Okay, but I'm my, curious, my though. Is, my, Go ahead. What? I was going to say, my thing is, though, I wonder how what how they thought the Raven deal was going to go, because I don't think they thought that it would become as big as it became. Well, the story that, you know, Scotty tells is that he was only supposed to be in for three months. Yeah. And it was supposed to be get Dreamer over and then go. And, you know, Cornette shoot interviews at this time and Scotty shoot interviews at this time that Cornette was trying to bring him into Smoky Mountain and they couldn't just line up on getting each other on the phone for whatever reason. So Raven just ended up staying here a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then it turns into, you know, two and a half years. Just, well, just imagine if he goes to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I know. Imagine I mean, he goes God. to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Eddie Gilbert's there like at the same time-ish, you know, and... Al, they never bring. I assume they never bring in Al Snow. And if you know whatever happens with Eddie Gilbert, of course, you've already got like a heel mouthpiece character there in Raven. You know, maybe Al Snow stays in ECW long. But he's not doing that. He's not doing that gimmick at Smokey though. Um, that's what the thought was. Like they were intimating that, you know, he'd kind of let himself out of all the you know Scotty the Body, Scotty Flamingo, that sort of thing. And there's no way this character would have gotten over. But, like, who the hell would, you know, the gangsters are over in Smoky Mountain, which we'll get to, you know? Over yeah. in that they are located in Smoky Mountain. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but also remember, the original idea of Raven is that basically working in the WWF office drove him insane. That's the gimmick originally. Right. That doesn't last even long. S- you You would think... Because we have, like, it's just that uh, right now the match is, um, you know, Dreamer's the one that beats Stevie's undefeated streak. His two-match undefeated streak. Right. Two-match undefeated <laughs> streak. So Stevie brings in Raven, who's his inspiration. You would think if Tommy Dreamer and Raven went to summer camp, like we were going to be told months from now, that as, you know, Stevie Richards is emulating this guy that Dreamer has a history with, dreamer would have been like i'm gonna go extra hard at this guy or like because there's nothing in the match that he has with stevie that would intimate that they have like some sort of past like that would have been like the the planting the seeds of this angle that they probably don't throw together for like another two sets of tapings before they figure out he's gonna stay a little bit longer you know is the summer camp beulah thing the worst storyline in good ecw um no is it the worst storyline in good ECW, not ECW period? <laughs> no, I, you know, listen, I, 
I am looking at this with rose-colored glasses because I love Raven. I think it's a great storyline. Even though their ages don't quite line up, I think Scotty's like eight years older than Dreamer, so... I'm they trying broke to think. in on the think. Northeast on around the same time. Like, mm-hmm. you could have just built it around that. Yeah. Well, ECW didn't run a whole lot of storylines. That's the thing, though. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it worked. So, I mean, really, that's right. all that matters. People it remember it, you know, for better or for worse. And, but it wouldn't, I tell you this. It wouldn't have worked if it wasn't for Viola. She made it work. Yeah, yeah. They um, lucked out with her. If, they, if it had been somebody else, it wouldn't have worked like it did. But with her being who she was and how she looked and the fact that she had the past that she had, which that was a huge deal. Yep. I mean, that that made it all work. She's the reason. All right. Um... Al Snow got over strong in his debut, where he uh, had the best wrestling match on the show, beating Osamu Nishimura <laughs> in a match where both shook hands after the match. Yes, folks, that was a match that happened in DCW Arena. So, Tuko Scorpio was attacked by Chris Von Dimalico for his match with the Sandman. Scorpio complained about what the two had done to Ron Simmons at the previous card. Sandman took advantage of the injury, but Scorpio came back and won anyway. And after the match, Benoit Malenko and Sandman all attacked. And left Scorpio Lang. Giant Paul Loria, about five foot three and a half inches tall, pinned Mikey Whipwreck when Jason gave him a karate kick to the back of his head. Loria would look green in one spot and good in another, showing strong, strong facials. In reality, the two are best friends, and Whipwreck got his job as a wrestler at ECW as when the two were part of the ring crew and were screwing around the ring doing dangerous high spots. The two did this while the show when Whipwreck did a Mikey well, did a, a Ray Mysterio Jr. plunge off the top rope onto Laura in the front row. Well, this is one of those good storylines that you were mentioning before. Uh, yeah, Jason, Jason is jealous of Mikey Whipwreck because Mikey accomplished more in one year in ECW than Jason had in his entire career of being a wrestler. So that's why he brought Giant Paul Loria back uh, for you know a set of tapings. Which the turn took place on the the tapings, yeah. That before our week aired during our week, and uh, that I I, I like the Paul Laria segment, but man, did that go long? Yep. Oh my god! And that they was a show, long segment, <laughs> and it's preceded by clips of a very long, even match of Mikey and Donnie Allen. You know, so <laughs> yes, ECW, yes. everybody. Yes, Donnie Allen. Yes, but yeah, Paul Laura does this thing when he's and he's God. Yeah, I think he does. He like, comes this... back and gets slammed by nine one one. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have that moment. All right. Um, Pit Bulls beat the Bad Breed, actually, and Ron in a match where the lose team had to split up. This was the ECW special four-way juice brawl over the brawling over the fans participating, giving all four various foreign objects and rating anywhere from four to five stars, depending oh. upon who you talk with. After the match, Ian turned on Axel. I mean, say what you will about this type of stuff, but I mean, at that time, man, I mean, like in that in that building, this, I mean, to those people, this was a four to five star match. Yep. 
And they would just do Ian versus Axel in a different stipulation match every arena show from now until the summer. Yeah. And the fans were into it. Yep. You know, it's stuff that doesn't age well in hindsight. No. But th- no. at the time, it worked. And that, and you know, and you look at it too. I mean, that's one of the most important feuds they had. Because it was a tape seller. Because they would ne- like they would show clips of it on TV, but like very rarely. And I think around like February, March, E and E or Axel even cuts a promo saying that it's the 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 feud that's too hot for even ECW TV. And like that's how they really sell. Like you, the only way you could see these matches is buying the the home videos. I mean, I remember you know this is early into my ECW watching days. I mean that. The, the words Taipei Deathmatch just sounded like the most evil shit around <laughs> yeah. Taipei Death. You know? Because, I mean, they had the Singapore Cane, which, of course, that had its own deal. Right. You know, in pop culture. And now you got the Taipei Deathmatch. Yeah. And, and they showed, like, a two-minute clip of that match with no commentary, like, the day after that. And it was just like they showed that two-minute clip. And then it's like right to the VHS, like the ad for the video or to get the videotape of that show, you know? So it, it was smart stuff. You know, it was, they were, they were finally building something. All the pieces were coming together, you know, here at the beginning of 95 for ECW. I mean, they, they were trying to capture the imagination of fans. Yeah. They show you that little taste of it. And you know, well, you got to buy the home video to see the, see the full stuff, you know? So, I mean, it was a very smart move on their part to do that. And, and I did. You know, I was just a watcher at this point, you know, uh, watching back from the, you know, Ultra Clash 93 days, uh, watching it on the only TV that Sports Channel Philadelphia would come in on my house on the cable for some reason. And I was buying the videotapes. And it was like this era that started getting me to go to like the Jim Thorpe and the Hamburg shows in like March and April. And then as the summer's building up, um, you know, it was like that September I start going to the arena and, you know, in Philly. And, you know, I still, you know, consider myself like a dyed-in-the-wool true ECW fan. You know, it's it's this era that got me going to live shows for them. Yeah. All right, full results. We have uh, and star ratings. Richards and Hackmeyer's got two and a quarter stars. Snow and Nishimura, three and three quarter stars. Scorpio Sandman, two and a half. Lawyer and Whipwreck, three and a quarter. Uh, Pitbulls against Bad Breed, four and a half stars. J.T. Smith over Chad Austin in a dud. <laughs> Shane Douglas and Tully Blanchard, quarter of a star. And then the, the handicap match main event, 9-1 Sabu Taz against Benoit Malenko, Public Enemy, two and a half stars. So in a weird bit from the TV before this, and something I completely forgot about, so in all the wrestler promos, Public Enemy, Pauly, whatever, they call Benoit the crippler, Chris mm-hmm. Benoit. But in all of Joey's segments, he calls him crippling Chris Benoit, which was very strange. And it's something I completely forgot about, that they were like toying with what version of cripple or crippler or crippling to call Benoit at this point. Yeah, they were, I guess, you know, it's like, well, it's like WWF. Uh-huh. Minotaur on one TV yep. and the Mantar. <laughs> right. 
and and Paulie cuts a promo hyping up this show. And you you've read the report. They said like the the Shane and Telly Blanchard match stinks. The main event only goes six minutes. And Paulie cuts this impassioned promo, like begging the fans to come to the show. That if they come to Philly this Saturday night for our brand of sports entertainment, he says, um, that he guarantees that they will not be disappointed. And like, if you come to this show and you don't like what you see, like little, and again, Paul cut this promo, knowing what we know about how bad this show ends up being like overall, like, you know, not what gets chopped up for TV, but just Paulie in 1995 saying our brand of sports entertainment for ECW, you know, it's like Wade said that he was trying to straddle the line of being Paul E. Dangerously and promoter Paul Heyman in that promo. Yeah. But now in fairness, though, everything on this show, other than those top two matches does air in its entirety on TV. Um, yeah, yeah. As I'm looking at the thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't think they even clip up other than whatever's taken out in commercials in the longer matches. I don't think they even clip up the matches from this show. Like the undercard of this show is really good. It's a very good ECW show. It's just, it's just those last two matches, you know? And that's what, and that's what did them in. I mean, you're, you're known for your main events. And if your main events, don't carry the water, then yeah, you may have a great undercard, but it gets forgotten about real quick. That main, that main event will leave a bad taste in a fan's mouth, and that you know that takes care of the goodwill you have in the undercard. Good look at WCW; they went through that numerous times. So, yeah, you know. All right, um, let's talk some more about this show. Let's go to the torch now. The January 7th fan rebellion has been a cause of concern by ECW officials. It's not definite whether Tully Blanchard will be back, but the original plans were for him to do a series of dates. Tully has left Jim Crockett's NWA promotion based out of Dallas, and has nothing good to say about Crockett to anyone who will listen. (laughs) (laughs) The the tag main event was cut short due to injuries during the match to Sabu, who re-injured his neck, and Paul Lee, who took a heavy shot to his sternum. Isn't the latter the worked injury, though, from Rocco putting it through a table? Yes. Yeah. What? Does Wade think it's a real injury because Paul called into a Resi show the next day and talked about it? ECW officials told him. Yeah. Then we go back to the Observer. Barry Winham was contacted by coming in to wrestle Shane Douglas as another emissary, Ric Flair. But Wyndham has a lawsuit out against WCW claiming his knee was so badly damaged working there that he'll be suffering for life and able to wrestle again. In fact, Eric Bischoff was supposed to be in deposition with Wyndham's lawyers this week. I mean... Well, we know that he wrestles again, and hell, as you know, even recently he's on WWE TV laying out Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Wait what a minute! A co- that's, what a co- what a comeback! <laughs> that was Uncle Howdy. How dare you? That's the ghost that we all can see that Bray Wyatt talks to and makes him do bad things. And that looks nothing like his actual uncle. <laughs> well, it looks like his brother. <laughs> um. This is a lawsuit we – I don't even think we talk, ever talked about this lawsuit in the show, Bix. I don't think so either. I don't think much else comes out about it. Yeah, it doesn't I don't, It doesn't come to pass as far as I know. I'm going to guess the depositions did not go well and they settled because it's WCW. I mean if you wonder why Barry Wyndham doesn't wrestle much in this era, here's why. So then why does he go back to WWF the following year though? Because I guess that's when you know everything – by that point in time, he's – you know, has to go back. To, he wants to go back to work and can or whatever. 
the, the legal issues of WCW are over with by that point in time, I guess. I guess. So, I guess it's kind of like uh, this is a version of the Lloyds of London stuff. Perhaps. You know, where he can't do anything until he's not trying to prove that he's seriously handicapped or whatever. Anyway. It would have been something if he would have come in the ECW, though, at this point in time. But it didn't happen for logistics reasons. Uh, at the February 4th show, there would be a convention of fans from the internet from across the country attending. We're beginning that now. Yes, this is the first ever ECW internet convention. Yes. And you also have one of the few, before the radio show stops, uh, John Rezzy bus trips. Which they also mm-hmm. had to the uh, show we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko, back to the torch, were formed as a team to fill the slot that was going to be taken by Love Machine Eddie Guerrero if they were able to work for ECW. So Art hasn't passed away yet. We're still... No, he has. Oh, he's oh okay. Okay. He's, it was in... yeah, he's, okay. He's been dead for a month and a half. Okay, right. So that was November because I, that's where because Eddie still does end up coming in, of course. But obviously, you know, Paul's plan here to bring them in as a team delays Eddie coming in, of course. Or yeah, yeah. Now, day behind on television. Uh, it's being called Steve Flamingo last week. Steve Richards doing a Scotty Flamingo imitation this week was being called Stevie the Body. And Dave has a feeling next week he'll be Stevie Polo, which they talked about in the TV clip. So there yeah. you go. The January 6th show in Hamburg, Pennsylvania was canceled. So, yeah, that's the end of the Hamburg tapings. Sadly, because I like those tapings. Yes. Because it, it made the arena shows more important. But also, like, the Hamburg tapings were pretty well booked and had some good matches that they weren't running on the main, like, cow shows, like Taz and Benoit and stuff. The first uh, Cactus Sabu matches there. Well, no, the second one. Oh, the second, that's what we were, right, right. Yeah, the first yeah, the TV one. one. Well, no. Yeah. The, well, actually, wait, was Hostile City Showdown on TV? Uh, I think they only showed clips of Cactus Sabu from that, and then the Hamburg one they showed in it in full on TV. Yes, the Broken Ribs slash Beer Bottle match, as it was called. Yes. ECW's time slot on the MSG Network will be moved permanently to midnight on Wednesday night, starting January the 18th. They're just now starting on there, and they're already getting moved. Outstanding. Now, uh, Torch has publicity for ECW debut on MSG Network at 1 a.m. Friday on January 6th, resulted in an instant increased publicity for the promotion. In the January 9th edition of the New York Post, a page four column gave a positive review to the program, which led to a scheduled January 10th appearance on the nationally syndicated David Brenner show for Paul E. Dangerously. David Brenner had a syndicated talk show in the 94-95 season? <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. But, uh... Do we think that actually happened, though? Uh... I doubt it. Do we think it was ever actually planned? <laughs> uh... Probably not. Maybe Paul's roommate Dave was the uh, guest booker for the show. <laughs> Possibly. I'm, I'm oh, looking I'm, to see if there's any clips of the David Brenner show from this era on YouTube, and there's not. Was it, it was a talk show. It was a, a uh, radio oh, show. Oh, radio show, was it? Okay. I he inherited like... Larry King's spot on the radio. Gotcha. Yeah, so it was from 94 to 96. So he, he may have. Who knows? But what we do have is clips from our TV 
from uh, the big party celebrating ECW getting on MSG Network from a nightclub in New York, which I don't think they ever named. So let's go to this extravaganza, shall we? Yeah, what does this building facade say? It looks like it's a historical building thing, so it's probably separate from what the actual club is. Henry Miller's Theater. Okay, there we go. That's Public Enemy. Sharing an umbrella. We're on the guest list. Listen, guys that look like you are definitely not on the guest list. Hey, what are you? Hey, hey, we're the public enemy. Look at you, right? I mean, you walk around New York wearing those things, guys. Well, gotta hold your pants up. Gotta hold your pants up. You got it. Hi, <laughs> Yolanda Watts from the local news. <laughs> All right, so that's one clip. Now we get a little house show promo deal here, promoting the Florida shows. To Funky Cold Medina? Yes, to Funky. They can use that a lot in this time period. And yes, I am clearly using the re-C-dub versions of these shows. Um, As I skip ahead now. Ooh, hotline commercial. Don't get those on the award-winning World Wrestling Entertainment Netcock. (laughs) <laughs> Heatwave commercial they did not show that one that much past a certain point Hardcore Heaven Hardcore Heaven they showed oh, all the time got... yes I'm going back now franchise with his lovely ladies from Scores <laughs> are they from Scores or Rick's oh there you go Rick's Diamond Cabaret there you go DW ECW's do work for me It was here last week on Extreme Champion. He's here. <laughs> and there's more. We gotta find the other clips uh, of him like dancing. Oh, we've got. Uh, I believe the debut or one of the earliest editions of Extreme Encyclopedia, aka a dictionary that he call that they call an encyclopedia. Yes. Uh, here oh, we here we go. Leo. Yeah, they're still in the white zombie video. Yeah, they're still in the white zombie video. 
The expansion of Extreme Championship Wrestling has begun, and this television program is being seen in more and more cities across this great nation, including the Big Apple, New York City, and this past week in Midtown Manhattan. It was the ECW New York debut party, and what a wild time it was, led by the man himself, the world heavyweight champion, the franchise, Shane Douglas. And when we come back, we'll see a very special interview with the franchise and his date. See, not only do you miss the music from the music videos and stuff and the entrances on the network, you also don't even get, you know, all these plugs and stuff uh, with the music. Extreme Championship Wrestling is at Club Expo in Midtown Manhattan. I'm here with the World Heavyweight Champion, the franchise, Shane Douglas, and uh, and his entourage. in there for just a second, Joey. You got to get out of the camera angle because I got too many pretty women here. You can just take a seat to the background. Come on in here, ladies. You know something, Joey Styles? As I landed that big jet plane right there in LaGuardia, and I was taking my limousine right there through Queens, <laughs> and on my way into Manhattan, and boom! A flat tire. And I said, oh, man, I got to get the club expo. I look outside my limousine, and I see <laughs> Goldfingers. I thought I'd go oh, in oh, and have a little drink, you know, to wet the whistle yeah. before I got the club expo. And I walk in, and I see all sorts of beautiful women. <laughs> and it's tough being a franchise, Joey. And anyway, I asked these ladies, I said, anybody want to jump on the bandwagon? How many women is it going to take to satisfy the franchise? <laughs> and as you see, the four most beautiful ladies and goldfingers, maybe in the entire country, stepped out and said, we'll go out with your franchise. You know something, Joey Styles? You always said that ECW wrestling was stiff. <laughs> so again, it's watching these this air of promos for Shane Douglas. He's just doing Ric Flair like circa like 1987. You know? I thought Flair's like dead though. Well, he's the new Flair. That's Dick Flair to you, pal. Uh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, they, they're trying they try to make it a big deal. So, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Todd. Go- All right, we'll move on now. Todd Gordon apparently vetoed nine one one choke slam midgets. <laughs> okay. I know she's trying Was- to protect her ass. Oh, you beat me to it. I just... <laughs> God damn it. I'm guessing well, this is going to end up... There. <laughs> He's about to get it. By the way, I'm guessing yeah. this is going to end up being a dedicated ECW section, right? No. Oh, you don't... Like... Okay. I mean, it's almost uh, an hour long. That's why I'm saying. <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, it's been reported in Japan the ECW and the new wing promotion formed by Mickey Ibaragi have reached a talent training agreement, but that wasn't confirmed here. The report claimed that Jason the Terrible, Roberto Rodriguez, will work ECW next month, and that Shane Douglas and Public Enemy would tour for Wing in March. Uh, and Jason does come in, works the one show, and then that's it. Yes. He works and, double uh, tables, and that's it. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the uh, Public Enemy goes to Wing. Uh, I'm not sure if right away, though. I'm looking now. 
And of course, Jason the Terrible is managed by Jason. <laughs> well, of course. Uh, Public Enemy goes in March. Uh, your your ECW contingency that goes to wing in March is the Sandman, Public Enemy, the Pitbulls, and Jason. <laughs> That's a fun crew. Oh, is that so the tour where the franchise? Is that the tour where Sandman cuts the promo with the Ultraman doll? Probably. That's the uh, that's the final wing tour as well, like tour tour mm-hmm. of multiple shows. Public Enemy goes back. Public Enemy and the Pitbulls do go back uh, in May. They go back in May. Jan- Sandman goes back too in June. In June for a couple of shots. For so there you go. All right. Uh, let me get back to the tab of the notes. Um, yes, yeah, so that's ECW, but we have an ECW uh, side project here. Sabu ran a show on uh, January 6th in Wayne, Michigan, before a regular crowd of 225 beating Rob Van Dam on top. Dan Severn had his first match since UFC, doing a work match build as UFC-style boxer versus wrestler match against local boxer Johnny Johnson, beating him with two suplexes and a sleeper. By all counts, Severn was over to those there huge. Right now, Dave's heard a lot of interest in Severin among independent promoters, but he's going to have to be used carefully. His only lure is in realism, not in being able to work. So if he works traditional pro wrestling matches, he'll be dead as an attraction. The only way he can work is if he does very short matches where he takes no bumps. Neither he nor his opponent do any moves that are unrealistic, i.e. no tackles off the ropes, using ropes or high spots. And he uses either short arm scissors or sleeper and another submission as a finisher. Damian from Mexico and FNW also worked the show doing his gimmick of doing imitations of whomever was called out by the crowd. You can tell it's the hardcore crowd because the names called out were Sabu, Onita, and Tenru. After you got the gimmick going by doing a Hogan and Muda routine. And this, of course, is what has been informally retroactively dubbed NWA Sabu. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is what it's named as on the results websites. NWA Sabu. Because it's shows promoted by Sabu in Michigan with Sab as the NWA with Sabu as the NWA Indo- World Independent Champion. Mm-hmm. And how about Dave with the remarks here about Severin? How like you know kind of lays out like why Severin won't get over, and then when they bring him into WWF. In three years, like this is the very reason why he doesn't get over. They do none of this stuff that Dave mentions here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dave, do you? You knew what the deal was. All right. The Atlanta Journal Constitution ran a nice side story on Bill the Butcher's House of Ribs and Chinese food. When talking about his career, apparently trying to hide his real age, I do look at his teaching karate in Canada in 1976. <laughs> More like 1876. When he was urged by Australian promoter Jim Barnett to become a pro wrestler, he claimed to be a seventh degree black belt in Taekwondo and wouldn't give out his real name. <laughs> Gotta love Abdullah, man, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's a he was a worker. Is the restaurant still open? The restaurant's closed. Uh, no, I was going to say it's been closed for a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's been closed for a minute, sadly. Um, but yeah, um, I'm looking to see if I find that article and it's not up on the newspapers.com. So I don't know why, but it's not because they have the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution on there. But anyway, 
Yeah, I mean, hey, what do you expect? It's Abby. It's going to work. All right, All-Star Wrestling took place in McRae, Georgia, on January 7th. Uh, this is an indie group that would run um, throughout some rural Georgia areas. It has, it's mentioned names. Haystacks Calhoun Jr., obviously not the real McCoy, defeated The Punisher, which is Bull Buchanan. I was just about to ask. Yeah, yeah. Rob Van Dam beat Gorgeous George III. Which is Van- Robbie Robbie Eagles, the Stroh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and uh, okay. yeah, Van Dam was a, I mean, he was all over Georgia Indies in this time period. He was, he was living in Georgia, so he would work Indies all over the state. Uh, Bambi over the Amazon Queen, Peggy Lee Leather. I remember right, that was a mask gimmick. You know the deal happened after the show there. Uh, Jungle Got Jim her heat back. That's right. Jungle Jim still beat Glenn Gilbernetti. Of course, that's the future Disco Inferno. And Haystacks won a Battle Royale. That's like a hell of a show, you know, on paper, you know, for indies at that time. You know, guys that either were names or would be going on to be, like, big names and TV stars and stuff. So that's like a lot of them. Like usually you'll see like one or two, but there's, you know, uh, Bull Buchanan, RVD, the Stro to an extent, Jungle Jim steals off his run. Uh, but disco, like there's like four guys on there that go on to be like big TV stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the local indies around here would have, uh, some extra names in this era. Absolutely. All right. Smokey, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They take television through February the 11th at the tapings on January 2nd in Sevierville, Tennessee. Brady Gilbert showed up unannounced doing a paranoia gimmick with Jim Ross asking, what's he doing there? Because he doesn't even work for Smoky Mountain. Gilbert ended up being mad because of the Nine of Legends. They honored everyone but Tommy Gilbert and how even then they honored Paul Morton. They went up with Ricky Morton coming out in the two out of match, which Gilbert wore with his feet on the ropes, which he called the Youth Des Press. Gilbert then said he had a mystery partner and won the tag match next week with the Rock and Rolls. And that doesn't yeah, air is, during our week. Yeah, and this is Eddie's last run, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah his last uh last run of TVs in a uh you know, in a major territory well, I don't say major territory, but you know, smoking out wrestling before going back to Puerto Rico and tragically dying there. Yes, and uh, uh, we, he, we 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 I think we did the week that he showed up on TV, and because I know we definitely have played some of that stuff. Yes, and uh, it's different. Yes, his uh, paranoia gimmick, which uh, for those have seen who haven't seen it, the gimmick is clearly supposed to be that he's on coke. Yes, yes, supposed to be. Yeah. If they only knew what was going to happen, you know, I just wonder how much they would have done things differently with that. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's very different from other Eddie Gilbert stuff. Yeah, it was because a lot of Eddie stuff was kind of samey in Memphis and global. So, yeah, it was different. Yes, and, and of it course, was, it, it was fun to see him there. You know, so it's a different setting for him. Yes. But also, he walks out before he even gets to work any house shows. Yeah. Because he gets the book in Puerto Rico, and, you know, as Cornette puts it at the time, like, he understood Eddie needing to leave if he's getting the book in Puerto Rico. He didn't like that Eddie 
let him on about it and tried to make it seem like he was still going to work the shows. Yeah. Continue controversy by two recent angles. The angle where Boost the Cat gets killed aired on television this week. Their station in Atlanta edited the angle off the show. Joe Petticino does wraparounds on the Atlanta station air, so him out made some kind of remark suggesting the bag may not really have a cat in it, which got Jim Cornette upset. Apparently, in the last show in Marietta over Thanksgiving, Cornette had told Petticino what he was planning for Christmas. And Petticino, whose station that he does a wrestling bot for, is run by a Christian organization, got worked. No, got worried, excuse me. Particularly, the station has already expressed concern over other angles on the show. In particular, when Blake Landell said he felt like God Almighty when he put the plastic bag over Dirty White Boy's head. On that angle, as far as Dave's concerned, since there was no real cat in the bag, it's no different than the angle Jake in Earthquake did in WF a few years ago. However, if they lose even one television station of the angle, then it's hardly worth it. But they should have that problem. Dave was told the general feeling in Knoxville when the angle was done was that most people didn't believe, really, there was a cat in the bag anyway. Let's flash, let's flash forward. There was first no controversy in regards to killing the cat angle there on television on January 7th. The entire wrestling block on WTOK, the religious station that has had qualms over several recent angles, angles was pulled. So Smoky Mountain Wrestling is for now out of the Atlanta market, and on the final show, they didn't air the angle. Jim Cornette believes even though the angle caused virtually no controversy, suffered two complaining phone calls from fans. He thinks a lot of the fans' live thought the cat was really in the bag. Oh, yeah, sure, Jim. <laughs> they still believed and I, I if i remember what they what you see um it, it's very clear that not only well, is gonna, there not a cat in the bag but there's barely anything in the bag well we're gonna play it in, in a little bit okay so it, it's gonna be coming up yeah but yeah the, the whole block got pulled and dave is saying that this was this wasn't i mean he's not really saying it wasn't but there is, I think there was something to that, that this, this going on is what got them to do the last, the, you know, the last straw pulling it off, you know, they were tired of it. And, and you know, it's not mentioned here. I'm sure that the, uh, the gangsta stuff, uh, wasn't something they were really fond of either. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, they they would run the crawl underneath it to try to like, attempt to distance themselves for the people that believe that all this was, you know, real. Um, but I could, I can imagine, um, you know, the, the two things happening in conjunction with each other are not helping Jim's cause. Yeah. All right. Um, Oh, speaking of not helping his cause. Yes. <laughs> in addition, Cornette continued to do the racial remarks with the gangsters as a baby face at the house shows. As far as the racial remarks go, in Erlinger, Kentucky, on December 29th, there were a few blacks in the crowd when he made them, and they could just imagine how they felt when a main event babyface was making those remarks. Cornette's upset with the heat he's gotten for his line at the house shows where he told New Jack, quote, if you came to flap your lips, you'd kill half the building, unquote, saying it came after New Jack had insulted the audience and got a huge pop in Barberville, Johnson City, and Lenore. Although they didn't get the same kind of pop in Erlinger, Kentucky, which is near Cincinnati, he blamed that on being a northern city out of their territory. Their usual territory. He said nobody knows of how he has been upset about it, and that there wasn't any blacks even at the show in Johnson City. And you'll hear a lot worse in primetime on the Fox network. He didn't think one funny line in the middle of a show should have been such a big deal overall. To me, 
The Bayface needs to say what everyone in the building wants to say, and I just mm. said it. They got a big pop every night. I don't see one line out of an entire night of wrestling being that big of a deal. <sighs> and luckily, this would be the last time Jim Cornette says anything borderline racist, and we'd never have to worry about it again. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> I mean, it, are you okay? Are you okay, David? I'm trying to understand. Is he denying that it's even? Okay, when I use this phrase right now, this is me. This is not me saying this is the proper phrasing to use, but like, is he denying that it's even racially charged to say that? What he's saying is, let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that as a baby face. He's saying what the crowd is wants to say. So he's basically saying his crowd is racially charged. And he's just feeding the frenzy. Well no, he's saying the crowd is racist. <laughs> well he's, he's saying that they're but yeah, but but he's saying no it's racially charged, like you're saying, and he's feeding into it. Mm. You know who else did stuff like that? Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, young Ed from uh formerly of Pod Van Dam, uh during the height of Trump's presidency did a whole big long tweet thread kind of comparing a lot of Jim's tactics to Trump's tactics. And uh, again, I'm glad, uh, you know, Jim has always had this in him, I guess, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he, he went, he goes for the low hanging, went for the low, low hanging fruit, but here he's still, he's basically saying, well, this is what the crowd wants to say. So I'm saying it for them. What you in in a situation like that is if the crowd does want to say those sort of things, you maybe do a little bit to antagonize them to speak up, and then as they start chanting at the heel, you hold the microphone up and put your hand to your ear and you kind of encourage them and let them do it, so that the heat's kind of not on you, right? If you're gonna do it like that, yes, especially yeah. when you're also the owner of the company. But here's the right. thing too. Here's the thing too, though. If that if that's the case, what are you saying? Well, in then, this case, what would they be chanting? Well, no. The thing is that no. What I'm saying is this also goes to prove how why that angle didn't work. You know, it's not the right type of heat. Yeah. Well, it's just the wrong kind of heat in that northern town. <laughs> well, uh, in the other town too, because I mean. That's the thing the story that you know you always hear about this is why it didn't work because it just it was so it wasn't the right kind of heat. Now there it's interesting interesting to note there that we haven't you know brought this up. What they said that the show in Johnson City in particular didn't have any black people in the crowd. There weren't any blacks even at the show in Johnson City. So what they've done because I have seen some amount of shows in Johnson City from from tapes and stuff, which they had black fans there. They ran them off because of this angle. Yeah. So that's what you've done. Yeah. And as Bo has pointed out, too, when we've talked about the gangsters, you know, Knoxville especially, but also some of the other bigger uh smoky towns not just you know wise virginia or whatever there are enough college towns you know that aren't just locals that the population is also more diverse than it seems like Cornette was 
giving his his town's credit for. And if I'm in the crowd, if, if I'm you know was in the crowd in the show and I'm reading this, I'm fucking pissed because he's basically calling me a racist. Uh huh. You know, that shows you what you think. That showed what he think of what he thought of his fans. But also, wait a second. He's saying it didn't get the same kind of pop in suburban Cincinnati. Then why are you saying it if you weren't able to feed off the crowd to do it there? I guess he thought it would have worked there, but it didn't. That was the excuse he gave afterwards. Oh. Also, prime time on the Fox network. Huh. I wonder what that means in 1995. The local Fox affiliate, their news drop-in, you know. Uh, oh, well, we don't know. Wait, prime time on the Fox network, 1995. Oh, I'm sure it has nothing Martin? to do with, yeah, Martin, Living Single, New York Undercover. Uh-huh. Hmm. Which, I mean, it was like they were saying the, you know, the N-word on there. <laughs> well, no, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point, that it, it, it certainly now, and probably even then, it reads more as making a coded comment about Fox being the network with shows that are specifically to get a black audience. Yes. Good lord, imagine if UPN was around, uh, when Smoky Mountain was around, what would have happened? What it was, uh... Man. Alright, um... What, he'd say, oh, you hear worse things on Homeboys from Outer Space. (laughs) Because UPN was definitely, uh... Definitely worked for a certain way there for a while there. <laughs> okay, real quick, I'm pulling it up. So your Fox lineup uh, in 94-95. Okay, so Sunday... Sunday was generally less of a black-oriented night. But they, d- they did play a little bit uh, more... Uh, well, no. Uh, if Living Single is on at one point on Sundays during the... Is Living here. Color still on the at this point in time, or are they done? I think they're done. 94 uh, was the last year. Yeah. Because, yeah, the 93-94 season. So Monday is your white people dramas. Although New York Undercover has reruns on, you know, like Living Single did on Sunday at, at one point. Uh, Tuesday is Tuesday Night Movie. Wednesday. Wednesday is 90210 on Melrose, right? Uh, 90210 and Models, Inc. and War Slide. Models, Inc. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and Party of Five reruns. Um, Thursday Thursday is your big black audience night. So yeah, Living, Martin Living Single, uh, New York Undercover. So 90210, is, I mean, Melrose has moved to Friday at this point in time? No, it's on Monday. Monday, that's right. Monday, Monday, Monday. And Friday is, you know... Tales from America's the Crypt, X Files. No, America's Most Wanted Saturdays. That's right. Cops and America's Most Wanted on Saturdays. So, yeah, Thursday is the big like we are going for the black audience because everyone else is watching NBC night. Hey, and you know what? That's the, that was not the, the the dumbest play in the world for, as a programmer. No, you know that very you, smart. You, you know they're not going. You know, yeah, I mean, you know more often than not that. The audience on NBC would have, be heavily skewed white, so why not counter-program? You know? Makes sense. Really? The next, like, blackest night of TV at the time, as I scroll through this, would be TGIF. 
on NBC. Because yeah. other than, you know, well, because some of the shows were switching out at different times, but you had Family Matters, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Sister, Sister. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to TV. Uh, January 7th. Jerry Lawler did an interview tape from where he claimed was the Knoxville dressing room with a drunk he claimed was Dirty White Boy. Saying he wanted to fight in there, but he was too drunk. Well, let's see who this is, shall we? We can guess who it is, maybe. <laughs> okay. Make sure I have the right tab here. There we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, the Dirty White Boy, who will meet Jerry Lawler for this title on January 28th in Knoxville. Before we talk to the White Boy, let's hear these comments from the challenger. Jerry the King Lawler here from the World Wrestling Federation. That's right. And you know what I've done? I've come here to the Knoxville Civic Coliseum because I understand, I've heard from my sources, that this is where the Dirty White Boy hangs out because he's homeless. <laughs> I didn't know he was homeless, but then I looked around Knoxville and I saw some of the homes and who would want to live in them either? <laughs> and you know what? I'm afraid I found him. <laughs> Lying, drunk again, and a pile of trash. Hey, dirty white boy. Come on, get up. You want to go ahead and have that match now? <laughs> Isn't that pathetic? Isn't it a shame what the dirty white boy has come to? And this is your champion. You ignorant hillbillies. <laughs> no wonder you live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, I'm from Memphis. Do you understand that? Memphis, Tennessee. The only real city in Tennessee. The only city with any literate people. The only city where we speak the English language. The only city where people enunciate correctly and properly. The only city with any school system. Do you know what I mean? No, you wouldn't know what I mean in Knoxville, Tennessee. You bunch of hicks. You bunch of hillbillies. <laughs> and the dirty white boy, he fits right in with you. Look at him laying there. Isn't that pathetic? Well, I just want to say this, dirty white boy. You better get up, sober up, and get on your feet because Super Saturday Night Fever is fast approaching, and so is the king. I'm going to be in Knoxville, and I'm going to be there for one reason. Not to take your girl, dirty white boy. I don't want her. She's been around more than a carousel. I want that belt that's around your stinking, filthy waist. Do you understand that? Because I know that's your prized possession. I know that you go all throughout the slums and tenement houses of Knoxville, Tennessee, and you ride around in your pickup truck, and you have to roll the corners of your cowboy hat up so that your girl, dirty white girl, can get in there with you, and you all drive up and down those dirt roads in Knoxville, and you wave that belt out the window. Well, you're not going to be able to do it. When I get through with you, because you got a price to pay to the king, and I'm coming to exact my revenge by taking the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Championship and putting it right around my waist, and I'm going to take it back to Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> where the people will say, look what the king has accomplished. Get ready, dirty white boy. <laughs> I'll see you in Knoxville for Super Saturday Night Fever. 
Look at him. <laughs> He's just a guy under a pile of... Lawler has a great memory. He's a great athlete. He wants this championship, and he wants you. <laughs> well, I'm not real hard to find, and if he wants this, all he has to do is show up on the 28th in the Knoxville Coliseum, walk the aisle, and jump on me, big boy, because I'll help you out all I can. You know, Lawler, you're known all over the world. You're a great competitor. But are you man enough to walk in to my backyard? Because this dog bites. So you crawl on into my backyard, and I'll put the title on the line. And Buddy Landale. Buddy Landale. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, everybody's seen a tape of what he done. And everybody remembers what he did back of this when he tried to smother me to death. Terrible. Yeah. Well, Buddy Landale, you kept crying, wanting a shot at me on the 28th in Knoxville. Well, brother, I went to the promotions, and you've got that. You've, he's got the shot on You're the 20. Jerry Lawler. That's right, double duty, baby. It doesn't matter. But the only thing is, Landale, you may not like this, but it's a lights-out non-title match. So that means, buddy Landale, what we're going to do is get it on. You want to kick my teeth down my throat? Well, if you're man enough to do it, then you come on and play with the white boy. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Dirty White Boy pulling double duty on the 28th of January. Non-sanctioned, lights-out, non-title match with Nature Boy Buddy Landell leads us into our poll question. Should Buddy Landell have gotten the shot with the Dirty White Boy for the Smoky Mountain title? One nine hundred seventy-three Smokey, with no information about how much it costs or if you should get your parents' permission. That <laughs> was a, a different area. The, the phone rates were different there. Hey, Tony Anthony's awesome, right? It's so yes. underrated, yes. right? Yep. Yes. Oh and my God! Not babyface. Not surprising for a number of reasons, but you really notice it here because, um, kayfabe, but. Mance Warner doesn't talk like that in real life. You do see how much of his promos he gets from Babyface Dirty White Boy. From all yeah. the matches he wrestled on Worldwide? No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he's, he is a, a great Babyface in this time period. And uh, Lawler was kind of different in his promo style here. I mean, he's he's got the Lawler thing going on, but he's kind of more evil in a way <laughs> sinister ish he's more sinister than modern memphis heel lawler's iterations were yes yeah or wf lawler well i wouldn't even compare him to wf lawler even though he's wearing the same clothes but but, he, but he's got like a deep his voice is deeper you know he, he's got that bass in his voice he's more like uh dallas lawler yeah in a way yeah all right, so there's that. All right, so the, they first announced that Chris Kenny and Tammy Fitch were suspended for killing Boots, the cat. Then they had Katniss, Jack, and Boo Bradley at the cat's funeral, with Katniss telling Boo Bradley how he'd later see the cat again in heaven. Katniss, let, said, Katniss said they wanted Candido unsuspended so Bradley could get revenge for what, which Bob Armstrong did. So let's go to the clips where we will see clips of Boots, the cat's compromise to a permanent end. Um, I just realized in terms of this also being controversial, is the promo from Cactus also the one with the line about it, how it's not the first time a little pussy has led a man astray? I don't know if it's this one. It, okay. It's not. Okay. 
I can't believe what's going on here at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. First of all, everybody's all up in arms about squashing this stupid little ridiculous cat. And because of it now, they have suspended Tammy Fitch of the paperwork here to prove it. They've now suspended me. They tried to suspend me, but Cactus Jack and Boo Bradley, they have some kind of pull, have got to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and they've made me stay here. They've made me get in the ring now against this idiot Boo Bradley. Boo, everything you've done in your entire life, I've done for you. Everywhere you've gone, I've got you. And now, you stupid idiot, all because of that dumb cat, you know, Boo Bradley and that cat are exactly one and the same. They both scratched me. They both made the house all smelly. That's why I got rid of that cat. And Boo Bradley, now it's my life's mission to get rid of you. You know, I don't care if Tammy Fitch is in my corner because she's always in my ear. And if Cactus Jack and Boo Bradley are together, those two brains, as far as I'm concerned, are not even good as one. Let me tell you guys something. Boo Bradley, when I'm finished with you, you're going to be right back underneath that overpass in Asbury Park, living in that cardboard box, right where I found you before I brought you here. Let me tell you something, Boo. You better stop crying about that cat and start crying about what I'm going to do to you. It's okay, Boo. You've got a lot more friends now. They suspended Tammy Fitch and Chris Candido for what they did. And I said to Bob Armstrong, fine, get rid of Tommy Fitz because we don't need her in our hair. But please, Bob, reinstate Chris Candido because what he needs and what Smoky Mountain needs is for Chris Candido to take his medicine. You see, Boo, there's a shadow that hangs over you. And you won't be your own man till you step out from underneath that shadow and show the world that the goodness that lived inside Boots is not dead, but that it lives on inside your formerly dark and twisted soul. Please, Boo, strike a blow for all those people out there who've been used and abused by greedy hearts like those that lurk inside Chris Candido and Tammy Fitch. Well, you know, he's out there, you know. You know, Chris, you know, I used to be your friend, but I'm not your friend anymore. You're my enemy now. And I'm those kids that I used to beat up for you, you know what I used to do to them. And you know what I'm like when I'm angry. And you're not going to like me when I'm angry. You won't like him when he's angry. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. So, yeah, I'm, the boots thing actually aired right before I uh, started the video there on the on the timestamp. So there's that. But if you want to watch it or something, let's see here. It's the Knoxville clip that's where it happens. Yeah, I'm trying to... How far? Wait. So how far back am I going here? Uh, oh wait, that's Bruiser Bed. Okay, so it's is it? Yeah, you need to just go here. Okay, it's what Chip Kessler right. is introducing here. Well, don't, don't go all the way. Just go all the way to the end, towards the end, where we get it. Okay. All right. Oh, right. Once the lights are yeah. up, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Others and Cactus Jack have their hand raised by Mark Curtis. Chris Candido stands over Boo Bradley, and you gotta believe that Candido is not one happy camper. Wasn't Bradley's fault though. Bradley did exactly what Candido told him to do. And now Candido, who takes every opportunity to belittle Boo Bradley, to make him feel like a big piece of nothing, is giving it with his mouth to Boo Bradley, but again, it wasn't Bradley's fault. Awesome. Bradley did exactly. Is this the biggest Chris Candido ever was in his career? Because he's he's put on weight. Uh, so he's he's big here, but he's not like muscular. He's here? not muscular. Yeah, yeah. he's big. No. I definitely think it's probably yeah. I the think ninety-seven is the bit is probably the biggest overall though. 
Yeah, but that's muscular to 97. This is not muscular, really. Okay. This is bulk. Exactly what Bandito <laughs> told him to do. Brown now starting to chant a boo. I think they'd love to see Bradley tear into Chris Candido. But Boo Bradley, if nothing else, has been loyal to Chris Candido, his boyhood friend. But what has it gotten him? Bradley has been made to live in a boiler room. His cat has been, well, wait a minute. Speaking of that cat, here's Tammy Fitch with Boots. Here's Bradley as he gets a shot into Chris Candido, and the crowd loves it. Boo Bradley hammers Chris Candido. Now Candido has that chain, and he gets the backside. Pearl Harbor attack on Boo Bradley from the back there. And now he's got Bradley wrapped around. Got the neck of Bradley and hanging him out to dry. Tammy Fitz threatened before to throw Boots the Cat off the Gay Street Bridge. If Boo Bradley didn't finish off Cactus Jack, well, that didn't happen. And now Tammy Fitz is putting Boots the the Cat into that burlap sack. Oh, what, what are they doing to that poor cat? That cat cannot possibly breathe inside that bag. Now Tammy Fitch is heading out. But she said she was going to the Gay Street Bridge, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's not where she's headed. Bradley was hammered by that chain. Candido now leaves the ring. Tammy Fitch is taking that poor cat out of the area. And now Boo Bradley's going to follow him. Boo Bradley, I hope for Boo's sake, he knows what happened. Well, he's looking. I saw him say, where's Boots? He's looking for Boots. Boots is basically Boo Bradley's only friend in the world. He's caught Candido, who's got the bag with Boots in the bag. That cat can't stand this. Cat cannot possibly keep breathing trapped in that bag. Bradley and Candido. Okay, I'll say this much, though. Of the two angles, this and Earthquake Jake, the manager of the heel doing the pet napping and then being chased around by the babyface and then running back out is a much better way to switch the bag than they did in the Jake angle, where they just put it under the ring and then they pulled another one out. Yeah. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, this at least makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it's clear what they're doing, but at least it's... It's and the best the way you could do it. It's not, yeah, that's also why the fans know it's definitely not a cat in the bag. Yeah, also I wonder how many of the fans know that it's Tammy's actual cat. Candido <laughs> mixing it up. Candido's in the ring. Boom, Bradley right there with him. Yeah, hit him, hit him. The crowd wants Bradley to hit Candido again. And who could blame him? There's a shot with a boot, a right. Boom, Bradley in that middle rope. Tammy Fitzgerald is back ringside. She's got that bag again. Boo Bradley doesn't see it, but Tammy Fitch has the bag with Boots the Cat. And Bradley hammering on Chris Candido. Boo Bradley with a body slam on Candido. How long we've waited to see this. Oh, no! Tommy Fitch has that can of hairspray that she always seems to have in her handbag, and she has just sprayed the eyes of Boo Bradley. Now, wait a minute. Candido, that cat is still in that bag, and Candido is climbing the top rope. Oh, no! Oh, my! (laughs) Candido just did a... (laughs) Die from the top rope. I don't believe this. 
The cat is in that bag. Boots, the cat is in that bag. And Boo Bradley, I think, was able to, to clear the cobwebs out of his eyes just a little bit in time to see Chris Candido go off the top rope and nail Boots the cat in that bag. This is pitiful. Boo Bradley, Boo Bradley is cradling that bag with Boots the cat in that bag. And there Mark Curtis tried to come in and console Boo Bradley. You can't really blame Boo Bradley for shoving Mark Curtis out of the way. I'm sure Boo really didn't mean it, but again, his only friend in the world, you gotta think that, that Boots the Cat is no longer a member of this world. The cat had to weigh, what, a couple of pounds? And Chris Candido at about 225, his full weight on top of that bag. Well, the Power Ranger tried to come in and help Boo Bradley. Now Cactus Jack is back in the ring. Oh, this is pitiful. This is just gut-wrenching here to, to think what has happened to Boots the Cat and how despicable can Chris Candido be and Tammy Fitch be to allow something like this to happen. Well, there's Cactus Jack and Boo Bradley embracing. That is great to see, but you hate the circumstances. Oh, you hate to think what happened here moments ago, fans. That poor defenseless cat and Chris Candido just off the top rope with a dive right on Boots the Cat. Gosh, what can you say? Your heart goes out to Boo Bradley. Okay. Um... What a terrible angle. I believe Power Ranger, by the way, is uh, Brian Logan. Okay. Um, wrestling the way you liked it, the way it used to be, just like WWF angles from four years ago? It's just, so, it, it's, it's just bad. You know? Especially since otherwise... The whole Boo Bradley thing is a fairly well-executed, basic, you know, storyline. Yeah. I, I think it could have gotten just the same amount of mileage that it did without them doing the, the, the angle with Chris dropping the leg on the cat, you know? Just the fact of, like, Chris constantly berating him and beating him. Yes! And, like, he, it, like, it did not need, like, this extra thing. Like, if just everything of Chris slapping him... Boo gets the heat back on him. Tammy comes out and sprays the, the shit in his eyes, and they throw him over the top rope and hang him. That's enough. You don't need anything else. But because they brought the cat in initially, I guess Jim thought they had to be a payoff for the cat, you know? Then have them kidnap the cat. I don't Like, there are other ways you could even do that, you know? Right. For a promotion like this, it's, it's something they shouldn't have been doing. No. But... It, they are what they are. No, yeah, and uh, I remember the particular variety of smart marks that would uh, populate Frank Goodman shows back in the day. At one point, there was a Candido match. Might have been against Xavier that I was at where, uh, well, A, Candido was wearing his Terry Funk pants, so, you know, he was feeling himself in that match. Um because he generally did a lot more shtick when he was wearing the Terry Funk tights. And, of course, the crowd did chant Terry Funk pants at him, but at one point there was a You Killed Booth chant. 
<laughs> on Long Island in 2001. Well, there you go. Yeah. The, the, the actual best part as far as them playing into it, though, was at one point the fans chant skip at him as like kind of a heel. We are mentioning your embarrassing WWF gimmick thing. And him and Tammy both play it off as like they're annoyed. But then when the fans start chanting Sonny, Tammy acts like she likes it, which I thought was cute. But <laughs> yeah, this is just too much. All right. Rock and Roll Express interview President Jim Cornette for helping them win the tag titles and not turning on them. It said he was a, it was, he was a big man for taking such a beating. Cornette did an interview saying he originally had the ulterior motive when he asked Rock and Roll Express to let him manage them. Now, as late as the match itself, he was still considering turning on them. He said after they won the belts, he fulfilled his side of the bargain. The reason he jumped in after the gangsters were beating up Rock and Rolls was because he liked the Rock and Rolls because of his ego and because of how much the fans were cheering for him, he wanted the cheers. He said he needed to get revenge on the gangsters, so he called the Heavenly Bodies back. Let's go to uh, Jim Cornette convalescing at his home. Welcome to the Cornette Place for Christmas. As you can see, the tree's still up, the present's still out. I don't want to forget about Christmas. I want to remember Christmas chaos, especially for a long time. I never want to forget Christmas night of 1994 for a real good reason, because that's going to help me hate somebody all the better. You see, everybody was wondering. It's been a week ago now since it happened, and everybody was wondering leading up to the thing. What is Jim Cornette's motives? What does Jim Cornette want to manage the Rock and Roll Express for? Could the gangsters have, have ticked him off that bad? Well, yes and no. Because you see, not only did I want to get back at the gangsters, but also, after 12 years of fussing and fighting with the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, after 12 years of never been able to get a team that could just quite take them out, I finally had an idea. <laughs> I had a thought. I said, wouldn't it be great... <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if the Rock and Roll Express, the prideful men that they are, owed Jim Cornette? They owed me something. I can't find nobody to beat them and run them off, but I can hurt them this way even better. Because if they owed me, then I could hold that over their head for the rest of their lives. I could always go around and say, you wouldn't have won the Smoky Mountain Tag Team title if it hadn't been for Jim Cornette. And I was going to get a kick out of that. <laughs> you know how I am. I was going to get a real kick out of that. So I, I thought about turning on them, but I said, nah. This is going to be even better. And it happened just that way. Christmas night in Knoxville, Tennessee, thanks partially to my help, the Rock and Roll Express won the Smoky Mountain Tag Team title. And then I also had figured, you know, if they do win the belts, then the gangsters probably going to jump themselves. <laughs> They're going to start kicking the snot out of the Rock and Roll Express, leave them laying in the middle of the ring, and I'm going to get a ringside seat and a good smile out of it. And that's almost what happened. They started kicking the snot out of the Rock and Roll Express, all right, and I was starting to get a little grin on my face, but then something happened, and oh, don't get me wrong, it wasn't the spirit of Christmas coming over me. Let's not get too corny. Now, what it was was ego. Because you see, all those people in that Knoxville Civic Coliseum, they started yelling at me. Not yelling at me, but yelling for me. Jim Cornette, help them. Cornette, you gotta stop the gangsters. Cornette, do something for Ricky and Robert. They're gonna get hurt. All those people that have spit on me and thrown things at me and cussed me like a dog and tried to jump on me and beat my brains out. I couldn't have got elected dog catcher in Knoxville, Tennessee 15 minutes earlier that night, but all of a sudden they're asking me for a favor. And Jim Cornette's ego took over. And I thought, hmm, I'm going to do something. So I got in the ring and I suckered the gangsters into just the right place. And then I proceeded to kick some gangster butt for about 22 seconds. 
and in reality took over where Ego left off. And New Jack brought that slapjack out, and he conked me over the head with it. You could see 12 stitches, and the blood starts pouring down in my eyes. I couldn't see anything. It was like looking through a fog. And then a nightstick comes out, and I feel it burning in my leg when my kneecap got cracked. And then all I can see when I can see it all are fists and feet coming at me. And all of a sudden, I'm in my own private hell on Christmas night in a place I don't want to be and no way to get out of it. All because of the gangsters. Well, those fists and those feet rained down on me and that pain exploded from every part of my body and the blood soaked me. And Dirty White Boy and Cactus Jack came out to save the day because the Rock and Roll Express wasn't in any shape to do it either. And when they picked me up off that ring, people gave me a round of applause <laughs> you know I'm an egotistical son of a gun and that's the only thing about Christmas night that I enjoyed there's something else that I'm going to enjoy the opportunity to hate somebody because when Jim Cornette hates somebody he hates them with a passion he hates them with a vengeance and he hates them forever and I hate the gangsters yeah, and they tried to take me in that back in that locker room. They tried to call an ambulance, tried to get me over to the hospital, and I went, believe me, but before I did, I did one thing. I found me a telephone, and I made a phone call. Because the Rock and Roll Express, sure, they say, Jim Cornette, any time you want to be at ringside with us, when we face the gangsters, that's fine. We want you to be in on it. But you don't want to go when you have somebody you hate and want to get even with. You don't want to go to somebody you don't even like that much. Because we ain't friends, Morton and Gibson and me. No, I called some friends of mine. The heavenly bodies, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey. And I told them what happened. And I told them I'd send them a plane ticket. Get out of your WWF commitments at least one time. Do something to come down here and help me get even. And they said, sure, anytime, any place, anywhere, we're going to go cancel some dates right now. And they did. January 28th. Just so happens it's Super Saturday Night Fever. But there's one problem. Bob Armstrong, you still have that loser leave Smoky Mountain Wrestling stipulation banning the heavenly bodies. Well, I got some things to do and I got some people to see and I need the heavenly bodies on my side. So Bob Armstrong, what I'm saying to you is I want to see you not, not on the telephone, not by videotape. I want to see you face to face next week on Smoky Mountain Wrestling on television because I want to have a serious talk with you. If you're the man you say you are and you stand for what you say you do, then you know this ain't right. And you know I gotta have a chance to get even. And I want the heavenly bodies to come back or I'm gonna know the reason why. So Bob Armstrong, I wanna talk to you. And gangsters, believe me, Jim Cornette's gonna do some talking to you later on. So nobody gets away with this. Nobody. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Why are his smoky promos so long? I was gonna say, <laughs> great material, but it goes on forever. It feels as though this is him very slowly explaining the angle to everyone at home. That's why. Because he's the booker, brother. Why? But you notice what's missing from that promo? Hmm. Racial. Nothing racial there. No. He, I mean, the angle could have been that way. And could and would have worked. Nope. We got to go for that low-hanging fruit. I mean, in his TV promos, did he ever say anything racial or no. racist about the gangsters? No, on TV, it was strictly, I, you beat me up after I, you turned down me managing you, so I need to get revenge. Yeah. He only brings up race on the house shows. Exactly. But anyway, good stuff from Cornetti, you know, it was a little long. 
All right, two house shows of the weekend, which was largely uneventful, drawing 225 fans in White, Georgia, which is in White County, so it was a perfect Spooky Mountain show, <laughs> uh, and uh, Barberville Bar- in front of 375 fans, although the latter figure is considerably lower than the usual crowd in that city, considering they had a freezing rainstorm the day of the show, everyone was more than happy with it. All right, in White, Georgia, in front of 225 fans, we have The Nightmare, Ted Allen, over D'Lo Brown, Boo Bradley over Chris Candido. Dirty White Boy retained a Smoky Mountain title, beating Mustafa Saeed by disqualification. Rock and Roll retained some tag titles with the Gangsters, and White Boy won a Rumble Battle Royal. Was that a Rumble Battle Royal or a Rumble Royal? <laughs> it says Rumble Battle Royal. All right, uh, the Barbell Show on January 7th may have been the, Tammy Fitch's last with the promotion. Fitch was still going to work house shows for at least a little while, but they had a problem over her involvement in the Candido Bradley finish that night. Not having to do with who would do the job at the end because it was Bradley who was going down due to outside interference in the way. It wasn't resolved. And as last of the word we heard, the situation was that getting kicks out early, she was supposed to run in to strap Boo Bradley, who would then lose Candido, and then spank her after the match to get his heat back. However, she didn't want to do the finishes plan because she had just gotten the cast off her hand and didn't want to risk injury, so she wanted to do it another way. Her and Jim Cornette didn't come to an agreement as to what. She went to the ring for the match but didn't do the run-in at the end. Wait. He was supposed to spank her after she participates in the murder of his cat? <laughs> Immediately well, after? Revenge. This is revenge, Bix. That's the mama hardcore I'll take them both shit. <laughs> so there you go Tammy Fitch the end of her and, and she got heat by wrestling. pointing out I just had a cast off my arm let's do this differently Mm-hmm. which goes to basically what we were talking about earlier that Cornette had heat with WWF probably and he was like well if you're not going to do what I want to do then screw you <laughs> But they still have to see each other. They're still going to be, you know, they're not on the road road. But they're still gonna yeah, have... but he's not our boss. Yeah, that's true. Expect a new babyface debut in February, but don't know who. It's going to be very hard to draw up the spot shows where they headline with the new Southern boys, Scott Armstrong and Tracy Smothers against the Gangsters. Says Armstrong's come off a, t- a run as a TV jobber in WCW. As has been the case, they'll have to be carried by the major shows when the big names like the Bodies and Lawler are brought in. We're in that era. The decline is starting, and I was looking at the February results, and I didn't see any new names, you know, other than like on the babyface side. I didn't see any new babyfaces. It was in uh, supposed to be Brad Armstrong, but he comes, you know, a little bit later. Gotcha. So, all right, USWA, everybody. January second, uh, Mid South Coliseum with Brian Christopher against Sid Vicious on top drew eighty two hundred dollars. Which around 40, 1,400 fans, which was a strong crowd once again, considering the lineup on paper was nothing special. They rematched January 9th with Brian Christopher getting disqualified for using the chain. After using the chain to score one, two, three on Sid, drew about 1,000 fans. We'll talk about that in a minute. January 2nd, at the Coliseum, Doug Gilbert over Tony Williams, Tommy Rich over King Cobra, Bill Dundee over Scott Bowden, PG-13 retained the USWA tag titles, beating Don Bass and Reggie B. Fine. Losing team splits up match. The Moondogs defeated Ron and Jim Harris, a.k.a. Jim Dodson. Jerry Lawler Spellbinder. PG-13 didn't beat Tom Rich and Doug Gilbert. And then Brian Christopher in the Unified thought a match with Sid by his qualification. Yes. Um, we should probably note, by the way, um, Twitter friend of ours, uh, Tripping Balls, the son of 
the late Crusher Bones, has been putting up stuff never seen before from his dad's collection on uh, YouTube of Louisville Garden shows from this era. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, He put up what was the, the, the 92 wrestling camp that Jimmy Valiant did where his dad got trained at. Yes. Just recently on the, oh my god, it's such a great channel. Yes, but um, like but yeah, US USWA like ninety five Louisville handheld stuff, including not just with his dad too. Like law I haven't watched all of it yet, but like there's a long PG thirteen versus Rich and Gilbert match. So there's some interesting yeah, there's, stuff up there. I'm, I'm looking here, there's um uh Bill and Jamie taking on Brickhouse Brown and Sean Venom. Um is like just weird stuff. It's Crusher Bones Forever is the YouTube channel. Yes. If you just search that out, you'll find it. Yeah. He's a good dude, too. Yes. So there you go, folks. Check that out if you get the chance. All right. On TV on the 7th, it opened with Miss Texas. Doing an interview with Don Bass, Rage Be Fine, and their manager, Sweet Georgia Brown, came out. And the guys held her while Sweet Georgia slapped her. The angle looked really bad because Sweet Georgia slaps were so weak. All right, well, let's go to uh, – we got the, the two clips here because it happened in two segments. So let's go to Sweet Georgia Brown being pissed off, and then we'll have the uh, Miss Texas follow-up. In other words, we're going to see Sweet Georgia Brown fighting Sweet Georgia Brown. <laughs> yes. It was so confusing to read about all this in the torch as a kid. <laughs> Having seen her as Sweet Georgia Brown previously. Tell you what, somebody that's uh... – Got a match scheduled with Miss Texas coming up in just a few days. Oh, why don't get that ugly, disgusting video? I can't believe y'all would show some crap, some disgusting, insane junk like that. I thought that I ran that evil man with a long camel, though. I hate crap, and I'm going to get rid of it the best way I know how. And that's stacking it up. Miss Texas, nobody wants you. No man wants you. You only have a boyfriend. You know what you need? You need to be delivered to Texas or somewhere other than Memphis. Now, you have no home here. You need to get out of Memphis. And what I'm going to do is give you a piece of what you deserve, and that's heaven on earth. And I tell you what, you people that that's support home here, Miss Texas is nothing. She's garbage. Not happy at all over the video that we're showing here. They've got to face each other in a match coming up here later on this week. Sweet Georgia Brown, wherever it might be, she's looking for Miss Texas. I can't tell you what, Miss Texas be looking for her. Let's go to the ring for this match. Here's Corey. All right, now we'll have the... Uh... Miss Texas rebuttal, which leads to the uh, attack. And here she comes right now, Miss Texas. I want to get Let's her uh... comments if she had a chance to see sweet Georgia Brown. I believe her dander is up a little bit there, Miss Texas. She was out here really bad mouthing you. You know, Lance, every time you look around, somebody downing Miss Texas or running down USWA. Sweet Georgia Brown, you couldn't beat me on my worst day. You talk about me not having a man. Well, you must be pretty <laughs> desperate to have a man, to have Reggie be fine for one. I hear that. <laughs> she got one. 
But you question the caliber of the man that she's got, huh? See, uh, sweet Georgia Brown, you want to fight, then you got to fight. Yeah. All right, hey, hey, now. Whoa, whoa. We don't talk about desperate. You're the one desperate. Don't have a man. Don't have a life. You're a low life that should have been our message a long time ago. You don't even know no, that first slap was pretty good. Whoa, going at it. Sweet Georgia Brown, Miss Texas, down here. Come on, ladies. Save it for the ring. Here comes Don Bass, Reggie B. I know they're going to be impartial. Now, just get it separated. All right. Sweet Georgia okay. Brown with it. Come on, Don. Quit that kind of stuff. <laughs> As Bill Dundee and PG-13 comes out here, well, they found out one way to get to Miss Texas. Sweet Georgia Brown, you want to fight? You got to fight. You better get ready for old-fashioned butt-kicking. I tell you what, that little lady backs up a lot of what she says, so I can tell you, Georgia Brown, you better ready to get in there and do it the hard way because she is flat coming after you after that kind had two of my one on each arm holding her so she slapped her around man i can tell you what whoa ah, i guess that's a good idea we'll take a break we'll be back in just a moment is jackie's the Best bad promo or the worst good promo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say the best bad. Um, you know she's she's believable. You know she could back it up in the ring and stuff. And you know the first slap that uh, Sweet George Brown gives her wasn't terrible, but it's the other ones when Don and Reggie are holding her. She's like for some reason like slapping her with her left hand instead instead, and she's like slapping down. It's real weird. Yeah. It, I mean, Miss Texas segments were what they were, so, you know. <laughs> but it was, I mean, she was over, so it worked. Yeah. All right. Um, Scott Bowden, right there, is a part of friend, an interview saying his mystery tag partner on January 2nd didn't appear. So he had to wrestle Bill Dundee by himself, and he got beat. He said he shouldn't have relied on the airlines. He should have sent his Uncle Bobby's Learjet to pick him up and guaranteed that he'd be there on January 9th. The guy who did appear was Jim Harris, who was at the show the week before. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to Scott Bowden, shall we, as he talks about this situation. Would Uncle Bowdy even, Uncle Bowdy, Uncle Bobby even have a Learjet? No. Coming out right now. He's had some personal acquaintance with uh, Miss Texas. Thank you. Uh, you know, you know, uh, Lance Russell, my temper is just like Bill Dundee's body. It's very, very short. And for the last few weeks, Bill Dundee has embarrassed me. And I'm from Germantown, baby. You don't embarrass somebody like myself. And I was going to bring in somebody last week, a mystery partner, yeah. to take care of Dundee. And I was going to fly him in on my Learjet, but I made the mistake of trusting the airlines. And due to an airline screw-up, he was unable to make it. And a lesser man probably would have backed, backed out of the match. But that's not my style, baby. I went in there, and I gave Dundee everything I had, but I just came up a little bit short. 
But I promise you, this week, he will be here. Dundee comes out going, Scott Bowden, you don't have any friends. Well, baby, I got the best friends money can buy, and I got the biggest and the baddest coming in. It's just like in college football. My Uncle Bobby, he gets the biggest lineman he can find to catch those cute little quarterbacks that are running around. You know what I'm saying, Lance? Yeah, Russell? I hear you. And when he finally catches you this week, Dundee, he's going to squat you like the cockroach that you are, baby. I can promise you that. You're going to wind up in some seedy lounge downtown doing Elvis impersonations after he gets through with you, baby. I promise you, the biggest and the baddest is coming for you this week, Dundee. Well, you've had enough unusual matches yourself. You ought to be an expert on a lot of different things. Does Bill own the strip club yet? <laughs> uh, maybe. Okay. As as someone who was a um you know an, a non in ring performer per se, I always get a kick out of even seeing back then, uh the non regular in ring performers wearing suits that were just a little too big for them. <laughs> get it well, now? That, but, yeah, but the, the mid nineties that was a style though. Yeah, yeah, and it was in the early two thousands too. Oh, even more. Yeah. <laughs> Dundee did an interview later on saying he's always hated managers, which is funny considering his last job in Russell was. That is funny. Yeah, from last week's show where he, uh, <laughs> yeah, left uh, to gr the greener pastures of uh, World Championship Wrestling. As a manager, yes. Spellbinder's gone for the week to attend the day of tapings. Christopher defended the USWA title on television against Doug Gilbert, finished all the rift KO by Bowden. Sid ran in, chose Sam Bryan. Doug got the ref, revived him with the pit Briar, who reversed the pit into a sunset flip for his own pin. The hottest stuff on the show, though, were interviews back and forth to build up. Tyrus and Doug Gilbert against PG-13. The heel said J.C. Ice was Jamie Dundee, and he was a spoiled rich kid. They said Whoopi D was embarrassed to even say what his real name was, and said he was from the streets of Nashville. They said he used to use his hubcap to beg for money on the streets and make fun of Dundee's mother, saying she was bald. His mother got his head, her head shaved in the late 70s and where Bill Dundee lost a match to Jerry Lawler and called Wolfie's mother an old hag. PG-13 finally ran out and attacked them. Everyone around, including the announcers, had to break them up. PG-13 interview where Wolfie D said his name was Kelly Wolf and that the clothes he wears in the ring are the same clothes he wears out of the ring and admitted to being from the streets. I submitted him he was Jamie, Bill Dundee's son, which everyone already knew, and called Rich a bleach blonde has-been and said if Rich, Rich ever talked about his mother again, that he'd kill him. I, I had two videos here, Biggs. So what happened to the second one? You do have it. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go to the first clip, shall we? Which is uh, the uh, the the brawl here. Here comes a real thrill. Scott Bowden. Scott Bowden with Doug Gilbert and Wildfire Tommy Rich. You know, PG-13, you're the kind of punk that my mother used to warn me about. The kids from the wrong side of the tracks, you understand what I'm saying? Because every once in a while, they cross the tracks into our nice neighborhood and try to work out some of their frustrations on the rich kids. Well, I promise you two punks something. If you try to cross the tracks and come after this rich kid, you got to go through Doug Gilbert and Tommy Rich first. You understand what I'm saying, baby? Dundee has never given Jamie Dundee everything, anything. He's had to steal for everything he's ever gotten. He probably stole the hubcap off the doctor that delivered him. But let me tell you, two pieces of white brass something. Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert are going to turn you into men this week, baby. I promise you that. Well, PG-13 will have... I don't know if you could do anything and turn them two idiots into men. We'll see what happens when every 
everybody's a and you're getting cheated from, you're getting robbed from, and they steal whatever it may be. What happened last week? They stole the USWA belt from Tommy Rich. What happened this week was I got cheated out of my chest. Tommy, Tommy Clear, tell them what is in store for what they've done to us. Well, you know, boys, Welcome to a men's world, and that's what it's all about. But you know, I want to give you a little background on PG-13. What it amounts to, you're looking at two boys that don't even have no business. They come out here cracking stupid jokes, and people over here laugh at them because they're about as illiterate as JCI and Wolfie D. Now, Jamie Dundee, the reason you got into professional wrestling, we all know. Bill Superstar Dundee come from overseas, from Australia to here, and he made a name for himself. Bill Dundee was a man. He's a legend here in this area. But you're not, Jamie Dundee. You're not half the man your old man is. And if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be here. Then you got Wolfie D, who rides around with Randy Hales and Eddie Marlin. He washes their car. You know, he's got his nose stuck, no telling where. You know what I'm saying? Huh? Do you know what I'm I saying? I hear what you're saying. Whether I disagree with and it is... Then, uh, and then I've done, you know, they talk about the hubcaps. Well, I found out what that's about. You know, Wolfie D, his mama's an old hag, you know. And his daddy, <laughs> the only way that Wolfie D can find his daddy is when he goes down to the street corner and he don't know which one his daddy's going to be standing there hold on a second. Let me tell you a little story. See, yeah, there's this little kid. He's called J.C. Ice, right? Well, everybody knows, little boy, who your daddy is and what your name is. Your name's Jamie Dundee, and you was raised right, Jamie Dundee. And see, so your daddy had a whole lot of money, and he gives you. But you know what happened, Dave Brown? You know what happened, Jamie Dundee? What? His poor old dad. See, Bill Dundee was a big legend around here for years and years. He beat Bill Dundee about this one. And then, you know, you remember his poor old mom, Beverly Dundee, don't you, Dave? You remember Beverly the ball over I'm, I'm, I'm about getting sick and tired of all this story insulting people okay, here. You I got to insult anybody no longer. See, his old mama, Beverly Dundee, after he beat up his daddy, his daddy was embarrassed, and he kicked her out. Well, Jamie Dundee, for what you've done, see your mama, your old bald-headed ugly mama, your stupid daddy, and everybody else in the hood, you think you're real stupid. <laughs> well, David, PG-13 had all they could stand, and here they are, out here jumping on Gilbert and Rich, who had been out Order, running their mouth in a direction they shouldn't have been. And now we're trying to get this ball broken up. Randy Hale's out. Randy's calling for more help if there's anybody watching a monitor. Tony Williams out. And PG-13 absolutely furious. Tony Williams holding back Wolfie D. J.C. Ice, and here's Gilbert. 
and Rich saw a chance to get two on one, and it ends up in another brawl right over by the fans. Partially separated, Rich is back out of it, Gilbert's back, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be back to it in just a moment. Now let's go to uh, P13 in the next segment. Well, I can't really say I blame the guys. PG-13 and uh, Wolfie D and JC took all they could stand, and they had to get out here and get a piece of Rich and Gilbert. You're right when you say that's all I could stand. You know, it's a crying shame when somebody comes out here and they have to resort to telling truths, Tommy Rich, talking about my mother talking about where I came from. You want to give a history lesson, I'll give you a history lesson. Kelly Wolf, Wolfie D, he's all the same person. When you talk about Kelly Wolf's mother, you're talking about Wolfie D's mother. When you talk about that I came from the streets of Nashville, Tennessee, you're telling the truth, Tommy Rich, because anything I've ever had, I had to fight for it. You are very right. And if I couldn't buy it, I stole it, Tommy Rich. But that's who I am. When these cameras go off, I'm going to keep talking like this. When the cameras go off, I'm going to stay dressed like this. I'm going to do everything that what you see right here is the same person that you're talking about, Tommy Rich. You want to get personal? You want to make me real mad, huh? I can come to the Coliseum. I can come to Louisville. I can come to Nashville. And I can beat your brains out, Tommy Rich. And Doug Gilbert, you've got me madder than I've ever been. Jamie, you need to tell us something. Yeah, well, uh, I don't blame you, Wolfie, with that kind of a... Uh a lead-in to it because of what Gilbert and Rich had to say, and the same with you, Jamie. Yeah, you see, Tommy Rich, you bleach blonde has been. Let me tell you something, boy. Jamie Dundee is my name. Bill Dundee is my dad. And you're right, I may have been raised a little rich kid, but I didn't have a lot of money because Bill said, Jamie, if you want money, you got to get out and earn it because nobody gives you nothing in this world. So what I did is I went out and earned it, and like Whoopi said, if I didn't earn it, I took it. But Doug Gilbert, you come out here and talk about my mama, boy. Let me tell you something. My mama is the finest woman to ever be on this earth. And the reason that is, is because she gave birth to me, Jamie Dundee. Jamie Cares Dundee, which means J.C. Ice. So what I'm telling you is for all the gold in the world, you can talk about my family, you can beat my kids, you can kick my dog. But if you ever speak about my mother again, Doug Gilbert, you will be a dead man. Ooh, PG-13, uh, we've got a standby match here. Let me check the time, or we'll be back with you and let you know in a minute. Strong stuff and a hell of a few. Hell yeah, definitely, man. Like, I want to see those guys go at it again right now, you know? That's... Simple, like just contrast to what they're doing here with this versus what they're doing in Smoky Mountain with the Candido thing. They're not making it too overtly complicated. You know, they're just letting guys go out there, cut promos and beat the hell out of each other. But again, this is Memphis. So you have all the personal stuff. Yep. And all the family stuff and all the, you know, all that 
dynamic going in there. Which again sets it apart from from every other promotion in that way. Well, and, and uh, eventually it leads to Bill's exit from the promotion for a little while, though, because he starts selling photos of him with PG-13 from when they're aligned in this run at his gimmick table. He is refusing to cut Wolfie in on the money, and when Wolfie confronts him about it, Bill pulls a knife on him. Yeah. But then they turn that to an angle, too, so... Yes, with the Samantha bringing a bus full of Bill Dundee fans to the studio. Yes. All right, Ron Harris gone to the WF, so that's what we talked about with the Blues earlier. So there's that. All right, January 9th for the Miss Off Coliseum. The tag titles changed hand twice on that show. It's time Richard Doug Gilbert beat PG-13 for the titles. After the match, they weren't satisfied and wanted to give PG-13 more of a being and challenged them to come back. They put the belts back on the line. PG-13 came back out and regained titles in about one minute. Oh, also, they had, also, they had a one-night tournament to determine the normal contenders to the tag titles. It became the two Bayface tag teams, the Rock and Roll Express winning against the Moondogs, which ended without a winner when Don Bass and Rage B. Fine and the War Machines, who had both lost in the first round, attacked both teams. All right, we are on the show. We had Tony Williams over Doug Basham in your opening match. Moondogs over the War Machines. Rock and Rolls over Rage B. Fine and Don Bass. Then Moondogs, Rock and Roll Express, no contest. Sweet George Brown beat Miss Texas. Bill Dundee over Jimmy Harris. Then we had the U.S. debate tactile situation. And then Sid over Brock Christopher by disqualification. And I'm guessing the war machines at this time are no one of note, right? Oh, I'm trying. I think I'm, I think they've worked the Bashams. Okay. Uh, hold on. I'm well, Danny's sh- not wrestling yet. Uh... Maybe it's not. Yeah, if you look, uh, if you look, it's War Machine One and War Machine Two. <laughs> That's all it says. Uh, no names associated with it or anything. Yeah, there is there is a tag team profile on Cage Match, but no uh, individual for either of them. Gotcha. That's what I was just about to check. And of course, Lawler's not here because he's at Raw. So there you go. All right, Mid-South Wrestling. Yes, that new Mid-South Wrestling around this time period. They had a show in Home in Louisiana on January 8th for 250 fans as we had Zack Steiner. <laughs> That's like a southern version of Dave Mysterio over Johnny Jones. I was thinking maybe Zack Steiner is really Zack Sabre Sr. <laughs> Joe Kane over the convict. Joe Kane, not from the program. Bronco Bob over Sandman, not the ECW wrestler. Johnny Rose over Al Savage. And the main event, the reason why I put this results in the notes, Chris Adams over Michael P.S. Hayes. Hmm. Wow. Here's some match there. Dallas. <laughs> NWA Dallas. Kevin Von Erich catches North American title from Greg the Hammer Valentine on the January 7th Dallas show before 500 fans. John Hart was a guest referee and did a Bayface turn by putting Kevin on top and counting the pin after collision. Expect Hart to win the title on January 14th show with a heel turn. Although Hawk was over strong to face by the end of the show. Of course, that's Bradshaw. Uh, Spiders also returned in a few with Sam Houston and Chaz. Black Bart did a big face turn to Chris Adams' Dick Murdoch match. Bart accidentally hit Murdoch when Adams ducked in the two-star brawling. Several heels ran in to break things up when all the heels attacked Adams until Bart helped Adams clean house and make the save. Tracy Austin, 
who was a legit cousin of Dustin Rhodes, who's only been working a few months, debuting the Jabba role, and was almost exactly like Dustin Rhodes. In addition, hmm. the, shorter, the, the shorter Dusty Rhodes clone, Randy Rhodes, worked in the Jabba role. Looks like a crocodile after all these years finally figured out what put him down for the count for the first time is getting his spiritual <laughs> revenge. <laughs> Most embarrassing part of the show, though, was Conan Dosmil, Scott Putsky, doing the You Guessed It gimmick and Alex the Pug Porto against the Texas version of High Voltage. They went to a 10-minute draw. They were doing the countdown. After the announcement, a 30-second call. It took them nearly three minutes to get into position for the Bayface having to pin the two-count bell ring finish, and they didn't ring the bell up until that point. Oof. All right, results of the show. Guido Falcone and Vito, Vito Mussolini, Ooh. two fake Italians, over high voltage, Bo Vegas and Devin Michaels. Conan Dos Mil, that was a dud. Conan Dos Mil over Mania Mike Davis, quarter of a star. John Hawk over Tracy Austin, two stars. Rob Price over Jimmy Jabes, quarter of a star. The Spiders, yep. Glenn Roof and Chaz Warrington over Sam Houston and Chaz Taylor. So we have Chaz and Chaz, two stars. Conan and uh, Conan Dos Mil and Alistair Pug over High Voltage, dud. John Hawk over Randy Rhodes, one star. Sam Houston and Chaz over the Spiders, two and a half stars. Uh, Rob Price over Tracy Austin, quarter of a star. Adams over Murdoch by DQ, starting half. Mike Davis over Guido Falcone, half star. Uh, Chaz and Sam Houston over the Spiders, start their quarter. And then Kevin over Greg for the North America title, star and a half. Did they, did they have, is this, like, is there TV of this anywhere out there? Yes. There is Crockett TV, yes. Okay. It was on YouTube, uh, like, a, I think it was like a six-hour compilation video on YouTube at one point in time. And I don't know if it's still up or not. Gotcha. So, yeah, and then... And people used to sell tapes. I know John McAdam used to sell t- tapes from this from the, this time period. So it's it's out there. It's, public has it. Some people at least. Yeah, just looking real quick, there there are definitely some late '94 full shows that are up on uh, NL Wrestling Archive and some other YouTube channels. Yeah. So there you go. All right, let's close out with World Championship Wrestling. Everyone's favorite. All right, we'll go to the Pro Wrestling Tours to begin with. Mark Madden reported on the WCW 900 line Wednesday that Dusty Rose will be following Jim Ross to an administrative position in WWF. He said Dustin Rose will likely follow his father for an in-ring position. That report has not been substantiated and independent by the torch. Madden also reported that because of low TV ratings, a return to TV by Ric Flair is more likely. He said a plan for Flair to have Harley Race manage Vader against Hogan was discussed and nixed. Well, he's not going to help Harley Race. He's going to take over Harley Race. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, well, this well, no, 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 no. Harley had the boat accident. Yes. Well, no, this isn't yeah, the boat accident. Like this, done, is the, done. this is the car yeah. accident. What's the car accident? You're right. Car. But the car yeah, accident, I don't it. think, has happened yet at this point. No, not happened yet. But that, but obviously, their plan was to have Flair involved, and then they said, "Well, we're not going to do it now." And then Harley gets hurt. So, oh, okay. Well, we're going to do it. Yes. But now, what about the Dusty rumor here? That I mean, Mark Matt's putting out on the WCW hotline. Yeah, which I guess it hasn't been made clear yet that he's a character on the hotline. He's not pro wrestling's only real journalist necessarily anymore in any real way, although he still works yeah, for the still, paper. Still, you know, I mean, well, why would you put this out there? Especially knowing what happens in about a month. 
Well, not not just that, but Dusty, Dusty's. I mean, it's just what would the impetus be? Why? That's the thing. Because it's Mark Madden and he dislikes Virgil Riley Reynolds Jr. I, I don't know, but but I mean the timing's yeah, awfully interesting, though. Yeah, that's like out of nowhere. Like I get mentioned that like Jim Ross is going back, but to say that Dusty's leaving and taking Dustin with him. Because Dusty hasn't been on TV since War Games. Right. And, I mean, Dustin is, you know, still on TV regularly at this point. Yeah, but he's way far down the card at this point. Yeah, he's been deep pushed since Hogan and his boys got in there, yes. Yes. But uh, maybe th- maybe that's it. I don't know. Well, here's the thing, though, and this just hit me. Or, 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 or maybe Flair, Flair and Dusty are having a... A, a rift at this point in time, and Madden's, you know, doing Flair's bidding here or something. I don't know. Oh, and that becomes more of a moot point as it becomes clear that Flair's going to lose the book to a dusty ally. Yeah. Mm, but also, so, when we get the whole uncensored blading that guys had a month, two months later, um, the three people who are all fired are all dusty guys. Mike Graham, Dustin, and Barry Darso. Yeah. So... You know, you know, as we've talked about before, only Mike Ram ever should have seen any repercussions for that. And then he gets brought right back anyway. And uh, Dustin and Darso get screwed out of their well-paying guaranteed contracts. Yeah. Staying with the torch. Sting is at least 99% sure to remain with WCW when his deal expires early this year. There's still a crack in the door for Titan to sign him away, but they don't offer guaranteed contracts which means Sting, who owns an Atlanta-area gym and has roots in Atlanta, won't be jumping. This would have been a perfect time for him to go. If WF had had the money at this time to go for him, this would have been the perfect time for both of those things to happen. Or does... So... Sting gets out the Hogan, Sting gets out the Hogan, Shadow, where he can be a red-hot... Babyface coming in. He can oh, legally be Sting it. because he used the name before even Watts. I mean, and well, we started with Watts. ends but... up staying because his buddy's here. Because Sting's the one who pushed. And Luger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Like, this is like one of those weird flashpoint moments. But does Sting risk it for like what the Titan contracts were at the time, which was what, like six TVs at $500 a clip? Or whatever. No, what I'm saying. He's not, he's yeah. not getting the guarantee money. And that's one thing. We, you you got to know about Steve Borden. He's going to do what's best for him financially. Oh yeah. I mean, he's been making seven fifty a year or more since at least nineteen ninety. So yeah, the so. way things are, he'd be an he'd be an absolute idiot to go unless he was badly wanting this run on top outside of Hogan's shadow. Yeah. So he he definitely wasn't going to do it because of the money, and I don't blame him. I wouldn't have done it either. So. All right, going to Dave now. The office is thrilled with Randy Savage because he's done about a zillion radio interviews just over the past 10 days in all the local markets. They have house shows in, and business has been generally hovering around the 1900 per show level, which is pretty good considering the lineups and considering what WWE has done over the past few years. Several callers on Mike Tenet's radio show this past weekend put him on the spot regarding his comments on Hulk Hogan last year and his claims for years that WWE was only, the only major league. Savage took the knots good-naturedly and responded that he had said all that in the past, but with talent changes, in particular his going to WCW, it made him the Major League because wherever he was would be the Major League just based on his being there. 
And that's the best way to go about that, yes. Can't argue with that logic, though, you know? No. No, you can't. Hey, I mean, that's a good good uh, comeback on Savage for that, so there you go. Now, one person leaving, though, Jean-Paul Levesque gave notice on January the 10th that he'd be leaving for WWF, turning down a contract believed to be between 1500 and 1800 per week. Apparently, Levesque's decision was based on the track record of WWF versus WCW when it comes to creating new superstars, and felt that even though WCW had plans to make him and Steve Regal the tag team champions with Sherry as their manager, feuding with a Bayface Harlem Heat in 1995, that he'd take his chances without the guaranteed money, since Titan's obviously going to push new blood this year as hard as it can. As co- at company meetings, Eric Bischoff was fuming over the fact's lack of loyalty because he took him from nothing, and this is the respect he gets. After the example set with Ricky Steamboat, Dave can't believe anyone could question a WCW wrestler about making the decision and even considering loyalty to the company. Wasn't it Regal the one who told him to leave as yes. well? Yeah. 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 So Regal essentially, like, and again, whatever being a tag team champion is in 1995, like, Regal would have been in line for a push and said, like, hey, no, you leave because you need the reps on the road well, and you're not um, going to get them here. Regal took a step push with eat. Right, he does get the push with Eaton, <laughs> yes, but still, yeah, that may, okay. Well, and the so way he, Regal he, tells him in the book, though, too, he didn't know they were getting the tag titles. Yeah, but at least, but the thing is, uh, at least Regal, though, you know, he still got what was coming to him, though. He still got his, his push. Yes. Uh, um, okay, uh, I'm trying to find the relevant thing in the book because they skip ahead to the reaction. Um, well, here's at least the reaction, and then I'll try to double back and find it. It's uh, my first day back after Christmas at a TV taping at Center Stage. Ric Flair came up to me in a hell of a state. Levesque's gone. He's gone. He just left us. I don't know what to do. I'd been one of the few. Okay, here we go. Yeah. I'd been one of the few who had known that Paul was plan- plotting his escape. Rick was panicking, though. You two were going to be the tag team champions. Rick said they'd had big plans for us because they liked what we did. They were going to put Cherry Martel with us. I wasn't selfish about it. I thought it was good for good good, uh, good for Paul. There's a typo here. And time has proved him right. You know, he's gone to be Triple H, blah, 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 blah. For myself, I was happy to stay in WCW with the guaranteed money. But Rick was desperate. What are we going to do? He asked me. And then he really looked up and saw Bobby Eaton and suggested the My Fair Lady idea, as he put it. The the best the best career move Regal could ever make. Look at him now. Yeah, I mean, and and I would I would assume the second best uh, career decision was made by whoever was in that company meeting that told everyone that Eric was mad over uh, Jean Paul Levesque leaving. <laughs> well, Terry Taylor, you know, mentoring a young. Paul Levesque also mm-hmm. paid off in the long run as well. So yeah, okay. Here's the here's the other part. It, it wasn't to be. Paul's contract was up. He'd come in for a pretty low offer and a one year deal. Now it was up, and they, okay, excuse me. Now it was up. They didn't want to offer him much of a raise. WWF had been in contact with Paul, and I believe they were interested in bringing us in as a tag team. But I had a guaranteed contract with WCW, something the company didn't offer at the time. It meant nice security for me. I would not have to worry about providing for my family. Schedule wasn't too demanding, and it, me- and it meant I could go to Japan, too. But Paul needed the experience. 
if he went to work for them, it would be a tough schedule with long tours, lots of house shows, and more overseas touring. It was precisely the opportunity he needed. He was getting better by the day, and you could see the potential in him, but he needed that ring time. A select few people get good at our job straight away. Kurt Angle, who's one in a million, was one, and so was Danny Boy Collins in the UK. Steve Austin was another, who in just a short time looked like he'd been doing it for years. People like me took a long time to get proficient at it. Paul needed to perform in front of a crowd to improve. You learn that on house shows rather than on TV. When you go to TV, you're not performing for the crowd, you're performing for the cameras. But it's only by listening to crowd reactions where you learn how to perform. You can put things in your act, take others out, and work out what works for you. You need to listen, to know the crowd, excuse me, to know if the crowd aren't buying what you're sell what you're doing and how to change it. That was exactly what Paul had to learn. So when he came to me and asked for advice, I urged him to take the chance he had been offered. Go, I told him. They'll make you a star. Yeah. <laughs> Prophetic. That's what I am sure. All right. So, uh, yeah, Eric off whining about that. It's funny. All right. Uh, they had a live main event on January 8th at Center Stage. Although this is one of the one, maybe the, the least newsworthy one, other than Arn Anderson beating Time Be Bad for the TV title. It looks to be a lengthy program of Arn getting the spot of departed honky top man. Match is good action, but rushed two and a half stars. Bad had near falls, but Rob Parker kept stretching the referee. Then after collision, Arn fell backwards against the ropes while Johnny went down. His arm was against the ropes, meaning to stretch the ref. Parker shut Arn over, and he fell on top of the pin in 652. The switch was done in this manner, largely to hype the fans having to call the 900 line to vote for whether or not Bad deserved the rematch. Right, so Gene interviews Johnny B. Bad, interviews Randy Anderson, and Randy Anderson is just, like, terrible on the promo. But Gene urges us to call the hotline and choose option four and leave him a message to let Gene know if Johnny B. Bad deserves a rematch. I wonder if somebody else is using any of the other mailboxes on that interactive media service <laughs> to, leave matches for, to leave memos for other people. Gold farm. <laughs> he's in the locker room and he's doing backflips. In the locker room. <laughs> but when Gene mentioned like leaving him a message on one of the other mailboxes, I'm like, oh my God, that's probably where they got the idea. There must be other mailboxes. Let's try them all. <laughs> oh, man. They also did the interactive match where Sting wrestled the Avalanche in a dud. The match was made worse because they did the same finish they did in their last interactive singles match between the two of them on November 20th. Yes. <laughs> two interactive matches between these two in three months. And the same finish they just done at Starcade on the 27th. Where the Sting fans and really out. wanted to see Sting in the Avalanche. Yeah, because they got screwed in the two finishes and now they get screwed for a third one. Sting was ready to turn Avalanche into Scorpion when Butcher and Kevin Sullivan ran in for the DQ. Dave's not a fan most of the time of the so-called imagine the booking because usually it confuses the majority of the fans and doesn't draw money. But the booking of late has been the worst of all worlds. Not only unimaginative and predictable, but unsatisfying as well. Every time there's a match of so-called man inventors on a TV show, it ends with the heels running in for the DQ. Particularly annoying when it happens every, in nearly every overhyped interactive match. WCW received approximately 2,000 calls on Johnny B. Bad's line, which they were thrilled about. And about 3,500 calls the interactive match. So the company probably took in five grand for that show. During the Sting match, Bischoff, who was announced, had mentioned he and Sting had just come back from the Tokyo Dome, where Sting had wrestled at Toyo Doki. 
although Bischoff didn't mention the crowd size or record aspect of the gate. Real quick before I read the next thing. Um, well, I mean, it's funny. Look, they ripped the booking here because the booking is being done by one Richard Fleer. Has that officially changed over yet? No, no. Okay. No, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, that goes on for a little while. Yeah. In 95. But yeah, I mean, he's right. That's the thing. Dave is right, absolutely right here. And you do this manage for three straight months. Same finish, same two guys. Not like, good. I could at least see if they're building to something. Build into a cage match. Build into a no disqualification match. Build into a submission match. Something with these sort of finishes. But they just aren't. They just keep doing the match and keep doing the same finish. And now and they're then, about to sh- shift Sting off of him into uh, Ray Trailer. Well, they do the match at the Clash, which has a different finish, but still doesn't have a finish. Yes! Still a non-finish. Yes, which, of course, it's a non-finish because that referee right there wasn't supposed to be in the ring. <laughs> yes. Thank you, But Greg. then it becomes a tag team feud with Savage, and then it switches to Sting and Bubba. Also on the live show, Bischoff joked the Honky Tonk Man couldn't stand the heat and went back to school teaching. Honky was working as a fit ed teacher before he went back to WCW. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Wayne Ferris, <laughs> Honky Tonk Man, teaching P.E. in a school? With the long sideburns and his hair slicked back? Yes, because he had to do to keep the gimmick because he was working the uh, working sh- house shows for USWA. Now, do you think while he was in the company with DDP, though, he was coming to your town in the pink Cadillac? <laughs> I don't know. I, we need, somebody needs to find the yearbook from whatever years that was that Honky was as the the, the PE teacher and see what Honky's uh, uh, like yearbook photo, like the faculty looked like for those years. Well, my thing is, is what would he what would he been called by the kids? Mr. Coach Honky, Ferris. Mr. 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 Wayne. Mr. Man. <laughs> Coach Tonkwain. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Honky. <laughs> you knew there was some smart ass kid that would be like, <laughs> like once a week, you'd be like, what was it really like being like, you know what I mean? Like something about the ultimate warrior or something about Jimmy Hart or something about whatever. And he's like, all right, I'm going to make you run laps, kid. Shut up. Stop asking me so many questions. Do you think that he proclaimed himself the greatest PE teacher of all time? <laughs> Oh, wait. The kid should have had him a belt made and to yeah. suck up to him, you know? Wait, I just realized he could, he probably didn't want to be Coach Honky, so that's probably why you moved to Arizona in the first place. Because, I mean, <laughs> if you go to Arizona, you probably won't find many people who would call you Honky. <laughs> well, he was working – well, he, at that point in time, he was working in uh, Tennessee because of the uh, – he was working – doing the USW house shows. At this point, he is on the on the on the weekends. Yeah, ninety three. He was. We went to WCW. I know in ninety three he was. Well, if he's only working on the weekends, though, then maybe he's not living locally. Impossible. All right, Savage debuted in the ring against the Avalanche on the sixth and seventh in Birmingham, Montgomery, Alabama, replacing Sting on top since Sting was tired from the long trip from Japan. Savage only got polite applause each night, and the matches were pretty dead. Well, that's interesting. Well, listen, you know, they, they, we mentioned before, Randy was uh, doing a lot of uh, press, you know, and that, that's worth a lot more. We're paying off in the long run. And he was an unannounced replacement for Sting. So, yeah, you know, 
and these are WCW hotbeds. Uh, you know, the the South and Randy's, you know, not not sting at this time yet. Yeah. Uh, lots of tapings this past week. January 8th at center stage, they taped the awful negative two stars Bobby Eaton over Dave Sullivan match where Kevin tripped Dave and Eaton fell on top for the pin that aired this past Saturday. That's after all week. Uh, this set of Kevin Dave matches in a heel DQ when, oh, you guessed already? Butcher and Avalanche interfered and cut up Dave's Hogan robe and Hogan boots and a lot of his hair. Apparently, they're going to dust the Hulkamaniac gimmick since it wasn't working and turn him into a meaner character, although not necessarily turn him. Oh, no, they, they do not. Well, no, 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 no. they do. More buffoon. They do, like, one squash where he's this character, and then he goes into the DDP program where he's back to being EVAD, basically. Yes. Yes, I remember, uh, I believe he wins that match with his uh, inverted bear hug finish. Mm-hmm. And yes. then he keeps yelling into the camera, pointing at uh, the haircut, which amazingly makes him look like a high school football coach named Bill. Funny how that works. Um, but he keeps saying into the camera, you did this to me, Nevik. You did this to me, Nevik. You know, the whole Kevin spelled backwards thing. I wonder what he thought of Relic. Nevik Nevilius. They could have brought him in as like some sort of meta reference that he's the one who figures it out. The <laughs> DNA for Relic. <laughs> yeah. um, January 9th, the final show ever at the old Columbus, Georgia Municipal Auditorium, which drew a set of 5,000, 2,000 pay, which is strong for a TV tape. This is most of them hover around 450, 700 pay. And it actually turned people away. Some of the highlights and lowlights a Nasty Boys and Frankie Tupper Lancaster and Cuban Assassin squash. Anyone that sat in that class took a bump off the apron, hit his head on the guardrail by accident, and was rushed to the emergency room and needed 19 stitches. Ooh. Oops. Alex Wright started a few with Paul Roma. Oh, that'll end two well. Out singles, <laughs> two out of singles match was in, in the ref bump. Bobby Eaton interfering, but in the confusion, Alex pinned Eaton, and the ref counted three, awarding Wright the win. And Brian Pillman returned as a babyface called California Brian. Uh oh. Well, we had a clip, though, and it's an interesting clip I found from. Uh, the Columbus News Station. They did a video of the last night at the auditorium. So let's watch this, shall we? Hmm. Interesting. That's what most had to say about the evening. That's because it'd be the last time anyone would be at the Columbus Auditorium. The structure has been the site for a host of entertainment acts over the years. Oh, so it's a last event there, period. It's not big enough or modern enough. Normally, coming to a wrestling event is a lot of fun for these fans, but since this is the last event here at the auditorium, most of these Columbus residents say tonight they have mixed emotions. We've attended a lot of wrestling matches here and concerts, and kind of sad to see it go, but looking forward to something new. Well, it's kind of sad because I grew up coming to wrestling down here in the auditorium ever since I was a little bitty girl, and I've been bringing my kid, and so it's kind of sad, but we are looking forward to something new and bigger. I think it's kind of sad because this place has got a lot of history. Yeah, there we go. Used to bring down here when I was it's Jamie Dundee. Professional wrestling, and I think that's what made this place most famous. You know, Wonderful mullet. With a good, good way, though, anyway, we're bringing back professional wrestling for it to be last event. But wrestling was the main event, 
an event that won't be back to Columbus until the new 10,000-seat arena is completed in 1996. Promoters for the WCW say they've enjoyed the crowds at the auditorium. For a year and a half, it's like, you know, we're leaving the city, but we'll be back. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a great celebration tonight, an historic event to be the last event in the Columbus Municipal Auditorium before it's torn down. And we're looking forward, hopefully, to be the first event in the new building when it comes back after the Olympics have played there. It was a night of action, but on this last night, it was also a time to say goodbye. For the Newsleader Nightside, I'm Jeff Herod. There you go. A legendary building, that municipal tournament in Columbus. Fred Ward, home base for many, many years of Fred Ward Promotions. And, uh, yep, and I attended that first show at the new building. That was the infamous Nitro where they had all the shit outside. Oh. What a great, great. And no uh, screens, right? No screen, no screens. Yes. Yeah, so what oh. a first impression. I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> your story of telling that on the show and being so pissed. Everybody running up the steps trying to go to the window. Yeah. You know, to see what the hell's going on because somebody was yelling to the, to the crowd where we were at because we were up there near the entrance way. It said, Yuck. It's going outside, going outside. People running up steps. And and, and in that news clip they showed, uh, that was Dustin versus George South, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dustin versus George South. Yeah. They should, George is still working. They should run that back today on like an episode of <laughs> AEW Dark or something, just for the hell of it, you know? Well, why not? Yeah. If I'm yeah, going. yeah, like, you know, GCW is using all those guys, uh, Mike Jackson, George South. Like, why the hell not give them an, uh, a shot on Dark if they're in the area, you know? Yeah. So, Columbus Municipal Torum, legendary building. And it's fitting that wrestling was the last event there. So, there you go. When did the Civic Center so, open, though? Like, was the Nitro the first show there? That was the – no, the Olympics was there first. Was it the first non-Olympics a, event there, though? Um, Maybe. There may have been concerts there before then, though, too. Mm. Yeah. The one thing about that building, though, it was on uh, Victory Drive, which is, um, you know, one of the, the big main stretches of Columbus, and that's where all the strip clubs were being located for the uh, servicemen the, that were frequented over there near the base. <laughs> so there you go. A lot of entertainment on that road. Um, January 10th is center stage for either the 21st or 28th, as Dave's heard both. Paul Roma watched at ringside during Alice Wright squash. After the match, Roma started doing bodybuilding poses. One of Alice Wright's model friends blew him off and ran into the ring and began dancing with Wright. And they think this is going to get Alice Wright over? Dustin Rose pinned John Paul Levesque and what was said have been a three-and-a-half-star match in his last match. Randy Savage defeated Arn Anderson in 1630 of a TV title match with Elbow, three stars. Of course, the TV title was on the line for the first 15 minutes, so Savage didn't win the title. After the match, Blacktop Bully, Bunkhouse Book, and Dick Slater joined with Arn and beating on Savage till Sting and Dustin made the save. Fans live went home thinking the TV title changed hands. They did an angle the next night, which went on television, where they explained to the fans that Arn was still the champion. So, okay. When was the last time before this that they did this, that where it wasn't just straight up 10 or 15 minute time limit? It was longer time limit, but title only on the line for 15 minutes. I don't know when the last time would have been. It would have been a while. Maybe during right? Regal's first run with the belt, like 93 ish. Okay, that actually so it's does been sound a while. Right. Yeah. 
it's possible. I think there was, you know what, I'm, and again, please correct me. Wasn't one of the early um, Regal Larry Zabisco matches that way? Where like Zabisco beat him, but it was after the time limit, like an, an like main event or something? Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. All right, obviously, based on the preview lineup, Guardian Angel will go heels referee during the Sting Avalanche match. That's true. Now, for the following television for the 28th of the 4th of February, they had a Vader handicap match where Vader was DQ for powerbombing Todd Morton on the floor, a la Katniss Jack, and Morton was carried out by other wrestlers. Although, obviously, that Dustin match wasn't his last match, as he did a job for Alex Wright. However, he balked in doing the job on Saturday Night for Sting, saying enough was enough. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, so he did that twice, huh? <laughs> Levesque's final day of promotion will be January 22nd in Pittsburgh as he's putting over Jimmy Bat all the house shows until that day. I won't lose to arguably your number three baby <laughs> face on my way out, but I will. Like, So if the baby face pecking order very clearly is Hogan, Savage, Sting, Dustin's fourth, and then I guess what? Johnny Alex Bad. Wright is five? No, Johnny, Johnny Bad's, Bad's five. Johnny Bad's five, Alex Wright is six. I'll lose clean to Alex Wright on my way out, but I won't lose clean. I won't lose period to Sting on my way out. Interesting. He had it in him. He had it in him back then, even Paul. Yeah, they're going to take more matches, but because delays caused by changing the WWE Saturday Night banner to main event banner, which took 20 minutes, the crowd which started out 750 was only 190, and they decided not to tape anymore. <laughs> Jesus the next, Christ! Hold on, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. The next night, instead of changing banners when they needed to, they just put something to cover up the Saturday Night Banner when they did a main event, which eliminated delay. Yes. So so if you watch, if you watch that show, <laughs> the signs are – it's the WCW Saturday Night sign, but with a conspicuous giant black bar at the bottom. WCW, everybody. And it took them that long to change the banner. You would think – like WWE can change – like, obviously today, but I'm sure even back then, they could reset the entire ring and ropes and everything else in, like, a two-minute commercial break. But to put up a different banner took 20 minutes, and it caused 500 people plus just to, like, leave. Like, these, like there's 20 minutes, no wrestling. I'm out of here on my free ticket that they probably, you know what I mean? Oh, this fan base, this promotion at this time, I tell you. This company. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right, so for the Saturday Night Air during our week, day for the main event on the 7th, we go to the Torch. Tony and Bobby and Gene talk about Hogan Invaders, Confrontation Starcade. Johnny Bad gave yet another WCW Void of Substance mini promo for his television title defense because Paul Roma later. Guardian Angel defeated Carl Fergie. Okay. Heenan hinted at Angel's upcoming turn, saying he's been frustrated and something's eaten at him. But during his interview, he told Babyface. Nick Botwinkle announced from his posh office... And Angel would be a special referee for Sting and Avalanche at the Clash. Blacktop Bully defeated Barry Houston. Gene Oakland played the 900 Lions and Storm White Honky Tonk Man left WCW and never be seen again. Source of WCW management was a sorry to see Honky and his $1,000 per match deal go. Well, his $1,000 per match checks don't go away because someone starts signing in on the sign-in sheet for him that no one checked whether or not those people actually work the show. Oh, WCW, my. Everybody. Fantastic. Harlem Heat beat Brad and Scott Armstrong with a chaotic ref to stretch to finish. Stars and Stripes won a squash match. Uh, after the match, Sister Sherry confronted Marcus Bagwell and the Patriots. She lifted Bagwell from head to toe and said he obviously not a man, then slapped him. Bagwell and Patriots were challenged Harlem Heat to come out. They did. 
before Brawl broke up. Nasty Boys once again restored control for no apparent reason. Although four Bayface against two heels does seem more fair than two on two, as it was before the Nasties inexplicably, inexplicably <laughs> came out. The Nasties won a squash match. Alex the air to Starcade where Kevin Sullivan beat up Dave Sullivan. Alex Wright won a squash. On his way to the ring, he was mobbed by the paid models as he smiled, as if he were really irresistible to these women. Maybe nobody's told him they're paid to do that. I'm sure they have way. Jimmy Bad defeated Paul Roma with a diving roll up out of nowhere at the Roma missed elbow drop. To close the show, Oakland interviewed Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, and Randy Savage in front of a chroma key of a center stage backdrop because everyone flies in to film Hogan's interviews in Florida rather than him flying into Atlanta <laughs> to tape his. Good to be the Hulkster, man. <laughs> Oakland was wearing a noticeably different suit than earlier in the show. Hogan and Savage are the monster maniacs. Yes, this happened all the time in this era. And it was so in-your-face noticeable, too. And just, just made it, it, again, stuff like this that made true WWE fans hate Hulk Hogan. You know? Because it was very clear he was getting, whether you were smart or not, it was very clear he's the guy from the other company and he's coming in and getting preferential treatment. He's being treated differently than all of your favorites. Yeah. Well, and eventually they start just doing all the wraparounds in front of the green screen. Right. Saturday night did a 2.4 rating while live main event going head-to-head with the Chargers and Dolphins playoff game did a disastrous 1.5 and Pro did a 1.7. Paul Orner was out of action because his knee hasn't fully recovered yet. Expect another name change for Ray Trailer after his upcoming turn. Rumor has it his new name would be Big Bubba Rogers, which is his old name. Yes. Now, Wade has some more on Brian Pillman. He said when Brian Pillman gets a renewed push in the Cruiser division, he'll be a heel called California Brian. Well, what's the Cruiserweight division going to be, though, without anchor Jean-Paul Levesque? <laughs> yes. Van Hammer, real name Mark Hildreth, 35, was arrested on two counts of possession of illegally prescribed drugs. Hammer turned himself in a few weeks ago while also arrested was Lawrenceville, Georgia physician Brian Dillingham, who wrote the prescriptions. No word, no details on what drugs were involved. However, the humorous part of the story was when WCW was contacted in a newspaper story, a spokesman claimed that Hammer hadn't worked for the company in two years. There was a guy who just looked like him, who looked just like him, who had the same name, and unfortunately wrestled just like him on television just a few weeks ago, just before he turned himself in. WCW, everybody. Yeah, he had like a, what, a one-off against Dick Slater, I think. Yes. That's why it's a one-off. Poor Van uh, Hammer. Where's his career resurgence? Is he still kicking around? Is he in halfway decent shape? They're like some who in, knows? Like like Janelle or somebody could bump around him. Who or, knows? So, yeah. uh, Chris, were you at that Macon taping on November 29th with Dick Slater versus Van Hammer? Uh, yeah, I think I was. And I think that's also Dick Slater's there. initial return, right? Well, he was in and out so many times. How can I know? Well, I mean, it's like you're, you know, he's yeah, he just he comes and goes. And I'm trying to remember how it came up previously. Um, this is also the arrest and the bust where it turned, where at least it turns out that one of Doctor Dillingham's patients was someone named Paige Falkenberg, right? Oh, of course. But no one notices. And re- or realizes who he is. Yeah. 
A lot of times we spent of late budget cutting. Well, they just got rid of a thousand dollars a week for Honky Tonk Man, another fifteen hundred a week for Jean Paul Levesque, you know. Yeah. A lot of cuts. Decision should be made this week regarding Hogan's proposed Thunder Thunder Force syndicated show, which would be done by the same producers as his Thunder and Paradise show. Well, read the Thunder next Force. line item. I from the tour, Hulk Hogan was named the January 13th Entertainment Weekly Loser of the Week, stating the wrestling champion may discovered a, a different career and now his speedboat series, Thunder Paradise, is sinking. Hogan actually wants to rename the show Thunder Force with himself, Sting, Mr. T, and a woman martial artist as a hero foursome. So we have like these two stories where he wants a new show called Thunder Force, and here Entertainment Weekly saying he wants the show renamed Thunder Force. So everybody's got to get the same page with your story here. Well, now we know why WCW Thunder's named Thunder. Mm-hmm. Nah. Hogan, Hogan loves thund- thund- the Thunder yeah. Mixer. He gets the Thunder Mixer when he misses out on the George Foreman Grill when he missed that phone call. That would have been called the thunder. Hulk Hogan Thunder Grill, I'm sure. Thunder Lips. Thunder. Oh my God. Thunder Dude, brother. Yeah. And getting Mr. T in on the show. Now, after the Starcade bit with Mr. T, he's pretty much done as like a WCW on-screen character, right? Yeah. He has like the little, like he has that short match with Calvin Sullivan. So, you know, I don't know if T's going to be doing any more shows after this, you know? Oh, after Kevin Uh Sullivan ripped his shirt off and showed he was wearing a girdle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. As long as Kevin Sullivan didn't say anything bad about T's mama, he would have been okay. Hey, Hogan's trying to take care of his his buddy. Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. All right, uh, let's continue. There's some fear that the fire department may close center stage down, which would mean they had to find a new taping site. <laughs> fire hazard galore, I guess. Center stage. How many exits were there? Oh, I don't even remember. They weren't setting off pyro like WWE was doing at high school gyms. And yeah. it's not like they were like turning people away from center stage, you know? And center stage is still open. I'm sure they've done renovations since then. Yeah, they, they've done renovations, yeah. And yeah. different name changes and stuff. Sure. Um, WCW is considering using Sabu on major shows. The apparent idea is he'll work around his Japan commitments, allow him to continue to work in the indies but not to appear on any U.S. television other than WCW and allow him to use his name. I'm sure this will work out great for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the oh, deal If only there was getting. a multi-part series that I could pay $5 <laughs> a month to hear. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. How difficult Sabu is to work with and how people play him against other people and how bad he is at fulfilling his commitments. Yeah, yeah. But this is, I mean, this is months before he actually gets that deal, though. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they were, look, they were looking at him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's obviously thought there. And that's for, definitely a Sullivan thing, for sure, right? Even though Sullivan's not booking, yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's getting that out there. Yeah. Now, for what it's and, worth, oh, I'm not finding anything about Thunder Force in the news databases. But I did find an article in the Orlando Business Journal from December 30th that talks about how Thunder in Paradise is not being renewed, but it shows that Central Florida can support a full-scale TV production for whatever it's worth. There you go. And David Hasshoff will be attending the Clash in Las Vegas. 
It appears the two biggest fights in wrestling right now are over who gets the rub from linking themselves with Make-A-Wish and who gets the rub from linking themselves with Baywatch. Kind of ironic when you think about it. Okay, so I have a question. Is the implication here that both wrestling promotions believe in the work that Baywatch is the biggest show on television worldwide? Yes. Uh, absolutely. Because the, so did they everybody got... else, because it was reported by everybody. But yeah. I mean, to be completely clear, it's a work. It's a, just a slogan they came up with to call it the most popular TV show in the world. I know, but everybody bit hook, line, and sinker on that. I know. Even Howard Stern. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah. All right. Well, that is it for this week's Between the Sheets. Joe, is plug time, my man. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, so plug away. I, I have to read this pre- prepared statement. I'm only allowed to plug At Odds with Wrestling, which comes out on Fridays. It's a wrestling show that I do with my friend Adam. Uh, we talk about this day in wrestling history, the last week in wrestling. We'll assign each other homework. Adam usually assigns me terrible things like Ms. Uh, WWE Studio Movies. And for 2023, we, my homework that I'm assigning him on a rotating weekly basis is the period in WCW between Russo booking regimes. Like that, oh. like January to early April 2000 stuff. Oh yeah. Um cuz I ended up we ended up watching an episode of Nitro from that era like January 31st of 2000 and it wasn't terrible, you know? So I'm like, "Oh, let's go back and revisit all of this cuz like, you know, I don't re- like I I was definitely a WWF guy at the time, you know. So a lot of the WWE stuff like I know only from newsletters we're starting this week with the last russo book nitro the one where jeff has to wrestle tito george Steele, and jimmy snooker for the pay-per-view that's what we're watching this week uh coming up um but yeah at odds with wrestling uh podcatchers whatever soon to be soon to be named network.com where you could find all that sort of stuff and you can plug your social media uh, Joe Sposto on social media, Twitter, I guess. You know, remember when we all left and we went to Mastodon and all the other things and then like all well, those kind of... Y'all might have. I never yeah. did. Because <laughs> I knew what was going on. I, I knew exactly how everything's going to play out. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'll be the first one to admit that I did go and make sure that I, I did have two-factor authentication set up for my Instagram. And that was really about it. Um... <laughs> Again, I'll even though I have all those things as backups, I'll be on Twitter until they shut the lights off on Twitter. I so like Twitter. everybody else. So yeah. everybody else. I mean, it started <laughs> working very badly this past weekend. Though. Well, they, yeah, they, it was all well, they, it was real screwy on Friday. Yeah, they, they well, it was uh, another day that they, they were going through. They were upgrading stuff. When I was reading, they were going through some maintenance. That's why all this stuff was happening. So I. I just learned recently that there's a Twitter app. You know, I just do it through my browser usually, <laughs> you know? Yeah. As there's... old. But no, again, guys, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, I, you know, this is um, first morning Monday listening, and I always feel bad when I'm on an episode. I still download it, but I can't listen to myself on a podcast. But uh, I will make sure that this gets pushed out to the masses, and, you know, hopefully I can give you, like, a slight bump, you know? Yeah. Well, I can think of one person who signed up for the Patreon who we won't name that presumably signed up because of you. Oh, no way. Get out of town. That's awesome. I want a cut of that fucking money, by the way. Yeah. 
I'm kidding. All right. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, always glad to have you on. So there's that. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, as we record this, I haven't uh, asked somebody to be a guest. They haven't responded back to me yet. But anyway, we'll go ahead and talk about it now. As we go back to 1999, Uh-oh. where we'll talk about Shawn Michaels. Is his career over now? Possibly, as he has major back surgery in San Antonio. So we'll have news on that. We'll have news on Jim Ross and how he's doing from his Bell's palsy. We got Raw from Houston hey. <laughs> to talk about featuring a lot of Vince Russo era shit, including Sammy the transvestite. Oh no. And all kinds of other all kinds of other stuff. So we'll have that next week. Hey. We have on I was gonna say, remember yeah. at the beginning of the show when we talked about like, you know, it's all a different time and you can't judge? Keep that in <laughs> mind for next week on that segment for Raw. And yeah. the same building, by the way, Compact Center is the summit. Yep. Andre the Giants, biography on AE will airs. We'll talk about that. We'll have news on Hockey Top Man working on uh, an interesting indie show. So we'll have news on that. Jerry Lawler is running for mayor of Memphis. He makes that an official announcement. So we have oh, that. oh no, I just pulled up the raw description. I can't believe you didn't mention this, that it, this is the one with the undertaker turning Dennis Knight into Midian. And that, well, we'll have news on that too, from how that didn't air in some places. Oh boy. All right. Uh, and we have other, all kinds of indie news and we have ECW at the ECW arena with the debut of Sid and then return of public enemy. Yes. So we'll have, uh, have that show to talk about. Uh, in Mexico, we got an interesting story involving Rebusiro Jr. Tijuana and Dr. Alfonso Morales being pissed off at him. We got uh, CMLL. What are they, who are they going to work with? WCWWF. We'll have news on that. Issues for the AAA TV taping involving money. Shocking. We got all kinds of Japanese indie stuff to talk about. Michinoku Pro is going through some major issues, so we'll have that. New Japan is contract season. We got that going on. Kenakabashi and Vader in a big match in all Japan. We'll talk about that. And in World Championship Wrestling, we have, of course, Nitro and Thunder. But we also have Sold Out 99 featuring oh Rick and David Flair against Barry Windham and Kurt Henning, Bill Goldberg in a ladder match, and all kinds of other shenanigans. And also news backstage about what the hell is going on with them around the company. It's a WC, everybody. What can you say? Don't forget Mike so Enos in a pay-per-view match. That's right, yeah. Next week on Between the Sheets. Quite the show. So maybe we'll have a guest finalized by the time we record halftime. So you'll Probably. know it there. So yeah. listen, listen to halftime for that. All right, Joe. Again, like I said, thank you as always for being with us. Always a joy. And we'll get you on a little sooner next time. So mm-hmm. we thank you for, for being back with us. Next, of course, thank you. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Between the Sheets episode, Patreon special edition, episode number 75. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time for part three and the final part of our look back at 25 years of Montreal. Yes, I am uh, I am ready to move past Montreal, my good sir. <laughs> yeah, but we had to do it, you know, the anniversary and everything, so it's something that had to be done. So, um yeah, we'll be moving on uh, next month and next year to uh, other topics, so be ready for that. Yes. All right. Let's start off where we left off. Now we're going to the month of December. Finally. <laughs> yeah, because we had two shows that covered one month. Pretty much. So now we're, now we're in December. All right, let's move on to the week of December the 8th now, towards December 13th. Alberta report. And an observer, December 15th. We start with the Alberta Report. Excerpt from That Wasn't in the Script. Wrestler Brett Hitman Hart's double cross in his last WF match by Davis Sheremata for the Alberta Report. Brett Hart agreed to go along with a request from Vincent Mann to lose his belt for leaving the WF, but the wrestler asked if he could retain the belt during the WF's Canadian tour and lose it when WF hit Illinois and New York later in November and December. I was not going to go out of my back in Can- uh, from Canada, says Brett. I owe it to my fans. I owe it to Canada not to lose on their Remembrance Day weekend. Unbridled Canuck patriotism has long been part of the hitman persona. Not only has Brett scolded American fans of their country to design, take care of his sick and elderly, he recently told a Pittsburgh audience that the U.S. needed an enema, and their city was the ideal place to insert the hose. Last week, both uh, Jim Neidhart and Hart ally David Boy Smith quit the WF to join the hitman in WCW in the WCW. Must be a Canadian thing. Owen would leave. Owen would leave as well if not for his ironclad contract requiring three more years under McMahon. Every champion that has ever had for the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, has left with a bitter hatred for Vince. Says Brett. I asked Vince if he was going to make fun of my character when I leave. He said, "Absolutely not. We'd never do that to you." 
And on the broadcast, it was advertised that Brett would make an appearance with Shawn Michaels in the ring. Midget dressed up as the hitman in the Clement of the Rose, where he was viciously mocked and beaten up by Michaels. Brett, who still lives in Calgary, is hoping for to help DWCW, which has never organized a match in Canada. Organized a match, which is a lie because they have. Is to get a foothold over the border. They ran Canada in 1993. They ran Canada in 1990. Yeah, they ran 93 too, if I'm mistaken. No, 90 definitely, yes. Because 90 was I'm, when um, they had the show but, where like, there was the, like the, the toxic the, gas leak at the ice rink or whenever it was. They well, they had the thing when, in 90, which was uh, people were talking about the, you know, the whole thing with Flair was going to quit. Oh, because the tour was so rotten or whatever it was? No, dropping the title of the Luger and stuff. No, that whole time period, because that was the time period where they heard one of the drop title Luger. But what does that have to do with Canada? Because they were in Toronto. Oh, when oh, all oh. That stuff went to, The Toronto newspaper is the one that was like putting that story out there. But anyway, we did that. We covered that in the show. Mm. Uh, I mentioned getting to the Toronto Sky Dome with Hogan and BC Place, maybe even Molson Center. Where I can make it with all those fans for leaving a dirty taste in their mouths, he says. Adding that retirement from the ring is only three years away. I look forward to disappearing from the public eye. I look forward to throwing my wrestling boots into the Elbow River. Now, he ends up signing an extension in WCW, doesn't he? Even if it ends up being moot with the injury, yeah. the budget cuts and stuff. Let me see real quick if this says when his extension was signed. Yeah, so he had signed an extension that would have put him under contract through the end of November 02. So he was talking the three-year talk here, but he had signed for longer. He had, it was in 99. Like um, In his book, he mentions that during his conversation with Vince before Owen's funeral, which, just as a reminder, everyone, the lawyers told Brett not, not to talk about Owen with Vince. Um, Vince was bringing up the idea, why don't you just come back, work for me, finish your career here, and Brett's like, I don't even know if I could wrestle again, and even if I wanted to and to leave WCW, you know, I just signed an extension, blah, blah, blah. So in 99, I guess, I guess in 99, early 99, yeah, what am I talking about? He was being used better, though, when he re-signed. You know, it was a little messed up, but they had the Toronto, you know, Goldberg angle. He was about to wrestle a match on The Tonight Show. Like, I could see why he was optimistic compared to how they yeah. began. So, I guess the other, you know, interesting quote here is the not going out on my back in Canada thing. Just him being that blunt about it, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, like we, we, we didn't talk about it, you know, about being a mark for the, can the Canadian, you know, motif of his character. You know, and 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 how this if if this show had not been in Canada, then there wouldn't be hardly no problem, hardly any problems. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was in Canada. So yeah, December fifteenth, torch December twentieth, McLean's an observer December twenty second. Ex from real life wrestling, the hitman lives up to his name by Dale Eisler from McLean's. Taking a break from his daily workout in the in his gym in the 810 square meter five bedroom home in Northwest Calgary, Bernhardt gingerly extends his right hand to greet a visitor. It isn't much of a handshake, 
The six foot, 235 pound heart offers only limp fingers and no grip, Harley, but one would expect from a five time champion of the World Wrestling Federation. They gave the wrestle handshake. <laughs> well, read on. But yeah, it's a good excuse. I got a broken bone in my hand, so I have to be careful. Uh, there is that. Says Brad, whose soft voice bears no resemblance to the imitating growl, the character known as the worldwide as the hitman. The explanation gets even more interesting when Brad admits he broke the bone by landing a haymaker punch at upper jaw of Vincent Mann, founder, owner, and promoter of WWF. A company that's taken professional wrestling out of the seedy low-rent arenas and turned it into a multi-million dollar international TV spectacle. I've got a sore hand, but I figure he's a lot sore, says Brad with a hint of satisfaction. Professional wrestling, of course, is not a sport as so much as lowbrow theater. Theater. There was the method of acting and character development that was crucial as body slams and pile drivers. But Hart's punch was a real thing, and it reverberated around the wrestling world. Vince suffered a concussion from the blow, but had his ankle broken in the ensuing melee when others intervened. He's still bothered by blurred vision that he says could be permanent. And while Vince has not pressed charges for what he calls an unprovoked attack, he doesn't rule out legal action if his sight is permanently impaired. I feel hurt at a personal level, said Vince. Brett and I were friends for a long time, and I never thought he would do, that, do what he did. It seems like his hitman character became the same as Bret Hart. But for God's sake, this is entertainment, not real life. I said, I'm not going to be trashing a million in my own country. And Vince said he agreed, and that was the right way to go, says Brett. But Vince doesn't remember it that way. The phone told McLean that he and two others met with Brett on October 21st in Tulsa to say that Sean would win the bell from Brett when they met in Montreal. It was not Brett's preference, said Vince, but he knew that was the plan. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot here. Okay. Do we think Paul J has told Brett not to say that they have a recording? Um, possible. I feel like he must have, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, especially if you're doing this in this like prestige mainstream magazine, wouldn't you offer up, hey, the documentary crew that was following me around had me mic'd up when I went over the finish with Vince? Yeah. So I'm guessing they have an agreement not to talk about this until Wrestling with Shadows comes out. Um, yeah. Interesting. This, I mean, this is the first time we're hearing Vince quotes in this kind of context, too. Yeah. Since Montreal. You know, otherwise it was, you know, just Brett screwed Brett. But Vince is being a lot more tougher here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we move on a little bit. Brett was concerned also in the ratings for WCWF has given his productions a more adult flavor. Listen, wrestlers rants for profanity and sexual overtones. Brett, who is married with four kids aged 7 to 14, had built this character to heroic proportions by playing the tough guy ultimately did what was right. If kids are watching Brett Hart on TV on Saturday morning, he says you can know they're in good hands. But McMahon dismisses Brett's concerns as a cop-out by someone who has not changed with the times. Former colleagues say Brett's been a model of employee willing to go over wrestling talk for re, go over wrestling talk for lose when he was whenever he was asked i can't speak what happened between brett or vince says ken shamrock if wrestling known as the most dangerous man alive which they capitalized but, I, but that's not the nickname no but i can say that brett's the kind of guy all wrestlers look up to brett put it this way i gave the company everything i had i did everything they asked often more 250 bouts a year and all that time i missed only two dates as a lawyer employee i thought the company would be loyal to me in a world of make-believe where the words are usually as phony as the wallops, the hitman sounds really hurt. Wow. A lot of uh, uh, yeah, a lot of vernacular here. Wallops. 
Yeah. <laughs> is McLean's a Canadian publication? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I think it's McLean's, but yeah. McLean's, McLean's. Let's see here. It'd be McLean's, but it is. Their uh, website says McLean's.ca, Canada's magazine since 1905. I wonder if they covered the first NWA World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> Stu Hart already been in business for ten years by then, so in the yuck, yuck, yuck. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash between the sheets.